Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Put the children to bed. It's time for Dan and Aldo to bear their souls. I love the Chicago Bears more than I do masturbating, and that is a lot. Then, with three seconds left, Bob Avellini throws a 30-something yard touchdown pass to Greg Latta, and the Bears win, and I literally shit my pants. I swear to God, I literally did. <laughs> Eric Kramer, for me, I love the guy. He's a tragic figure. I mean, he embodies all that is. If they don't run the ball here, I'm going to vomit. I swear to God. I don't mean any disrespect, he just didn't play that well. Not for a guy of his caliber. You know, they won, but I'm, I'm going to be miserable all week because they stunk. I don't, I don't really have any recollection of that at all, but I guess perhaps I blacked it all out. So, Dan, tape is the ultimate tool for scouts and for coaches to evaluate players, to detect plays and so forth. And they spend hours looking at tape, right? Why do they so often get shit wrong? Ladies and gentlemen, Dan and Aldo. as you do but i'll take it and let you rub off on me that that sounds dirty i didn't mean anything no. you're not yes. rubbing me off in any way but, oh yeah i hope i can be optimistic too and as i am about our bears mm -hmm. well you typically are about the bears this upcoming season you you predicting that they could win 10 11 games make the playoffs so uh, has that changed at all i don't i don't want to say a number mm -hmm. i just feel like that they'll be in it i i do for the same reasons i've laid out we've got a better coaching staff the quarterback should play better and the defense should be okay they've got a better secondary now mm -hmm. everything points to me and the schedule isn't extremely daunting there of course there are patches on it we're like oh that's a lot of road games in a row but or like four out of five or something at one point. But I just feel like if you can win that many games with the bald fuck as head coach, it feels like the adults are in the room now. <laughs> that is true. Although uh, there may have been a misstep by one of the adults. We'll talk about that shortly. I just want to let yeah. people know that if this is the first time they are watching the Dan and Aldo bear their shows, uh, bear their souls show, uh, Dan Aguirre is calling in from the east part of the country. I am Aldo Gandia. I am at the barroom headquarters. And Johnny Santucci is calling the shots behind the stage. Uh, every time you see the barroom network banner on the, on the uh, screen, it is John's work. And uh, he will be joining us in about an hour or so. 
Um, thank you all for joining us. And we do want to start with the news that uh, the Bears OTA today for Tuesday, what is it, June uh, 10th, was suspended because there was an NFL uh, player uh, uh, association representative at a practice a couple of weeks ago. He noticed that there was some hitting going on, which was against the rules. They were told to stop. They requested tape of subsequent practices and saw the same kind of hitting and tackling and what have you. And so they the, today's practice was suspended. Dan, what was your immediate thought when you uh, when you saw that? Well, you want to abide by the rules. You don't want to be the New England Patriots. Mm-hmm. But at least if you had to break a rule, like let's say, if, if, let's equate this to something you could do illegally in your own personal life and let's say get a ticket from the police. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is akin to like, a, well, sir, your tag light's out. You didn't know it. Let me write you this ticket. If you get it fixed, we'll reduce it or, or just drop it or what have you. And in this regard, it's so you miss a day, but if they've been illegally hitting, I mean, it's like you don't want them to do things wrong, but right. if you had to do something wrong and you told me the coach was had them hitting, that's like, I think you'd all secretly be like, ooh, okay. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, if he can get away with that and have them hitting hard, I mean, maybe that's what Eddie Jackson needs, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make light of it, but I'm just saying at least it's something that would would seem pos- uh, like positive for the team. Yeah, this uh, head coach, new head coach, Matt Eberflus, wants this team to be ferocious in their hitting, and if uh, he's going to have a practice taken away and it's because of that decision that he wants guys to get in a hitting mood, then perhaps it isn't as uh, serious as one thinks. Jordan says this is innocuous at worst. Uh, Cliff Victoria is also... Uh, 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 sharing his thoughts that this isn't a bad offense, uh, that perhaps even maybe uh, Iberflus planned that. Maybe, you know, hey, let's go go ahead and get suspended for a day. I don't care. We'll give the guys a day off. But I, I'm going to take a different approach on this. It's important for every single second that these guys are on the practice field. And if that's being taken away because there was an obvious – breaking of the rules, and that's not a good thing. I think this is a misstep by Matt Eberflus. He needs his talent out there on the field, catching passes from the quarterbacks. He needs his talent out there learning schemes. He needs his talent out there doing all the sorts of things that will get them better prepared for that, for when mandatory workouts come in next week, that all the players are ready to rock and roll. And so missing a day of practice is never a good thing. He himself said during a uh, a press conference that when players were fighting, it was just taking away from time practicing. Well, this one's on him. He took away time from practicing. And to me, that is an error on his part and another blemish on this new polls Eberflus tandem. They have come in here and they have been less than perfect with some of their moves. The signing of Larry Ogunjobi with, without perhaps taking a thorough look at what his ankle was prior. I mean, I know the, I know the protocol. The protocol is you sign a player and then the physical afterwards. But the fact that it took three or four days, Poles himself said that they missed out on some players during that period of time where they were waiting on the physical to take place. So that was a, an issue. And the offensive lineman from Buffalo that they wanted to sign, they 
clearly underbid on that and they lost him. So those were a couple of missteps by polls. Maybe there's even more once we find out what the caliber of players are that he drafted. And this is a misstep by Iberflus. Let's look at it. Uh, uh, realistically and practically without being Bears fans and saying, yeah, you know, let's dismiss this and so forth. These are strikes against these two guys, and, and that's all it is. Is it the end of the world, any of these offenses? Absolutely not. They can come back from this and, 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 and do very well, but uh, I don't like the fact that they missed out on a practice because of this offense. I can't disagree with you. And that's not even me just trying to be nice guy to <laughs> a lot of people you know, good the, cop, good cop kind of deal. <laughs> a lot of people in the chat room are disagreeing with me. <laughs> I mean, I can't disagree with your approach, but like I stated, if if you had to have an offense mm-hmm. against your team, you don't you don't want it to be you bug the other team's fucking locker room, you used a ball boy to steal some shit. That's what the Patriots have been accused of. Videotaping, mm-hmm. all these just horrendous acts that get swept under the rug by so many fans in hindsight and just Bill Belichick gets his dick sucked all the time about how great he is and stuff. The man's been cheating for 20 plus years. Uh, so it's not that it's not on that scale. And it, I think his heart's in the right place, at least trying to make the team better. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, Cliff is asking, I wonder how the players feel about this. Well, I don't think there's going to be a player that's going to talk at length about this. They want to support their union. These are union rules. These are, are, not union rules, these this is NFL uh, CBA rules. Uh, this was agreed upon by the players union and the NFL. And for any player to speak out against their union and what they negotiated on the player's behalf uh, would be would would raise an eyebrow to me. Even if they prefer the hitting, I don't think that they're going to say anything negative about the union. I don't think they're going to say anything negative about the head coach. They'll try to avoid those uh, answers to any of those questions that might uh, start tomorrow after practice because practice resumes tomorrow and there should be uh, the coach and players will talk about this before or after the practice. So it'll be interesting. And Jordan says, you know, this stuff happens all the time. Well, there's been, what, three instances last season it happened with Urban Meyer. We know what kind of a coach Urban Meyer is. He was he actually lost two OTAs because his practices were uh, the hitting in his OTAs, which much more egregious, supposedly, than what uh, they found out with the Bears. And uh, Mike McCarthy of the Dallas Cowboys, a veteran coach who should know better. He had it happen to him. Uh, he lost, uh, I think it was a day of mandatory uh, work- workouts. And so there's been some offenses in the past, but not many. And uh, for the most part, coaches try to adhere to these CBA rules because they know that, you know, you could potentially get a mutiny by some some players complaining about the hitting, saying, hey, you know, this is not part of my uh, negotiated contract. This, this is not part of the union bylaws. So, um, you know, I, I think this is a little bit more serious than a lot of Bears fans are. I, I, I took kind of a, the pulse of what was being talked about in social media. And a lot of uh, fans are just shrugging it off. I, I think this is a, a little bit bigger of a mistake than uh, than I would like to see this new administration come in. Uh, I, I, I just don't like it. I don't like the fact that this has happened. Jordan says, Lyman regularly complained that OTAs always get too handsy and contested despite there being a no contact rule. Yeah, I don't know about that, Jordan. I mean, I, I listened to all these press conferences and over the last few years, I haven't heard many complaints about that. I mean, uh, it, it's been nothing 
egregious, uh, and apparently they thought that this was egregious, that they looked at tape from several practices and they saw the practice that they were that Eberflus was warned against. They saw that continuing, and in some instances, the one report was that it was getting even worse and much more aggressive. So I don't know. Um, uh, Cliff Victoria says, NFL is all about trying to prevent injuries. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and that's part of it. Whether we like it or not, we want to ma- make sure – that our uh, superstars in particular, but all players are protected from uh, from violence. And so if you've got some players who know the rules, I'm not going to go uh, that heavy, but other players are, you know, being given the green light to go a little heavier. That can be a cause of injuries. You know, you got one player going at 70%. You got one player going at 101%. That's not a good thing. Now, whether that happened in practice, I don't know. Hopefully we'll get some answers uh, and get a better picture of that. But my first taste of this is that it's not a good thing. Well, when you add the, the like you said, the, the total context mm-hmm. with Ogan, how do you say it again? Ogan Joby? You got it. All right. I didn't want to fuck that up. But you, you got the context of that on top of it. It does kind of seem like a couple of false starts on the first drive of the, of the game, right? Yeah, right. That's a good way of putting it. Good analogy. Yeah, I, I'm not going to beat a dead horse here. It's over with, and hopefully they'll have a fantastic practice tomorrow. Uh, but do you think that Iberflus needs to address this with the team? Do you think he owes them an apology? Do you think that he uh, should take a different approach and says they're all against us? You know, the Mike Ditka approach, uh, approach everybody hates us, everybody's against us. And that Lovey really, did that too. And Lovey did that too, and that worked for both coaches. Um, what do you think Iberflus should do when he addresses the team tomorrow? I, I I don't know. I, I'm not trying to to hide from your question. No, no, that's fine. I wouldn't. It wouldn't bother me if we never found out, though. If mm-hmm. we can never, if we still haven't found out why Roquan Smith mi- missed that game against Minnesota in 2019. Yeah. So I, I don't care if he addresses this with the media or not. I just don't give a shit. If if he addresses it with the team and they move on, I don't have to have my balls powdered and, you know, like I don't need. <laughs> I don't need to know everything. And this is one of those things, like, if, if they don't tell us exactly what was said, then fuck it. Who cares, man? That's an internal thing. I, I would view it as. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I think that if if they um, stonewall the media tomorrow and if Eberflu says, let's not talk about this. This is internal business. We missed the practice yesterday. I apologize to you guys. You know how you guys know. Uh, how I feel about the importance of practices, but it's over with. Let's focus on what we have to do today or reviewing the tape tonight, whatever point he addresses the team, and and move forward with that and let this die. Uh, Laz uh, says, relax, R-E-L-A-X. I do, don't mind the physical approach they are developing better than the weak-ass attitude they've shown in the past as long as it doesn't escalate with lost draft picks like happened to Seattle Seahawks. I agree with you, uh, Laz, that, um, you know, bending the rules isn't a terrible thing. Just get away with it. <laughs> That's the thing. So if you've been warned before and you're continuing your practices, you, you got to know that the NFLPA is going to ask for the tape and that you're going to get slapped in the wrist and so forth. So, um, but but you're right. I mean, and, and to develop a, a hard-hitting team, maybe maybe that, that was a good sacrifice of, of – losing a practice so that you're instilling in this team a ferocious defense like the 85 bears 
and people are afraid to go over the middle for a pass and people quarterbacks are fearful of uh, the pass rush and so forth. So maybe it is a good thing. I just don't like the these minor missteps that have happened with the Chicago Bears so far under this new regime. All right, let's move on. I think we've beat this topic uh, down. I'm sure that when uh, Tooch comes on a little later, he'll have a thought to share with us. Dan, did you get a chance to listen to Akeem Hicks talk about the Chicago Bears quarterback situation? No, I've just read things on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, it but it, it, it really wasn't uh, much, but I, I, I did pull the soundbite because I wanted you to react to it and other people to talk about it. He was asked, uh, in fact, I, I think I kept the question in here. So let me just play this and uh, then we'll react to it. This is Akeem Hicks uh, making his debut in front of the Tampa Bay media. Uh, he had some really good defense in Chicago, some of those years. Um, but the other side of the ball, sometimes uh, it was a struggle. You didn't have the only quarterback. Now you got Tom Brady, mm. Akeem. Uh, how excited did that get you in terms of being a complete team? I um something I thought of often is that uh you know when I came into the league I had Drew Brees and Tom Brady who were my first two quarterbacks and then I went to Chicago it wasn't Drew Brees and Tom Brady we'll just say that right and um so uh it's um I feel spoiled I feel spoiled to have somebody on the other side of the ball that can deliver all the time and he's proven it over the years was that a drop for you in your free agency this is to be in a, with an established quarterback an established team offense or it's just kind of everything fell into place with Tampa. No, definitely. It was definitely a draw. I, I would say that, um, you know, it benefits a defense to have a quarterback that can control the clock, the ball, and the field position. And um, that's what we have here. Dan, do you think that he was throwing some shade at the Chicago Bears quarterbacks? No. I mean, I think he's just keeping it real. Mm -hmm. I don't, if he wanted to, he could have easily have had malice because. We all know that the 18 team felt like it was ready to do something. Mm -hmm. And he could have easily blamed that. He could have brought up Cody Parkey. He could have brought up Mitch or uh, certainly our, everyone's favorite Mike Glennon. Mm -hmm. But he didn't. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I think he just answered the question in Tampa the best way he could without being malicious. So, again, from what I read, it seemed like much ado about nothing. And that's the way I feel now that I've heard the actual uh, sound on tape. Yeah. I agree with you. I don't think he was um, necessarily being malicious at all. I think that's a good word. Uh, and, but I do think that if he was critical of anyone, he was critical of the Chicago Bears management and not acquiring a, a competent quarterback, one that moves the chains. He went on later to talk about how important it is to have a quarterback out there when he was praising uh, Tom Brady, how important it is uh, to have a quarterback that's moving the chains, that is gobbling up time of possession to give the defense a rest out there. He talked about how important that is. And uh, the Bears quarterback and offensive schemes uh, just never gave him that. Dan, you and I have uh, debated quite uh, a lot about the Bears defense. You like to say they've gone into a siesta and it, that's inarguable in many instances. But at the same time, I would come back and say, well, what about the fucking offense? They're, it's three and out. It's three and out. These poor guys are running out there before they even get a chance to finish their Gatorade. So, um, yeah, but the thing I'll say about the siesta, it would always come after the, <laughs> like if the Bears had a 14 play drive and scored. Yeah, yeah. And it would always be that next possession where the next, the team went 80 yards on them. Yeah. Always. It usually wasn't after the three and out. It's like 
whenever the Bears offense did click, the defense automatically would wilt the next drive. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's especially late in the game, uh, game-winning drives uh, from the opposing team after the Bears have taken a late lead. Uh, we saw that often uh, in all of the seasons that, uh, particularly after Vic Fangio left. Um, but even in that playoff game, if I remember correctly, the Bears scored, took the lead, then the Eagles came back late in the game, took the lead, and then uh, Trubisky had uh, under two minutes to try to – get the team into field goal position. He did with a great long pass to Allen Robinson and then Cody Parkey fucked things up. Um, You're right. I mean, um, I think that is a good way to characterize that, Dan, that they do take siestas after the the offense as putrid as as it's been in the last few years, fights to get a lead late in the game, and then all of a sudden the the Bears defense lets us down. So uh, Yeah, like Nick Foles had like – two or three fourth downs, it felt like, on that drive, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the touchdown to uh, Golden Tate, Tate, as I always call him, because mm-hmm. I hate his fucking gods, mm-hmm. uh, but Golden Tate, uh, wasn't that on fourth down as well? I want, I want to say yes, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. And then you go back years and years, that game that still haunts me to this day, week 17 of 2013 against Green Bay mm-hmm. with the division on the line and the lead and – I know Aaron the, the Randall Cobb game from Rodgers. I know on that last possession, the Bears had three or four fourth downs against Green Bay, and even the play with Cobb was a fourth down. Yeah, it was, and Indeed. they couldn't slam the door. Man, mm-hmm. they just Julius Peppers left left his contain, and oh my uh, the god, and then Chris Conti was just fucking lost because he was an idiot. Yeah, I'm glad to say I got I got to see his career ended with a stiff arm at least. <laughs> and that's right, I'm the meatball fan who hates Chris Conti because the play. I'll own it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Here's one thing about that press conference with Keem Hicks, man. If I was uh, working for the Chicago media, I would have begged to go down there or at the very least put a call into the, the Tampa Bay media department and say, can I get a interview with Hakeem Hicks? I just want to ask him a half dozen questions because we know he's got stored up stories and animosity towards the Chicago Bears and how he was treated or not so much maybe how he was treated although I'm sure he wasn't happy that the contract talks uh, stalled and uh, and he did say during the press conference that he did not talk to the Chicago Bears at all. They didn't contact him at all to uh, look about re-signing him, extending him for, into this season. But I would have liked, uh, I would, and, I, and it's possible it still could happen, a member of the Chicago media to talk to him about, okay, what was your relationship with Matt Nagy? At the, at the end of the last season, you said you were going to wait on sharing some information or your thoughts your opinions on uh, the Bears coaching staff and the Chicago Bears and so forth, and dig all of that out. Because if if I want to hear from any Chicago Bear or former Chicago Bear about the Matt Nagy era, I want to. I'm starting with Akeem Hicks, wouldn't you? Yeah, Kyle Long, maybe. Kyle Long, well, yeah, you know what, where Kyle Long is coming. He hasn't made it. He hasn't not made it uh, a secret of how he feels about Nagy in this organization. I would still like to talk to our OC from 2018 as well, Mark Helfrich. Can, yeah, Mark Helfrich. Uh, he was like a rising star out of college, right? Mm-hmm. And, and just I don't even know what he does now. Where's he at? 
I don't think he's employed, at least in the pro level. So Matt Nagy just killed his fucking career, mm -hmm. even though Helfrich wasn't even calling the plays. Well, it was interesting because he really wasn't so much a rising star. What happened with him, I, I guess he was coaching at Oregon or Oregon State, one of those two uh, Oregon schools. And um, he took over for uh, – who's what's the name of the coach who, was, who went to the Eagles and flopped over there after – Oh, uh, they, they, when, when Nick Foles was the quarterback the first time. They correct, arrived. correct. Um, somebody in the chat will pop up the name. Um, but he took I over – I kept wanting to say Chan Gailey. Obviously, it's not Chan Gailey. <laughs> no, it's not Chan Gailey. It's not Chan Gailey. <laughs> but, yeah, I know – I can see in my head who it is. He was the one that started all of this – this motion with the wide receivers. Chip and Kelly. Run, yeah, Thank yeah, yeah. Running behind like the backs. And mm -hmm. I know Andy Reid does the same shit now, but it feels like that kind of started with him when he came in. He's the one that was up-tempo. We want to run, you know, 129 plays on offense a game or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I just hate that offense. I mean, I like being able to, to be aggressive, mm -hmm. but I, I just – God, I hate the Kansas City offense because there's no – there's absolutely no common sense to it. It's just Andy Reid has just gotten lucky to have Patrick Mahomes. Mm -hmm. Alex Smith did well there for the most part, too, but they didn't win anything. Mm -hmm. And the only reason they've won anything is because of Mahomes. It's, it's taken like his talent to succeed with such a dumb offense. Yeah. When it's just like it's, you know, fourth and one from the half yard line. Well, well of course we're in a shotgun. Mm -hmm. It's just fucking madness. At least go get under the center and go play action or go a naked bootleg. Doug Flutie did that forever in Buffalo. Mm -hmm. Something like just give them something to worry about. But now we've got Andy Dalton. We'll be in the shotgun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he'll get sacked. <laughs> God, it's just no common sense to that offense. I just loathe it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, and Helfrich, uh, succeeded Chip Kelly had a really good season, uh, after, uh, uh, as the first, uh, as a rookie head coach. And then things started to go downhill. Season after season, it just got worse and worse until he was fired. And I think he went a whole season without being employed. And then Nagy brought him in primarily not to run the offense, but to hear some of the concepts and to learn some of the concepts that Chip Kelly ran. He was more of an idea person, more of a consultant than a true offensive coordinator. And, and you got to believe he was probably more of a yes man. And maybe when he stopped being a yes man uh, was when he was uh, uh, released by the Chicago Bears. But Adepta says that he's back in the college ranks, and so he's probably making some money there and, and happy to be far, far away from uh, Matt Nagy. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he could tell us a lot mm -hmm. about the 2018 season if we could talk to him. I don't. I mean, has he ever done any interviews about this? It's, you know, where's uh, – Jason Leisure at when we need him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Jordan is uh, 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 combating your point about a dumb offense. He's, he says, you mean the offense that somehow has been successful with Alex Smith, with Matt Castle, with Pat Mahomes, with Kevin Kolb? With Hold on, with Nick Matt Castle? Uh, yeah, according Matt to Jordan. Matt Castle, what, what in, in 2008 with the Patriots? what went 11 and five and didn't make the playoffs. I mean, great. He did go 11 and five, but he didn't make the playoffs. I don't remember new England running that kind of fucking offense. And if he's talking about Matt castle, anywhere else, the new England, Matt castle was a bust everywhere else. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that Alex Smith did well, but okay. 
I'll counteract that. They had like a 38 to three lead in Indianapolis and kept trying to pass every fucking play instead of running the clock out. And guess what? They lost. Mm-hmm. They lost like a 38 to three lead or 41 to three. It was even worse than Warren Moon in Buffalo mm-hmm. in 1992. I mean, and you could sense it coming because they were just too fucking arrogant to run the ball. Mm-hmm. You know the game I'm talking about, right? Absolutely. In the 2013 playoffs, I think. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. Come on. No. So I think if you take Mahomes out of that, and I, and Alex Smith was a fine player. I'm not trying to to down him, but it's not like he went to the Super Bowl in that offense. Mm-hmm. As far as they got was the second round with him, and I would love to be in the second round as a Bears fan. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying it's not like they had major success until Mahomes got there. Yeah, and uh, Jordan is firing back saying Castle with Kansas City, not with New England or Minnesota. Okay, tell me something Matt Castle did in Kansas City. Well, I I honestly can't uh, because I'm looking at his stats with uh, Kansas City, and he had a losing record during his time there, and this is with him as a starting starting quarterback. 4-11, 10-5, 4-5, and and 1-7 before he was shipped out to uh, the Vikings. And um, his uh, touchdown-interception ratio was not fantastic. It wasn't terrible. In his first year as a starter there, he had 16 touchdowns, 16 interceptions, uh, six touchdowns, seven interceptions, uh, 10 – excuse me, 27 touchdowns, seven interceptions. I got that wrong. Ten uh, In his third season, 10 touchdowns, nine interceptions, and in his final year, six touchdowns and 12 interceptions. So, uh, Jordan, uh, I'm, I'm not sure the stats support your argument that Castle played well at Kansas City under that offense. And, and we should – something we both uh, dropped the ball on last week. I'm trying to pull up the stat now. Mm-hmm. How good Justin Fields was rolling out. And they only called it like 19 times the whole season. I'm trying to find that right now. Okay. Yeah. That he was, was like that... number one in the league and pass efficiency on rollouts, but there was only like 19 rollouts the whole season. That was the Doug Farrar. Bullshit offense. Yeah. That was the Doug Farrar uh, 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 tweet that uh, he, he said that. Jordan says, stop looking at stats, although we talk all the time that numbers don't always tell the whole story. You're absolutely right, Jordan, but we don't have the vantage point. Or of the sh- wins. What wins did Castle have in Kansas City? I'm not trying to contradict the guy. I'm yeah, he saying. had one playoff season, uh, and then three seasons were uh, there were non-playoff and losing losing records. But Jordan, you know, to talk about your point, we don't have the tape to to sit down and analyze the all twenty-two here for the next three hours about what he did. The uh, the bottom line are results, and the results are is that he made one playoff appearance in four seasons at the quarterback in Kansas City. I don't even City. remember who they played against when Castle was the quarterback there. <laughs> That's right. Was he on the bench and Alex Smith started? I don't know. This is um, going back to uh, 2000. He, he left New England after a 10-5 and five season at New England, uh, and we knew that uh, – That was 08, and he, then – Yeah, and we knew that uh, – what's his name? Really wanted him at Denver – uh, yeah, Josh McDaniels, which is what led to Jay Cutler right. and, becoming a Bear. And uh, then uh, he had a 4-11 season and his first season with Kansas City after they couldn't work out Castle to Denver, and they had a 10-5 season, 4-5, and 1-7. So, um, yeah, I mean, you can you can 
look at this in uh, multiple different ways, and I'm, I'm sure both of you guys would have really good points on this, but the fact of the matter is that nobody thinks of Matt Castle as being a great executor of this offense. Uh, no, so. here's the tweet, by the way. Justin Fields had the NFL's highest passer rating at 138.5 on design rollouts, and the Bears called them on only 19 of Fields' attempts. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about with the offense. Mm-hmm. It's just it. It's like Mitch could have benefited from the same the same type of offense as well. And like, go back to that Chargers game. I can't remember if it was San Diego or Los Angeles. I've brought this up on air before, but it's so you know, it just it's it's a microcosm of Matt Nagy that you know they're, they're booed off the field at halftime. They come out and they start running the fucking I formation. They go right down the field and score with David Montgomery and have a good second half. Of course. We have a missed field goal to lose the game because that's what we do, you know. And uh, and then after the game, Matt Nagy said, well, I wasn't brought here to run the I formation. Mm-hmm. It's because you can't recognize when you're into a rhythm or or the talent that's on your team. It's just like this offense is, is so arrogant mm-hmm. that you do what – sorry, I coughed. You, you do what you think you want to do when you're not even looking at what your opponent's doing. Mm-hmm. Or the variables. What are we having success with? Well, if we can't stop, you know, the pass rush and Fields is getting killed, why don't we just run Andy Dalton's style of offense for him, Mm -hmm. as we saw in Cleveland, without making any adjustments? Mm -hmm. That's the Kansas City offense to me. It's just incapable of making adjustments. They had a big lead on Cincinnati last year in the AFC Championship game. They're just fucking incapable of making adjustments. Mm-hmm. And the momentum went went straight from them because they run that stupid play at the end of the first half with Tyree Kill and the little thing where he doesn't get in. So it's just like you're unable to see. And look, I'm just a guy in a chair. I'm not any smarter than Andy Reid, but I'm saying the offense is very arrogant in my opinion. Uh, uh, Adeptus does a nice job of crystallizing Jordan's point here, saying that Jordan's point is that Matt Castle reached his ceiling under that offense, it has the potential to bring out the best from players. Um, certainly does, but it depends a lot on who is I, – I will say it appears that it does, but it depends on who's running that offense. If Matt Nagy is running that offense, it clearly does not have uh, – clearly, clearly didn't bring out the best in Andy Dalton, Justin Fields, Mitchell Trubisky, and any one of uh, Nick Foles. Couldn't, couldn't uh, get him back to where it was. Yeah, Mahomes is the outlier here. Mm-hmm. Mahomes is the reason they won the Super Bowl. And, and then the next year, they're in the Super Bowl again. Mm-hmm. And Mahomes is getting his dick knocked in the dirt every other fucking play by Tampa's rush. And what are they doing? They're passing 44 times. That's exactly my point. Like, make some fucking adjustments. Mm-hmm. Like, you see Mahomes getting his ass knocked in the – I mean, literally, just every other play is getting hit hard and hard and harder – but they just like, we're going to keep trying. We're going to keep, you know, that's what I don't understand about the offense. Like it, it, it just, you cannot make adjustments. We said this about Matt Nagy the whole time he was here. Mm-hmm. He had a game plan. They would come out flat as fuck and, and go in the second half. And if they had a lead or something, the other team would always make a good adjustment and we couldn't adjust to their adjustment. Mm-hmm. Or if we were down and went the, the halftime, very rarely did they be like, well, we saw in the first half, you know, David Montgomery was doing well on traps, and so, but we only ran it like four times. So the second half, we came out and fed him the ball. You don't really hear those kind of stories mm-hmm. where they find something they were doing well and just stick with it. 
Mm-hmm. But I'm on, I'm on a soapbox. I don't mean to denigrate these gentlemen's opinions. If they disagree with me, their opinion is as valid as mine. But I, I will take umbrage with Matt Castle being an example of that being a success in the offense. Yeah, you know, I think um, the, New England wasn't running that offense, right? Um, no, they ran, no, no. Tom Brady wasn't doing that. Right. And so arguably, uh, Castle had his best season as a pro with New In England. In 2008 with Belichick and Josh McDaniels. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, there's a lot of factors when, when you're looking at this. And, and, and the best way always, of course, to – look at this is not only some of the data but mostly the tape you know to and and you 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 include you know who is the personnel that he's throwing to who is the personnel that that is blocking for him what was the strength of the schedule and so forth i mean you can use so many things to factor into who is uh who played well and stuff and and that leads me to the chart that I sent you, Dan, that was put together by Pro Football Focus and was good segue. <laughs> Thank you. It was mocked this morning on Good Morning Football by uh, oh, what's the guy's name? Kyle. Uh, Kyle, man, he's a, he's really good at co-hosting that show. By the way, Kay Adams is sorely missed on Good Morning Football. Wherever you are, Kay Adams, please get a job so that we can see and hear is you. She gone. Yeah, she left like permanently. About, uh, yes, uh, it is rumored that she is going to be the uh, host of the Amazon TV pregame show, uh, pre uh. and postgame show. Uh, although she has not signed a contract yet, uh, this being three weeks after she left the NFL Network. So hopefully, there's not a hiccup there because I think she'd be great at that. She's a rising star. Uh, among studio hosts and commentators. Uh, not that I value her football acumen above others, but she's just a really good broadcaster. And uh, so I, I wish her a lot of luck. But let me put up that graphic. Uh, where is it? Oh, here it is. And so this was on the NFL Network today. According to Pro Football Focus, they ranked the top coaches uh, not in terms of eyeballing it, but they put together an algorithm, a model that took into effect the personnel that they had, took into effect the competition that they played against, and uh, so that they could say if the playing field was even, if these guys were coaching the same people, these would be your best head coaches in the NFL. Number one, Bill Belichick. Number two, John Harbaugh. Number three, Andy Reid, and then it starts to get a little controversial here. Four, Cliff Kingsbury of the Cardinals. Five, Pete Carroll. Six, Matt LaFleur. Can I interrupt you immediately? Please do. How is Cliff Kingsbury ahead of... (laughs) That's what I said. It starts to get controversial. (laughs) Granted, Pete Carroll should have won two Super Bowls, and it's his fault that they didn't. Mm -hmm. But at least one that they hammered Denver mm-hmm. and they should have beat new England cliff Kingsbury cliff Kingsbury. I mean, I know he had Mahomes in college, but I mean, the uh, I'll, I'll answer why they put him here because I've got the article in front of me. So according to what was written by pro football focus, cliff Kingsbury outside of quarterback, Kyler Murray and wide receiver, Deandre Hopkins, Kingsbury has not had much to work with in terms of offensive talent in the desert yet. He still managed to make the offense hum 
Unfortunately, Kingsbury has left much to be desired on the defensive side of the ball thus far. Nonetheless, they rated him number four. As for Carroll, while Carroll's tenure in Seattle will certainly be defined by the Legion of Boom years, it is worth appreciating that the Seahawks have managed to field solid defenses for the better part of a decade. His tenure will also be defined by the less let Russ Cook movement, which advocated for giving now Broncos quarterback Russell Wilson more opportunities to shine amid Carroll's noted reliance on the running game. Well, there was a lot of times in Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson's tenure in the last couple of years mm -hmm. uh, where he was taking a lot of sacks. So if Seattle's having a problem protecting him and they're like, well, we need to pound the rock i mean <laughs> to me that's smart football you don't want to get russ killed you know mm -hmm. well and let me continue with the second half of this top 10 matt lafleur at six cal shanahan at seven so they got lafleur over shanahan mike vrabel of the titans at eight frank reich of the colts at nine and at ten Drum roll, please. The, the all-time fuck-up of head coaches, Mike McCarthy of the Dallas Cowboys. See, I can't say that about Matt, uh, about Mike McCarthy because, again, he came into Soldier Field and, and ruined my dreams two different times and also won a Super Bowl. You can say what you want about uh, it's all on Rodgers or whatever, but Rodgers hasn't won one without him. That is true, but... Um, in my opinion, Mike McCarthy should have had two or three Super Bowls with the talent that he had. You got a guy that sucks in the playoffs every year, then gets a pass for it, Aaron Rodgers. Well, and maybe that's McCarthy's problem is that he has not utilized the talent that Rodgers possesses in a way to uh, yield more championships. Let's see what they wrote about uh, Mike McCarthy here at number 10. Let me pull this up here. While there were criticisms of McCarthy's play calling in Green Bay, he doesn't call plays in Dallas. He has had no issues helming prolific offenses throughout his career. His Achilles heel, however, is his seeming inability to oversee defensive performances that live up to his team's talent level. I, I'm just not buying this about Mike McCarthy. The the fact that McCarthy is ahead of Sean McVay on this list is just ridiculous to me. Totally, totally ridiculous. Now, unfortunately, there were no Chicago Bears uh, coaches. Uh, Matt Eberflus wasn't on there because he's a rookie coach. But I do have a, a complete chart. It is. Uh, I'll put that up on the screen. It looks like an eye uh, test. Uh, and uh, it's interesting that they have Lovey Smith towards the bottom. And this is what they write about Lovey Smith. Uh, they had him at number 17. Smith is perhaps the largest approximation on this list, considering he has not been the head coach of an NFL team since 2015. Based on his prior results, though, he lives up to his reputation as a defensive mind, although it remains to be seen if his covered two heavy style will still hold up in today's NFL. This is, to me, this whole exercise here, you know, I, I give them an A for effort and a D minus for results. I don't think this thing is very good. I just, I just don't. I, it's it's just a list to uh, argue about, mock. In most you cases, think that's why Cliff Kingsbury is so high, just to get people talking. You know what? I do, I do like Cliff Kingsbury as a head coach. Should he be ahead of Sean McVay? No, 
I don't I don't think so. Going to two Super Bowls and won one. Now, arguably, not arguably, inarguably, uh, uh, Sean McVay has had much, much better talent than Cliff Kingsbury. But uh, I still would put Sean McVay higher than Kingsbury because Kingsbury's been using a lot of the ideas that Sean McVay has innovated uh, for his offense. So I don't know. Let me twist this around. Okay. That would be like, pardon me. If in the NBA they say, "Oh, well, you know, Phil Collins is or Phil Collins, Phil Jackson isn't that good of a coach because he had Michael Jordan, he had Scottie Pippen, he had Kobe, he had Shaq." I mean, just fucking show the rings, man. True. Fuck your, fuck your criticism. Yeah, he had to have great players to win those rings, but he won the rings, and to me, that that winning matters. True, you know, and. Of course, we can't dig into all the factors that they put into this algorithm because, you know, it's too intense and and it would be a boring 20 minutes discussing this thing. And and just the questions that it would raise, well, why wasn't this count included? You know, the fact that he did make good calls in, in playoff games and, and things like that. So the the methodology is probably totally off, uh, which is why you got these bizarre results but i do have an appreciation for cliff kingsbury as head coach i once put up on twitter cliff this was uh in the season 2019 or 20 i uh i put cliff kingsbury is a better coach than matt nagy holy shit that people come after me bears fans are like what are you fucking idiot what are you talking about you goddamn well guess what I think I've been proven right. <laughs> and uh, I think that if Cliff Kingsbury was coaching uh, Justin Fields last season, I think the, he would still be the coach. And if Matt Nagy was co- coaching the Arizona Cardinals, uh, he would have been fired a long time ago because they go through coaches pretty quickly for the most part over there. Uh, but it is what it is. I thought it was an interesting uh, discussion tool. Uh, I'll put it up one more time. Belichick, who can argue with that, right? I don't give I, a fuck what algorithm. cheating. And all that shit, but you know that what? is a great point, Dan. I mean, shouldn't the algorithm take into account that they have been accused of cheating and found guilty of, of cheating a number of times? I would think so, but just because of all those Super Bowl appearances, if you tell me he's number one, even in the fact we don't we can't really quantify how much the cheating helped. I can, again can give you the story that Jake Delome told Chicago Sports Radio. When the Bears hired John Fox, you know, because uh, again, allegedly they videotaped the Panthers. Mm-hmm. So they go in the first half and like everything they're doing isn't working. They've got three points. So they have the extended halftime. So he gets with Fox and we can say what we want about Fox, but he told him to change it all up. Mm-hmm. They come out with a completely different offense and explode for 26 points in the second half. Unfortunately, they still lost. But like DeLome was like, man, they knew everything that was coming. I mean, they allegedly videotaped the Rams, the Rams, the the greatest show on turf, and they couldn't get going until they made changes in the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. And then uh, uh, Andy Reid's Eagles, they allegedly filmed the Eagles. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm just saying, like, some of that, it's all speculation on what could have been and what, but that's got to play into a little bit. But I won't even argue Belichick is number one. I'm just saying he – to me, if Barry Bonds can't get into the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. if Roger Clemens can't get into the Hall of Fame, if Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire can't get into the Hall of Fame, then I 
like this guy deserves an asterisk mm-hmm. from all the fucking Great cheating point. allegations. Mm-hmm. Like to me, like again, if you take general, I mean, I know the the two Hall of Fames are completely different on how they vote people in, but I'm just saying, if you're talking about the best pitcher of his generation, and and, and Pete Rose can't get in, and gambling is way less significant than altering your body, I think we could all agree with the illegal substances allegedly. Mm-hmm. But if the greatest pitcher of his generation can't get in, and the best hitter of his generation can't get in, then how can the coach who has cheated for 20 years get in the Hall of Fame. It just isn't right, man. But if you're going to say he's number one, okay. But I, I don't know how you put Pete Carroll or Sean McVay. Behind. Again, I'm not on McVay's dick or anything, but they did win the Super Bowl, and he's gone twice. But how can you put them behind Cliff Kingsbury? Okay, Cliff is showing some promise, but they lost a wild card game. I get it. That's better than what the Bears have done. Mm-hmm. And we've gone to the wild. We've gone to the playoffs once since you know Obama's first term. <laughs> I get it, but still, fuck, man. Like the guy can't be in the top ten. What have you done for me lately, right? The Janet Jackson song. <laughs> this how's this guy in the top ten? It's it's maddening. Yeah, that's why I'm happy that uh, Tom Brady. Although I think he was an accomplice in some of this cheating, I do believe that there were that there were certain things that happened with the Flategate that were against Tom Brady. At the very least, the way he defended the accusations and when he was asked in a press conference, did you cheat? He goes, I don't think so. Well, what kind of response is that? It's a yes or no question. And I don't think so means that you're leaving the door open for people to speculate and look into whether you cheated. And there was a, a supposed, supposedly uh, 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 a, a report done by a, a nonpartisan uh, uh, attorney, I think it was Fre- uh, Mueller who did the uh, Trump uh, investigation. He came up with the, uh, evidence, and I, I'll use quotation marks, evidence that there was some cheating involved. And so I'm, my point being is that I'm glad that uh, Brady got away from Belichick and won that Super Bowl. It really has helped his image as one of the all-time great, if not the best quarterback of all time, to go out there to Tampa Bay at his age, in his first season with a new team, to win a Super Bowl. That was huge for his legacy. Uh, but I think, yes, Bill Belichick's legacy will always be tarnished by the evidence, the 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 evidence he, of cheating. There's no doubt about he it. He allegedly, allegedly, when the road team would go out onto the field to do their warm-ups, mm-hmm. would send ball boys in to steal playbooks mm-hmm. from, from their locker room. Mm-hmm. And Rex Ryan alleged that they bugged the Jets' hotel. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that was when they were going into the championship game, right? And, right, right, right. Uh, and no, see, they played Pittsburgh in 09 in the title game. And 20, yeah, it was, yeah, it was Pittsburgh uh, in 2010. Who was in 09 then? Uh, Super Bowl 44, uh, the Colts. The Colts went and lost to the Saints. Oh, that's right. So I guess they lost the title games to those two teams. But somewhere along the way, Rex said that the Patriots bugged their hotel when they were in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I mean, who's gonna just? This isn't George Allen just being paranoid here. I mean, these are well-documented instances. I mean, hell, remember a couple of years ago, years after they were videotaping those Super Bowls that I referenced, they got caught videotaping in Cincinnati a few years ago. Mm-hmm. 
like the week before they were going to play the Bengals, they had somebody there videotaping. Mm-hmm. And the Bengals sucked that year too, but they, they, they're still doing it. Mm. That's allegedly, there was this long article that ESPN came up with a couple of years ago that was like 29 pages, even on your phone, man. Just It was so well done that said basically the commissioner was like, because he was friends with the owner of the Patriots, that uh, he basically helped cover up their cheating with the videotapes and stuff. But it was with the, the knowledge, you better quit, the, you better cut this shit out. So when they got caught cheating again with the footballs in the, the, the air, that's why he suspended Brady so long, the four games, was because I, he's like, I fucking told you so. Mm-hmm. I could have hammered you on the other shit, and I gave you a break. Right. And so that's why the commissioner came down hard on him, according to that article. Right. Uh, James Harris says, if, if Belichick's legacy is tainted, so is Brady's. Brady was literally suspended. Um it's a good point. Uh, it's a, it's they a, did lose a first-round pick, right? Uh, that is correct. That is correct. So it's not like we're talking about conspiracies that don't exist. Mm-hmm. I mean, this shit happened, and people forget about it, and it's just kind of swept away. They, they have <laughs> a legacy of just being uh, deceitful. Mm-hmm. And uh, for years, Mike Tomlin said, anytime Pittsburgh would go in there, their headset would always go out. Mm-hmm. And there was a, an opening night game, a Thursday night game, a couple of years ago when Pittsburgh was in New England. And Tomlin said in their headset, they kept getting the Patriots radio announce team. And then the referee would come over and it would go back to their regular, you know, their regular s- signal. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't prove it. But as soon as the ref went over there and started, their shit would <laughs> fall out. And the Patriots radio announce team would come in. <laughs> I just, that. I mean, that shit just doesn't happen. Yep. <laughs> and you know, the Saints got away with that too with their championship. They uh, were allegedly uh, listening in to the road team's headsets in the Superdome. Mm-hmm. And you, you had the Bounty Gate and all that. So Sean Mc, or not Sean McVay, Sean Payton, mm-hmm. uh, you know, has a little dirt on him too for that shit. Yeah. Well, and for that matter, I mean, you can go all the way back to George Hallis or claims that, you know, he would do he would do stuff about stealing playbooks and, and stuff like that. So cheating has been a part of the game for a long time. And a lot of people who have had uh, a lot of success in the NFL have, have been proven to have had some infractions against them or cheating or whatever you want to call them. And a lot of people who have tried to cheat and uh, got away with it, uh, but don't have the results. So it, it could work both ways. Mule Skinner says, why is Mike Tomlin not in the top 10? Uh, and, exactly. And, and James says McCarthy over Tomlin and McVay. That's ridiculous. And I totally agree with you guys. Now I understand that per- perhaps that, that algorithm puts so much emphasis on the fact that Tomlin had Ben Roethlisberger for all his years and that when you have a tremendous quarterback like that, but why then is Bill Belichick number one? Because he had Tom Brady and he had uh, a lot of outstanding Hall of Fame caliber players too. So um, the the folks over at PFF, uh, another black eye for them. All right, let's bring in that guy who has never had a black eye in his life because he is a street fighter, because he knows how to uh, how to jab, how to sway, how to move from left to right. He is, of course, Johnny Sanducci. How are you, brother? Hello, men. 
<laughs> we are here, man. We are here. What do you think about the debate? And I'll be listening as I run to the washroom real quick. But what do you think? What do you think about the debate we were just having here? I'm pro football focus, boy. I just dropping, you know, like a rock in my in people's opinions. It's like, Cliff Kingsbury, number four. Come on, he was on the hot. I, I, there was a lot of talk last year, Dan, about how Kingsbury was going to get fired. Exactly, and they had a meltdown the year before, uh, the, the when the Bears lost to the Saints in the wild card game. They had to have the Cardinals lose a couple of games at the end for them just to make it. Yeah, and uh, that happened thankfully for us to even qualify for that postseason. And thank you for uh, that, Cliff Kingsbury. And then last year they started out what like seven and zero, seven and one, something, and uh, just yep. barely made it and lost to the Rams in the wild card. So. They've had two seasons in a row where their team has kind of collapsed down the stretch. Yeah, Sean McVay, not even in the top 10. He just won a Super Bowl. You know, they, did they forget, you know, about that? Yeah, exactly. You know, and then uh, 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 Sean McDermott, not in the top 10 either. I'd put him up there too. He's been, you know, uh, that team has been uh, at the top of the division in the playoffs for the past few years. Just, yeah, silly list. And uh, earlier, I guess you heard the Matt Castle stuff. I mean, what, <laughs> I was—I don't think I was off base on Matt Castle. <laughs> I was listening to the Matt Castle fan club show. It was great. <laughs> Man, Matt fucking Castle. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that uh, Jordan on when next his next appearance on the Barroom Network is going to go out of his way to defend Matt Castle and break, off breaking down Matt Castle tape next yeah. next on Barroom Network. <laughs> Good stuff. And uh, Tooch, I did hear you saying that Sean McDermott uh, deserves to be on that list, and I yeah. could not agree with you more. I mean, let's remember, McDermott was there for uh, Allen's first year as quarterback, right? And, and basically oversaw that transformation that Allen had. So I don't know how they set up this algorithm to come up with these these names in that order, but the fact that you took a, a head coach – took a quarterback who looked like a bust in his rookie season and then made him into perhaps a top two, three quarterback in the NFL. I mean, that, that should blow the algorithm up completely and, and, and automatically put Sean McDermott in the top 10. And then the fact that he's done such a great job of, uh, of uh, working with some of the talent on that team isn't exactly all pro but they've delivered all pro type results for the bills. Uh, I, I, I think that uh, McDermott definitely de deserves to be out there. Uh, Jordan says, Barfly, send your high school tape in and I'll go through it. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan is a great guy. He is uh, taking more and more of a bigger role here at the Barroom Network. We've got announcements coming up soon. So uh, looking forward to all that, uh, Jordan, from you. All right, I want to switch topics here, and uh, I'm so glad that Tooch is here to comment on some of this. Aaron Rodgers met with the media today. So um, I hate to do this to you, Dan. <laughs> so far, I need to get ready to be pissed off. <laughs> exactly, because I know. I'm going to be like, uh, 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 fuck, Virginia, when she was pissed off. And Mark Tressman. Yes. <laughs> That's I'm, be right I'm just going to, in my mind, this will be playing uh, as uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers is answering questions. Fuck you.
<laughs> you know how much I hated that show, buddy. <laughs> it had nothing to do with anyone else. That fucker is, is, is delivered. And I, the graphic that I have up, Dan, is delivered exa- uh, directly at Aaron Rodgers. It's not to anybody else. That fuck you is for Aaron Rodgers uh, forevermore. So this is... Uh, Rogers talking about wait, wait a minute we got to answer this uh, J2K uh, Larsonette says what's everyone's thoughts on Mitchell Trubisky winning comeback player of the year go ahead uh, uh, Santucci I see this sly smile on your face <laughs> I think he's in a great situation over there in uh, mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh with a coach who surprisingly was off the ten, top 10 list for some mm-hmm. unknown reason you know he's got nothing to lose there you know, yeah. he's on a one-year contract. Why not go for it all? You know, he's got uh, – there's some De- Deontay Johnson's a heck of a receiver. He's got a great running back who probably catch 70 passes next year. Uh, they've got decent tight end, too. Uh, he's, you know, decent offensive line, great defense. I don't mm-hmm. see why – I mean, I don't, I don't know about uh, winning comeback player of the year. I, th- I think he could be in the mix. I mean, he he's kind of like uh, – uh, a redheaded stepchild of the NFL, though, you know, I mean, he, it might be like taboo to vote for. Him. I don't know, you know, but he's in a great situation. If, if the Steelers make the playoffs and, and Mitch goes like what, 12 and five mm-hmm. or something, you have to talk about it. Oh, for sure. If if he quarterbacks all 17 games this season and they make it to the playoffs with a record like that, absolutely. He would be a primetime candidate. But the question is, Dan, do you think that could happen? I mean, I wish him well. I do. Um, but I think the kid from Pitt is going to be playing. I think he's going to be the way Mike Glennon started out a couple of years. It was his year, remember? Mm-hmm. It, this was my year, Mike Glennon said. And it lasted four games. Mm-hmm. Maybe Mitch's will come from, it could be from an injury or poor play. I think late in the year, the kid they drafted is going to be playing. Mm. It, it, I, that'd I, be I great, though, Danny. Well, I do. Uh, it, it's it'd be it would be ironic for for Mitch to get Glennoned, you know. It's like, exactly. You know, I, I know we had the, we had the uh, Akeem Hicks tape earlier on where he took you know some supposed shots or being real at the Bears quarterbacks. Two years ago, he did the same thing when he talked about the Bears not signing Colin Kaepernick and signing Mike Glennon instead. I don't know if you guys remember that. Mm-hmm. But uh, he isn't the first time he's knocked Bears brass uh, quarterback decision making. Mm-hmm. But not a surprise. Um, here's uh, something interesting that to me would almost uh, say to me, there's just no fucking way. <laughs> the odds for the 2022 <laughs> comeback player of the year, according to Fox bet, uh, Derek Henry. Yeah. I mean, to me, I'm putting my money on Derek Henry. Um, second is Jameis Winston. Uh, Henry, by the way, was plus 300. Lay $100 down and you win 300. Is that the way it yep, works? Uh, correct. Okay. Yep. Plus 700 for Jameis Winston, plus 800 for Michael Thomas, um, plus 900 for Jones, the quarterback, plus 1300 for Ravens running back J.K. Dobbins. And then coming in at six, uh, Mitchell Trubisky at plus 1400. Oh, and by the way, he's tied with Deshaun Watson. At plus fourteen hundred. Yeah, I mean, Robert Quinn didn't win this award. I agree with you, Dan. Comeback player uh, Quinn should have won it. Yep. Like Deshaun's in a perfect spot. Seventeen and a half, eighteen and a half, and he doesn't even get it. Mm -hmm. With you, isn't Deshaun Watson in a perfect spot though? 
Oh you know? yeah. He, he, he hasn't been in football. He's got a, a cloud of controversy behind him. And then he, you know, steps into Cleveland who has a pretty darn good defense. And then oh, you know, hold on, Nick- uh, Watson allegedly said last week, there's nothing wrong with receiving happy endings after a massage. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm all for it. Stop talking. He does. <laughs> he does. Uh, I'm all for it for the record, Aldo. <laughs> yeah. Happy endings. We don't know that I am. <laughs> no, but, but yeah, it's uh, a perfect situation for Deshaun Watson. You know, to come back, he's on a pretty good team. You know, better mm-hmm. than where he was. You know, he's got some decent receivers and he's got a uh, 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 decent uh, running backs. You know, you got yeah. Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. You can do a lot. Just hand the ball off always and make a few plays. You know, he's in a great position. You know, they were almost. Or, a playoff team last year. They just missed the playoffs, or they were in the playoffs, weren't they? Uh, they were in wild card. Did they miss, just miss? They just I missed out. I thought they were in, but um, but did you guys see the excerpt from one of the lawsuits where the woman makes recalls her what she uh, is alleging she experienced with Watson that she was massaging him. And he said, just concentrate on my chest and my abdomen uh, area. And so she, she does that for a while. Uh, He didn't want any massage on his back uh, and, and only had a small towel uh, uh, over him. And then he requested now do my thighs, my inner thighs. And when she started on that, he said, please go up higher. No, higher. No, higher. And then she started, like, uh, touching his scrotum, and that's when she became alarmed because he didn't say anything. And so uh, he started to get an erection. And so then she continues the massage with his erection, but she, she claims that he became fully aroused in that moment and started to stroke himself and said oh, to her, Please uh, feel free to touch it. You, you you don't have to be afraid. Go ahead and touch it. And that's when she backed away and he stood up and started masturbating furiously. And his semen, she alleges, some of it fell on her chest and some of it on her face. And that's when she ran out of room uh, in um, uh, in terror. Or that's my word, not hers. So Although you scared Bear Man away with that story. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Bear Man. <laughs> if that can be proven, yeah. <laughs> How do you prove that? I don't know. Well, if that could be proven that he, I mean, maybe if she had come on her face and ran out, maybe I don't know. Maybe they did something. Like maybe there's video of it or something on a phone. You know, <laughs> like everyone's got a cell phone. You come out of the room crying with, with with semen on your face. Yeah. Maybe someone recorded that for posterity. But I'm just saying, if that can be proven that. He beating his fucking cock and coming all over the fucking place. And I mean, that man, he should, he didn't play last year. I don't know why. I mean, he hadn't been suspended yet. But if you told me he got suspended for a year, Mm -hmm. that's way worse than a lot of players have got. Like, I know Adrian Peterson's was like abusing kids, which was awful. Don't get me wrong. But in some ways, this is worse. I agree with you if these allegations are true or even if some of them are true, uh, because there could be women just hopping on the bandwagon and saying, oh, he did it to me too, to try to get money. Who knows what is the, the truth here? But I, I, you know, when there's so many coming women coming forward, I tend to agree with uh, on, side on, on the side of women. 
you know, this, this is not 23 women. This was another woman that came forward with a lawsuit uh, just this past week. So my hope is, is that they can get to the truth and that the penalty uh, that Deshaun Watson or any player that behaves in that manner is suspended for a couple of years and maybe even consideration that he doesn't belong in the National Football League because it, that's reprehensible. Yeah, suspended, I would right? remember Brown's management. Mm-hmm. I would say, look, we're trying to stick by you. We've given you all this guaranteed money, give up all these draft picks for, for the considerable future. You are going to receive your massages from heterosexual males. <laughs> there you go. You, you, need, you need massages because you're going to get hit all day. We get it. But we don't want you putting yourself in this scenario anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh but where were we? What were we talking about? He, he hasn't been reinstated, right? Uh, he, oh, that's a good question. I don't think he has. I don't You're think right. he has either. But yeah, he. Uh, I I think he had a meeting with the NFL. The problem is, is the NFL has not interviewed any of the women making these allegations. I mean, you would think they would talk to maybe you know, there's 23 women making these allegations. You think they would talk to one or two or three? <laughs> Um, but they haven't. Ben Roethlisberger could be swept under the rug. You know, when you expect the NFL to do much in this case either. It's a great point, Tooch. That's a great point. The NFL did, uh, in fact, you know, look the other way when the allegations that uh, Ben Roethlisberger took his dick out in a washroom when he and this woman were there and uh, basically told her, go ahead, you know, go to go to work. And uh, I thought he fucked her against the sink. Is what did he? Did he? Okay, you you would know better because I I. My memory is is so bad. I, I think that was the allegation that was made, and then didn't he have some kind of fucking motorcycle wreck or something on top of that? That is right. That is right. He's a good citizen now, though they say. <laughs> I don't know. All Foster, right, let's get Foster to- covers enjoying the show tonight, Aldo. <laughs> yes. Uh, let's say uh, that uh, Jordan says they prefer this go away, Aldo. They don't want their stars not playing. You're absolutely right, Jordan. You're absolutely right. They are trying to do everything possible to uh, tr- uh, help Jordan, excuse me, uh, uh, Deshaun Watson out on this. There's no doubt in my mind. All right, let's uh, let's talk to Aaron Rodgers here. This is his response to the whole Devontae Adams thing. You know, he's asked, uh, you know, what did you have to do with the Devontae Adams negotiations and so forth? So that was the very first question that was posed to him. This is 45 seconds long. Aaron, when was it that you found out about Devontae and how did you find out? I mean, I was in the conversation the entire time. Devontae and I have, uh, you know, been close friends over the years, so... I was in the conversations with him. We had, you know, many heart-to-hearts. Um, and ultimately, you know, he felt like he wanted to be in Las Vegas and uh, asked me to help him get there. So in the end, it was, uh, you know, the only option uh, in, in his mind, and, and that's what he wanted. What was your first reaction when you found out from him that, that he wanted to be somewhere else? I love Devontae, so, you know, I was, I was obviously disappointed, but um, not going to stand in his way. Uh, you know, as he pursues the next step in his career. What a jag off. <laughs> Wait a minute. Dan says it better. Fuck you! <laughs> um, first of all, why didn't anyone follow up and say, when, when Aaron says that Devonta said, help me get there, 
to to the Raiders. Why didn't anyone follow up and say, well, what specifically, what kind of help can you provide? You know, and, and what did you do? Wouldn't that be an obvious follow up to that? Uh, but to me, this is a black eye on the Aaron Rodgers legacy. It was clear that because of the weird contract that Aaron Rodgers had set up with the Packers, who are at the end of the season, Rodgers can say, okay, I've had enough. I'm not going to play anymore. And then Devontae Adams would be stuck with a five-year contract, four more years remaining on a contract with who the fuck knows would be the quarterback. Jordan Love? He probably saw enough of Jordan Love in practice to say, yeah, I got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> so it is just, to me, it's another black eye for Rodgers that he did, he could not convince Devontae Adams to stick around with him to be his Batman to his Robin or his Robin to his Batman, however the fuck you want to put it. It's just not a good look for Rodgers. What do you guys think? Rodgers could have taken a little less money, and Adams definitely would have stayed. Well, the thing is, and I do believe this is true, the way the contract was structured, it it did allow enough money under the salary cap to uh, re-sign Devontae Adams. So that was not an issue. And the the Packers have said that we made an offer – to him that was even greater than the Raiders made to him, but he just really wanted to play out West with his buddy, Derek Carr, and he wanted his family to live out uh, West. And I, I think they were just tired of Green Bay. I mean, have you ever been to Green Bay? It's a really fucked up. <laughs> I've never been in the state of Wisconsin, thankfully. Uh, maybe when you come here, I'm going to drive you up there so that you could see how totally wretched it is. <laughs> <laughs> Which visit? Any one of the two. We'll take got it. two coming up this season. Yeah, we'll we'll be dressed in full Bears regalia and we'll walk into a bar and kick ass, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, dude, what do you think about what he said about Adams? You, you, you think I'm making too much of this, or I'm just picking on Rogers because he's he's pickable? <laughs> I mean, it, it, to me, it seems like it, it's obviously a thorn in his side. You know, without his best receiver, he's got. There's got to be some concern. He's not going to have as good a numbers or as good a season. Oh my gosh! You know, Adams Adams is a stud. Mm -hmm. I'm staying away from him as a fantasy quarterback. Uh, Now, I do think that his running backs are going to be catching a lot of passes, and so those guys are going to be good fantasy pickups. But the wide receivers, well, let's listen to. Rodgers himself talk about the wide receivers at, at camp. When you look at your wide receiver room, you talked about opportunities. How excited are you about the potential that that group has this season? I like production over potential. Um, yeah, we have some production. We have a lot of potential. So we need to uh, we need to temper expectations uh, and heighten yeah. the accountability. I think that's the right. most important thing for those guys. There's uh, there's guys who've done some things in the league, and there's guys that haven't. They're going to get opportunities. So reasonable expectations for those guys, and then high expectations and accountability for the entire room. Excited about Randall. We played a lot of football together. Excited about Sammy. Excited about Alan Lazard. I mean, he's he's been our uh, dirty work guy for most of his career here. Now he's got an opportunity to be uh, a number one receiver. So. I'm, I'm not worried about him at all stepping in that role. I've talked to him a lot. Uh, I know how he takes care of his body, and uh, I know he'll be ready when he's here. Alan Lazard is a guy that I, I particularly I was craving for him for, to come to the Chicago Bears. Big 
target, excellent downfield blocker would help any team's running game and so forth. But the fact that he wasn't there, he still hasn't signed his exclusive rights contract, tells me that he probably is not happy with this organization either. You know, they made Devontae Adams this big offer, and now he he's definitely kind of slated as the number one uh, wide receiver. He caught more touchdown passes than anybody else except Devontae Adams last season. So, you know, Lazard not being there is another issue with this draft. And now they've got Romeo Dubs and they've got Christian Watson, these two young wide receivers. But it, it takes a while. I mean, even you look at Devontae Adams and Jordan uh, Jordy Nelson, uh, Rodgers, two top receivers uh, 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 during his tenure at, at Green Bay. And those it took a while for those guys to get up to the 60, 70, 80, 90 catch level. It didn't happen in the first two or three seasons. So this this yeah, passing Nelson offense, goes back to when Brett Favre was still there. Who who I'm saying who again? Jordy Nelson was there oh, going back right. to when Favre was there. That's how long it took him to bloom into a star, is what I'm saying. That's right. That's right. Uh, Nomad says Getsy told Lazard not to sign. Oh, that would be cool. <laughs> if, if you, I bet you Getsy loves Alan Lazard, that big target. Uh, uh, yeah, I bet you that, man, oh man, if it, the Bears can get their hands on them, I would be, feel so much better about this wide receiver core. Uh, uh, yeah. any, any thoughts on the wide receivers that uh, Green Bay has? Or am, am I being too down on them let's for, let's not forget that they have Sammy Watkins now so they their their top 3 receivers are Lazard is expected to be number 1 Sammy Watkins number 2 and Randall Cobb number 3 those are their three starting wide receivers well i i, I like Alan Lazard a lot i mean he he's from Urbandale like that's like 10 minutes from me that's right you know uh, a, a star at Urbandale high school um but I, I i'm surprised to hear he hasn't signed yet I didn't mm -hmm. know that, but uh, uh, I think he could have a big year, you know, with uh, with Aaron Rodgers throwing him the ball. But uh, that first, the first things out of uh, Aaron Rodgers' mouth in that last clip were like, "I like production over potential. We got a lot, we got a lot <laughs> of potential." That. You know, it's like <laughs> I thought that was great too. Uh, fortunately, the Bears are kind it of in that mode too. <laughs> yeah, and, and I wanted to say okay. So we have Darnell Mooney as our number one receiver. I, I, I kind of, I'm worried a little bit about him drawing the number one corner every game, and that like mm -hmm. he might not be as as productive as people think. You know, we might not see this great season out of him like is expected. You know, because he is going to be drawing you know the best cornerback every week. You know, mm -hmm. somebody has definitely got to step up across from him, and, and I think that's where, where Bears fans have concerns with like, folks like Byron Pringle and Velas Jones and things mm -hmm. like that. And that's why Bears fans are saying we didn't do enough to help Justin Fields. It, yeah. that, that all stems back into why they feel that way. Good point. Um, I, do... I don't want to say this and, and regret it in the regular season, but I have no faith in Sammy Watkins. Yeah. Sammy Watkins is going to bark everywhere he's gone. Yeah. He's always fucking hurt. Mm -hmm. He's okay. He's okay. <laughs> the Bears should be okay guarding Sammy Watkins, even with inexperience. Mm -hmm. um, Hugh Heavens says he agrees with Tooch that Mooney is not a number one wide receiver. I, I do think that he could be. He could be. He's going into his third year. That's when most wide receivers have reached that maturity level. And the fact that he has uh, prior to this season and – during this preseason has been working so diligently with his quarterback. It is clear that these guys are developing an outstanding chemistry. And so what 
I think that the only thing that could stop him from um, being a number one wide receiver is the play calling. It's the scheming. Uh, you know, you got to work ways to get him the ball. Uh, and that's the only thing. I have faith faith in Pringle. I have faith in some of the others, these other wide receivers that they can at Mr. least. Mr. St. Brown. Yeah, that's your guy. Equinim is St. Brown. And now people will say, well, why come he didn't, you know, perform with uh, Rodgers? Well, Rodgers is that guy that he he picks that number one wide receiver and he just continues to feed that player. And so, yeah. you know, uh, uh, God bless Rodgers. You know, he's had an outstanding career in doing it the way he does it. But I, I think that Justin Fields might be the type of guy and Luke Getze could have the type of offense that could get the absolute best of St. Brown. Uh, so I would not, just like you, Dan, I would not at all be surprised. And I've said on previous shows, he's motivated. He thinks that he didn't get the fair shake in Green Bay. He's with the rivalry now. He's on the other team and he took less money. I mean, he took basically the minimum, right? So he's betting on himself to tell Green Bay, fuck you. Mm-hmm. So let's see it. That's right, and that, it's it's funny because that's what the Rogers was was saying about Watkins. He's hungry. He wants to show people that he can be, you know, a number one receiver. That he's just had some bad luck in his career. He wants it really badly. So uh, Rogers uh, is relying on that same kind of narrative. By the way, Jordan has that uh, 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 that uh, question or topic that has been almost trending on social media today, DK Metcalf or Roquan Smith. Would you make that deal, guys? Tooch says I think, yeah. I think I would, yeah. What, do you, what about you, Dan? The only way uh, – you're talking straight up or you're straight or up. You giving up? Straight up. The only way I'm doing it straight up, it's twofold. If, if the Bears' new staff – doesn't like him in the scheme and they're like well we don't want to resign him mm -hmm. we don't want to give him money mm -hmm. then yeah you make the trade or if roquan is basically like dude i want to test the market mm -hmm. i don't want to sign an extension if it looks like he's gonna get you know away for nothing either from the bear side or for from his uh, perspective and it's straight up mm -hmm. and you can get metcalf signed then yeah i'd make the deal but I'm. We always say every time we get a new coach or a new general manager that we need to build through the draft. Mm -hmm. We need homegrown talent. Well, he's our guy. He's the guy we drafted first. Uh, you know what? Four years ago. So, with that said, he should play his whole career here. Is what we want, right? So I hope it doesn't come to that. But like I said, if he wants to walk, or if the new coaching staff is like this dude's overrated, then make the trade. Mm -hmm. uh, CJ Williams says uh, only if DK signs an extension before he signs and uh, Mo Beerman says a diva wide receiver for a steady linebacker. Uh, I kind of agree with Mo there. You know, uh, DK Metcalf is an outstanding talent, outstanding. He would be a great weapon for Justin Fields. Yeah, he really is a diva wide receiver. And to bring him to Chicago and to sign him to a long extension is going to be one of those big effing fat contracts that Ryan Post, you know, has said that he got sticker shock when he saw what uh, Christian Kirk signed for. And so I don't think that is even a possibility. 
I think that Roquan Smith, they're going to do everything possible to sign Roquan Smith. There are very few linebackers in this league who are better than Roquan Smith. So uh, to it, it's give intriguing up on, though. It is intriguing. Yeah, I want. I I would like to have a receiver like Metcalf on this roster, at a lot less money, but yeah. not not for a Roquan. Uh, He's going to command a lot of money, Metcalf. You know, but you know, mm-hmm. the thing is, is like, which one's harder to find? A good mm-hmm. linebacker or a good wide receiver? I'm kind of leaning towards good wide receivers are harder to find, man. Really? I just, I, I I think. I mean, I, there's. It just. I, I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's that that's the position that's harder to get. Look at know? how many wide receivers were available in this draft. I mean, this this draft was so deep that you you know guys that were drafted in the fifth round and, and like Darnell Mooney was are expected to be starters, are expected to contribute immediately. That's because the college football is a passing league, and they're just churning out wide receivers after wide receivers after wide receivers. It's become that position like running backs have been looked at over the last 10 years that they're disposable that there's so many available in the in the pipeline through the draft and so forth that's what wide receivers are becoming so i got a feeling that ryan poles is going to take that approach and darnell mooney if he does become a number one wide receiver that might be the biggest salary negotiation toughest salary negotiation that ryan poles will face with his time here at the chicago bears dealing with a player that he did not acquire and that could tilt the salary cap and how much money is is devoted to a particular position player wide receiver more than he would like to spend so that, that's going to be an interesting thing to keep an eye on um, Mo Beerman says, Tooch, develop our own rather than grab one that's uh, is already a diva. That's that's probably Paul's inclination. Yeah, you know, if you, if you were to ask me, I would say that's his plan, you know, mm-hmm. low key his plan. But. Yep, people are so upset about Pierce. I, I know Jordan is one of them, thought for sure we were going to get Pierce. That's going to be one of the interesting things to look at this season is Alex Pierce versus Valus Jones, who's contributing more. Um, and uh, Jordan says off-ball linebacker value has never been lower. Warner, Wagner, Campbell, all later draft picks. That's what I was saying. You can kind of find these guys, and if they're, you know, the block, I mean, look at some of these guys that we've had here before, you know, in the past. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lance Briggs is what, second-round pick or third-round third, third round pick, third round. Yeah. you know, guys like that play that will uh, spot. Because our but, picks that year were Rex, Michael Haynes, Charles Tillman. But Rex and Haynes are both in the first round. Tillman was second round and third round for Lance. We could have gotten, I forget, the Alabama linebacker uh, late in the draft. I think we had a shot. He was sitting there too, you know, in case uh, as a hedge against Roquan leaving. I forget the the middle linebacker on uh, Alabama last year, Christian something. Oh, yeah. What the hell Christian Adams or Christian... Christian Watson or something. Okay, Christian Smith. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Jordan, Jordan would know, but. Yeah, but when the Bears drafted Roquan Smith, um, that was the same year that in the second round, uh, what's his name from the Colts? Christian Harris uh, was yeah. the name. Thanks, Jordan. Um, who who was uh, who's who's the linebacker for the Colts that Ibrahim was coaching and and has had more Pro Bowl appearances than Roquan Smith? He was a second round pick. They call him the Maniac. Um, 
Oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Jordan, I need you again. <laughs> Darius Leonard, Pope yeah, Silva. Darius Leonard, yeah, dude's awesome. I thought you were talking about my penis. Well, Sharon Stores, there. All right, we won't. <laughs> okay, I got one more from uh, Mr. Rogers. That he was uh, asked about the whole retirement thing. It's not really those things. It's more just how I'm feeling uh, mentally. Uh, you know, the playing is easy. That's the easy part. It's the other part that's the grind. Um, you know, that you wear a lot of hats as a quarterback, and it's more than just playing on Sundays. And I think at some point, uh, the grind gets to all of us. And um, every year, it uh, it seems like a slightly uh, bigger commitment to commit to being the guy again in, in another season. Um, and it just comes down to where I'm where I'm at. Uh, obviously, I want the team to be successful. Obviously, I don't want to be a bum, you know, standing back there uh, playing like crap and, and not able to move around. So uh, when the, if the talent goes, it's a no-brainer. But it's a little harder when you still can really play and uh, uh, and the mental part is, is difficult. So the deal with his contract, then is that at the end of this year, he can walk away um, it's basically a year-to-year type of deal that he, he has the choice to just walk away and not face any penalties, financial penalties. So to me, he sounds like a guy who's got one foot out the door, you know, and particularly now with the fact that he has got to rebuild this offense uh, because his safety net, Devontae Adams, is no longer with the team. I think he's he's really playing now, number one, because, yes, he can play and, and the money is good. But number two, he wants to add to his stats to try to do something to his legacy that is going to make him look good in comparison with other top quarterbacks. Although we all know he's never going to be the uh, Tom Brady, Joe Montana, other great quarterbacks who have won, won multiple championships. Although, do, do you think uh, after that last clip, uh, Aaron Rodgers wishes he had left this this season? You know, instead of, instead of waiting, you know, it's kind of like, why didn't I leave, you know, oh, yeah. leave this past off season? You know, yeah, that well, that, that to me tells me if he really wanted the Super Bowl, he probably he should have gone to Denver or some other team that was ready. And maybe he wouldn't may, have made an, uh, as much money. But t- to me, I don't think he really wants it that much anymore. You know, yeah. what do you think? Dan? Yeah, I, I didn't realize that his deal allowed him to like do an NBA thing and just become a free agent after every season. Yeah. That's exactly that's a terrible deal for the Packers. And they, they've, they've acquiesced to everything. This man has has said along the way, cut the balls off the general manager, essentially. <laughs> I, they deserve it. They fucking deserve it for this motherfucker to go to another team next year. Mm-hmm. They fucking deserve it. I mean, the yeah, he is a selfish uh, piece of fucking shit. The, the well, San Francisco the, would be a perfect spot for him. Oh, know? fucking hey. Yeah, well, they, they've got Trey Lance. That's the I know thing. they've got that, Trey Lance, but I that, mean, that, like, this, that whole thing. You know, and this offseason would have been a perfect move for him. But. Yeah. Although I bet you the 49ers would have been happy to say, okay, we'll send you Trey Lance and bring Aaron Rodgers over here. They, they probably would have made that deal. Yeah, in a heartbeat. Uh, yeah. But, well, Garoppolo did say fuck the Packers to Robbie Gold last season. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> One of, one, of the, one of the best moments of the 2021 season. <laughs> yeah. um, Aaron Rodgers, to me, uh, man, the guy got to had such a great career, but he has fucked it up. Uh, you know, the, the Packers, they, they handled it right with Brett Favre. They basically said, all right, Brett, you know, 
get the fuck out of here. You, you, you keep, you know, saying you're going to come back. You need time to think about it and blah, blah, blah. We got Aaron Rodgers and we were confident with him. And so where this present administration for the Packers screwed up is they drafted, drafted Jordan Love. And Jordan Love is clearly not the guy because if Jordan Love was showing them shit in practice, they would have told Aaron Rodgers, yeah, hasta la vista, motherfucker. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's the issue. They, they, their, their backup plan, uh, their succession plan isn't working. And you better believe that Jordan uh, Love, who is now going into his, I think it's his fourth season, they're not going to pick up his extension. He's gone, man. He is fucking Unless gone. Unless Rodgers leaves at the end of the year. Well, but if they if they have looked at Jordan Love and say, yeah, he's really not a number one quarterback, you know, we, we were wrong on this, then they'll just, I think, draft another quarterback, try to sign a, uh, a, 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 a free agent quarterback. It's a lot easier now to pick up free agent quarterbacks, quality free agent quarterbacks, than it was 10 years ago when no team would allow their – their star quarterback, their number one quarterback to to walk away. So something to, to keep an eye on as this season plays out. J2K uh, Larsonette says, so impressed watching Favre's career, but by the end of it, really didn't respect him. Tooch, were you a Brett Favre fan? Don't tell me you had his jersey. Oh, that was Fat Mike. <laughs> that was Fat Mike. <laughs> I mean, I, I respected the way, you know, he – he made, you know, he beat us, but I mean, I, mm-hmm. I wasn't a huge fan, but toward, towards the end of the career, you know, he kind of, it's a lot like Aaron Rodgers career where people lose respect for him, you know, mm-hmm. uh, same thing, you know, these guys get older and, you know, they haven't made it back to the Super Bowl or for whatever reason, they're jaded uh, by the end of Brett Favre's career. He was sending dick pics out, I think, right. Was that one of the scandals? Yeah, Send that was with the Jets. Yeah. With, with right. the Jets, yeah. Sending pictures of his werewolves and his dick. Out, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Aaron Rodgers kind of the same thing. You know, people. Yeah, right. <laughs> He's now been accused of uh, being involved yeah. in, in crimes. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, not a good look for Brett Favre. Um, Brett Favre was as entertaining a quarterback as the NFL has ever had. Would you not agree with that, Dan? I'm sorry, I, I can't love on the guy that kicks their fucking ass. So. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Kind Don't you at least way. respect the fact that he played well in those games? Yeah, he was a great, great, great player. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but not a great <laughs> person. This, from the Associated Press, the state of Mississippi sues far, wrestles over welfare misspending. Mm-hmm. Welfare misspending? What the fuck's he have to do with welfare? Like this guy. He applied for a COVID uh, grant for some of his businesses, and it was granted to him. And then they've now looked back and said, wait a minute. We gave Brett Favre how much money? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the deal there. Yeah. yeah still welfare. That sounds like <laughs> it says Mississippi names Brett Favre in $24 million lawsuit seeking repayment of misspent welfare funds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think those welfare funds were slated for COVID relief, yeah. and uh, a lot of that money uh, was misappropriated by a lot of states. And uh, you know, it is what it is with this fucking country. You know, the government doesn't run right, and 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 half of us are dishonest with our taxes and loans and shit like that. It sucks. 
but that's a that's a discussion for another day, another show. Leave it for Meet the Press. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, what else I want to uh, uh, do here? Uh, we've talked about. Da, da, da. Come on, I got little notes here. I got um, something for Dan too. If you you know when you get it. Oh wait a minute! We gotta we gotta wish you a happy birthday. Yesterday uh, was your well, birthday, you right? Yep. Fifty-four. Fifty-four. What a young guy you are! Look at that head of hair. Look at that that, that Robert De Niro look it's, on you. It's that, that like I, I always tell Aldo, Dan. I was. This is all veneer, you know. Like the interior is crumbling, you know. The exterior is holding up, you know, with a little spackle. Ah, <laughs> oh, you're doing good, man. You're doing good. You look good. You got a young, beautiful family. You're doing good, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Dan's doing I, good too, but we can't talk about it. We're not allowed to talk about Dan, but uh, I have something for Dan that will raise his spirits even more. Oh, okay. You know, I I, I came across an article recently about. Uh, unfortunately, it has something to do with uh, uh, PFF again, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a little bit uh, about the Bears schedule in there. Uh, and I know some of this played out on Twitter a little bit with some uh, Bears uh, Twitter personalities. But the Bears schedule, uh, it, like we've been saying for a lot on the show, the Bears schedule is uh, is very uh, favorable. You know, it, it ain't, on paper, it does not look tough. So, mm-hmm. so uh, they, they, in their article, it said Bears played the Falcons this season who are ranked 30th by PFF. They play the 28th ranked Texans. They play the 26th ranked Giants, the 25th ranked Jets, Hmm. the 23rd ranked Commanders. Mm -hmm. And they play two games against the 24th ranked Lions and 22nd ranked Vikings, according to PFF. I think the Bears are ranked 25th or 24th. They're ranked 24th by PFF. Out of thirty-eight teams, so I mean, Dan's kind of you know he 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 thinks that a record will be you know better than a lot of people think, and and you know uh, PFF seems to be supporting that theory. What do you think, Dan? Well, yeah, I, like I said, you you can never put too much stock into that. Last season, everyone was like, "Oh, the Bears had the hardest schedule," and that turned out to be an accurate thing. I mean, <laughs> but I mean, it doesn't help when you have that bald fuck as coach. Mm-hmm. But again, on paper, can happen. people get hurt, <laughs> trades happen, stuff like that could alter this. But all things equal, where the schedule is now, again, obviously it looks decent. you got a, an adult as head coach, even if he uh, has them hitting each other when they're not supposed to. And uh, the quarterback should play better. And the defense, <laughs> the defense will probably be better without Nagy there, too. I just I I don't know, man. It, to me, it seems like they're going to be better. What What do you think, Aldo? I you know the reason I'm skeptical is there's just just so much that they need to get uh, done, and it usually takes a couple of years. When you go through an overhaul like the Chicago Bears have, new coaching staff, a young quarterback, uh. New wide receivers, it's just one wide receiver who's returning that we can say for, for absolute sure this guy has gotten the job done with this quarterback. When you're talking about a revamped offensive line that we still don't know who the f- starting five are, when you're talking about uh, a defense that has lost Khalil Mack and arguably you could say 
well, Khalil Mack really didn't help the team much the last season because he was injured so often. And, and last even couple of seasons, the last so. couple of seasons, I was just going to say. Um, and when you talk about you've got two rookies now starting in the defensive backfield, one at safety and one at cornerback, and while they look really good, these guys could be players. There is just so much that we don't know. And yeah, so, but they're better than the secondary we had last year. Right on now, paper. On paper. Right now, they're better than the 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 Vildors and and uh, what's the other ones uh, the fucking guy that would play in the nickel Duke Shelley yeah Duke Shelley I don't think guys. he's gonna make the team I gotta be honest with you I agree with that I, I think Duke Shelley's on his way I out Kendall Vildor I, I think will make the team yeah Aldo could they like not know that they're supposed to be not good and maybe steal a couple of those games you know I, I, I'm, I'm totally, totally possible. Yes, I, I'm not saying it's impossible that get, they'll go 11 and six and make the playoffs. I'm not saying that. I'm just worried. You know, I, I'm old. I, <laughs> I would be surprised. I, I started following the Bears on a yeah. one and 13 season. <laughs> <laughs> I know what's and happening to me. I'm sorry. The coin flip for Terry Bradshaw. I was like, I should have <laughs> oh, known there. I should have been yeah. a fan. I should not have been a football fan. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's you know. I, I, Every time my optimism, I, I, I display my optimism, it, it just gets punched in the nuts, man. I'll, yeah. I'll go on Twitter and say, the Bears are going to win this game. Watch, you watch. Boom, right in the fucking nuts. Oh, shit. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, that hurts. Oh, watch, the Bears are going to have a winning season. Oh, boom. Wow. Fuck. Oh, no. Shit. <laughs> over and over again. And so... I've decided this year I'm just going to take a very, very cautious approach to this season. I'm hopeful, but the reality to me says that they'll be lucky to be around. That. <laughs> yes, I am a true Bears fan. Thank you, J2K Lars, today. And I love uh, the optimism that Dan has been sharing. I'm, I'm yeah. so glad that Dan is feeling that way as opposed to being the negative Nancy. I, I would actually get angry at Dan when he starts sharing negative thoughts about the Bears, and then I, I start wearing my optimism hat. But I want to play – the the realist or pessimist now and uh we'll, we'll see what happens I, i'll help i'm wrong i will say again the thing that you always get so mad about but i felt like what i was saying was true like again it's like okay the bears offense just took the lead there's two minutes to go all you need to stop yes. inevitably they're not going to get the stop yes and again i took so much shit for calling out khalil mack not playing like a superstar mm -hmm. and it feels like I don't want to say I've been vindicated, but it's damn near close. Mm -hmm. And uh, you all, no one wanted to hear that at the time. No, but I was still rooting for the guy. But I mean, he was clearly not performing up to his contract. Well, you know, and and I I agree with you. See, one of the things that I was worried about when we acquired uh, Kaloa Mac is how much how much damage uh ha has his body accumulated over the years and this is a guy who has always at least faced in a game 70 percent of the snaps that he has played in he's faced a double or in some instances a triple team and all that hitting on his body would just take a toll now, when he came in that fucking first game against Green Bay, I was like, oh, shit, doesn't look like his body's taking a toll at all until the fourth quarter where he started running out of gas. And that first season was was glorious. It, it, it was really enticing. But 
After he that, didn't have a tackle in the playoff game, though. That's right. He didn't have a sack in the playoff game. That's right. It, it just seemed like the type of player who, if this guy could just stay healthy, he would be one of the greatest of all time, but he couldn't. And that was what his detractors at Oakland at the time would say about him. He disappears for times at games. He just is gone. And it was because he was tired or or his body couldn't take the, the, the amount of hitting it was going through. To be a guy that's going to command that kind of contract, it should not be so easy to just say, okay, we're going to neutralize him and, and he's taken care of. Mm-hmm. But it just felt like if the other team was like, well, we're not going to let Khalil Mack beat us today, then Khalil Mack was like an impotent cock, completely <laughs> incapable of, of doing any good work. You know, when if they decided they were going to target him, he could do nothing about it. Cliff agrees with you. He says uh, Mack was not a $150 million player. Um and you know you, you're right about that, uh, Dan. There's it's inarguable that he was not worth that kind of money. And one, if, if you know, I was critical of some of the stuff that Flus and Eberflus um, uh, and Poles have done this season. One of the many uh, attaboys uh, credits that Poles deserves is that he realized that about Mac and moved them. Now, I right. wish he would have gotten more than a second round draft pick and a low and a, and a low draft pick, but he did the right thing. Move the salary. You're not going to save that much money this year, but you are going to start saving a lot of money next season because that contract is now off the books, and you got a second round pick. And one of the, that second round pick, I believe, is Jaquan Brisker, and that guy looks like he could be a fucking safety. One of those safeties that could be a, a an, an all-timer for, for the Bears, one of the best safeties ever. That's what he looks like now. But uh, maybe Ryan Pace didn't have the temerity to make that deal because he's emotionally invested. Absolutely. Thinking, I've given up two first-round picks for him. I've got to make this work. Mm-hmm. Yep, I, I'm so with you. So maybe a fresh, a fresh mindset coming in, a whole new evaluation of the team mm-hmm. uh, maybe is part of the reason he was dealt. Mm-hmm. Because they could see what subjective Bears fans and what the management of the former regime probably couldn't see. They were just blinded by 52, and no matter what, we have to defend him. We have to suck his dick and talk about how he's triple teamed, and and that shit isn't true most of the time. Mm-hmm. There were, like, just fucking backup tight ends, like, blocking him. Yep. But it's like it was a sin if you acknowledge that. you you We had to lie about it. It's like we were on... Tucker Carlson show or something. We just couldn't admit it. You couldn't praise a left winger just because or flip it. If it's on another left winger show, you can't pra- praise a right winger. I'm not trying to be political. I'm just, just saying, well, you're so biased. Right, right. When no, it came to Matt, right. I just don't understand it. I, I, Great point. I'm, I'm with you there, but I do think that there was some nuance to it. You know, where there were, there were some plays that, we we failed to appreciate the fact that there was a second or third guy coming in and chipping him, uh, which made it harder. But you're absolutely right. He was not worth $150 million. He's, he's, and how many times right. you made the point, you're like, every time Mac makes a splash play where you're like, ooh, it's always against the other team's backup. Yep. Or, or a rookie, like for instance, against the Tampa Bay Bucks, uh, that Tristan Wirfs, he had his way with Tristan Wirfs, who was an outstanding 
offensive lineman. He's going to have a long career, but he was a rookie facing Khalil Mack for the first time. And what does Mack do to him? He embarrassed him. He flipped him over with one hand and so forth. But he wouldn't do that against veteran offensive linemen who were who, who were savvy and uh, and knew where they were get where, where they were going to get help from the rest of the uh, uh, offense. You know, whether it was a running back chipping him or a tight end chipping him or or, or a guard coming over for help. Tristan Wirfs didn't know that, and he was totally embarrassed. A, a, a first-round draft pick. But, yeah, uh, I, I'll stand by that. Well, yeah, if you... Khalil Mack, in some ways, is like Adam Shaheen. Mm-hmm. Adam Shaheen was on all those highlights in college was against guys that that are probably working jobs like, like I have now mm-hmm. and not in the pros. And what I'm trying to say is, you know, he was – kind of against he excelled against the scrubs is what i'm saying you know so mac it's like he's a big school that a big college that does well against appalachian state but doesn't do shit against alabama Mm -hmm. you know uh could you say that uh in hindsight aldo that uh the the giving up all the draft picks wasn't worth it man that's just that was one thing i i I loved it i mean I, i was uh I was out of the country when when the trade happened. I was like, "Wow, we got Khalil Mack!" You know, I was really excited. Then I was kind of like, "Man, we gave up two first round picks." You know, we crippled ourselves. I mean, Pace constantly crippled us in the draft. That's why we're in the position we're in now. Not only that, but with the salaries that he gave out, these enormous salaries to players that really didn't have as much left as we thought they did. You know, I just, man, I, I, I mean, Dan, Dan's absolutely right. I mean, if, if you were to ask me what college. Adam Shaheen played at man. I couldn't tell you because I mean it was a place I never heard of, man. Ashland, man, Ashland. Yeah, I never heard of it before. I gotta tell you, I never, I didn't even know Ashland was a college or whatever. Exactly. You know? All I know is I used to fuck a girl who lived on Ashland Avenue in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's great that you mentioned Tristan Worth, no Iowa guy. I know that they they, they say the, uh, this area where we grow offensive linemen, like two high schools, like Valley High School and Dowling Catholic. You know, put a lot of uh, uh, alignment in the NFL, you mm-hmm. know, but uh, you're right. Tristan, we're darn, darn good player. I wish he was on the Bears, man. I'll tell you yeah. that right now. Somebody but. said that he made the All-Pro last season, and I, I don't know that for, for a fact, but it sounds right to me. He uh, He's a damn good player. But, yep. again, Mac took advantage of the players. He should have taken advantage against All-Pro caliber tackles. He, he would he would get lost. Uh, that to me is my he, impression. He's of kind it. of like Matt Nagy. Then, when Matt Nagy's coaching the Bears, they could beat middle of the road teams like Detroit, but never could excel against winning programs. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it's the same thing with Mac. Mac was eating up on the guys that, like you said, were either rookies or backups. Mm-hmm. But when it came to a prime time, like okay, it's this guy versus a Pro Bowler. You know, it's like they always, or in a playoff game, they always neutralized him. Mm-hmm. I don't remember him doing shit against the Saints either in the playoffs. It's, yeah. just, it's like, God, he's the invisible man in so many ways. Yeah. We never got to see Mac and Quinn really like together, you know, having that pressure from both sides. You know, I, I don't, I don't, Quinn was probably, with Adam. yeah. The yeah. first, the first six games of this past season, we got to see they, it, and both guys were like leading, leading the league in sacks. They were, they, it looked like, wow, this is going to be fantastic. Both guys, and then all of a sudden it happened. 
Yeah. Mac is hurt, misses a game, and then after uh, the second game, we learned that he's going to be out for the season. He's the oldest guy on the team now, Robert mm-hmm. Quinn, 12-year veteran. I think the next guy is 10 years after mm-hmm. uh, uh, Robert Quinn, and that's Ryan Griffin. He might not even make the team. You know, mm-hmm. tight end Ryan Griffin. I, we don't have anybody with more than like eight or nine years after that experience. It's mostly yeah. and Quinn know, did all the damage with Mac Hurt for the most part. Yeah. Hmm. And and he was better without him. It's just again, that's such an indictment on on Mac as well. Yep. Because we always said, oh, Mac doesn't have anybody opposite of him. Leonard Floyd is no good. Leonard Floyd's no good. And it's like Leonard Floyd has played good football since he left here, is a Super Bowl champion now. And Robert Quinn sets the team record for sacks, breaks Richard Dent's record. Mm-hmm. And again, two years, Mac was beside him and didn't do shit. But I'll take the hate and the vitriol for the Mac supporters, I guess. Ty Dortmund says, how long are you guys going to be bash- bashing Mac? And I think we're done, Ty. Uh, 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 <laughs> I mean I- – I guess you can look at as bashing. We're kind of being realistic about the dude. I think you're right. Yes. You know, the dude was injured, man. I mean, come on. He played. I saw this shit not in hindsight. I saw it in foresight. You know what I mean? I saw it in real time. I was like calling him out and everybody else was like, ah, you're an idiot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think, you know, if the problem is always going to be Ryan Pace in my mind. In, yeah. in my mind, Ryan Pace was the bigger problem of between Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace. It was Ryan Pace because we wouldn't have Matt Nagy if it's for Ryan Pace, right? So that's pretty obvious. And for him to spend all that money and acquire and assets, uh, trade assets, to acquire Khalil Mack when he isn't absolutely certain that Mitchell Trubisky is the quarterback that is a franchise quarterback that's premature it's like you know saying oh yeah i man i banged that beautiful girl wait a minute you haven't even talked to her yet and that's what happened there and speaking of matt nagy i hate to do this to you guys i'm gonna waste three and a half minutes of your time oh you're gonna play his sound please do yeah <laughs> I, put up a, I want you to explain how he's a narcissist because <laughs> I've been telling you that, but you you fully agree with it now. Yes. So I want you to set it up. Okay. Well, uh, uh, I, I saw uh, on on Twitter that you know Matt Nagy addressed the media, so I immediately went to the Kansas City Chiefs YouTube, and so they brought him out last of all the assistant coaches. They brought him out last at around the fifty-five minute mark of the one-hour press conference, and so here's the first question that Nagy is asked. And, and at one point, I thought they weren't even going to ask him a question because he's just, just kind of looking around and waiting for a question and so forth. And I'm reading the chat line in the Kansas City Chiefs YouTube page, and people are asking, who is this guy? Who is this guy? I've never seen this guy before. He's your fucking offensive coordinator two, three years ago, you assholes. And anyways, he gets asked this question, and um, – and in typical Matt Nagy uh, fashion, he answers uh, this way. <laughs> it comes to question. Yeah, yeah for, for sure. sure. It's, it's been, been a, a, a really, really cool experience for me. For me. Um, you know, you know when, when you, you go, go away and you are able, able to kind of build, build your, own your own culture from what you learned being, being here before, um, my, my time here with Coach Reed and all of our, our great, great coaches, coaches here, to be, to be able, able to go through, through what we did, and you know, you, know, you have highs and lows, and you learn, and you have so many different hats that you put on in, those, in that, that time, and you learn a lot, and you rely on the experiences that you went through. 
um, and their, their real, real life experiences. experiences. So, so I didn't, I didn't have that when I went into my interview with Chicago, uh, but I had four years worth of real life experiences of a lot, a lot of different situations, situations offense, offense, defense, special teams, how to deal, deal with players, how to deal with media, how to how deal, deal with um, win, winning, you know, these conversations, conversations right here after a win or a, or a loss. loss. And, and what, what it does is it, 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 it really allows you to grow, but it puts things into perspective. And I think, I think in life, life for, for me, um, a lot, lot of my failures that I've had, I've, I've tried to use to the best of my ability to make me better, better um, whether it was as a player, throwing a pick, learning from it, or as a, as a coach, as you go through things, you want to use those experiences to make you better in the long run. And I feel like I'm still young in this profession. And, and I, I want to use, use my experiences in Chicago to help, help me be better here for our team here in Kansas, Kansas City with Coach Reed, with EB, with Patrick, with, with Brett Beach, with, with everybody here. And there's a little bit of humility that you have to have to do this, but I, I, I really cherish it because you're doing it with good people. Um, you're, we talk about being back in, I say, you know, we're back in the weeds. You know, I'm back instead of 250 people you're responsible for, you're responsible for three or four. So, um, you know, you know, my, my son, son the other day was saying, Dad, it's pretty crazy. You got, you got a little bit more free time. And uh, that's real. But I'm embracing that. And, and it's been fun. It's been, you know, to be back in that quarterback room with, with Pat and learning who Chad. I remember Chad. I was watching Chad since he was a sophomore in high school. I actually coached against him when he was a sophomore in high school. And he put up, like as a sophomore, like 304 touchdowns. And I always remember, man, this kid's special. And now here we are. However, However many years, years later, later and, and, and I'm coaching him here at this level, um, and, and, and then to be in there with Shane and with Dustin, um, to, to be back with, with Coach Reed, to, to be back with Eric the Enemy, the rest of the coaches on this offensive staff, it's awesome. And they're, they're just good people that do things the right way. And it's, it's exciting for me. It's fun. Um, and it's, 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 it's refreshing. So I, I want to use this to be able to give back any way I can. But also, too, I think it's important, you know, Pat and I, uh, I had, had him, him as a rookie. I was, I was able, able to see him and Alex grow together, that partnership, um, and see him grow from his rookie year, uh, from game one to the, to the playoff loss against Tennessee, see that relationship build. And that stuck with Patrick. That stuck with me. And now to come back, you know, four or five years later and see in that room how much Patrick has grown, it's amazing. Um, it gives me chills to talk about it because I also know his ceiling is even higher. And that's, and that's exciting for all of us. But for me now, you know, as, as Coach and I talk, you know, I just want to be able to do everything I can to help us and, and do whatever we can to, to be great. And, and they're, you know, in, in our quarterback room, for instance, you know, Patrick and Chad and the rest of the guys will help me be better as a coach and I'll hopefully help them be better as players. Put it all together and we'll roll. Wow. Yeah, Three minutes and 40 think, seconds. Two things that come to my head immediately. <laughs> one is about Nagy. The other one I'll start up, which which was fun just because it made me think of something. Back in 93, my friend David had a C-band, one of those great big satellite dishes. And this is before Sunday Ticket. Okay. But he could get like 38 affiliates from CBS. And back then, NFC was on CBS. So I went to his house a lot because he would let me watch the Bears game. Because obviously that wasn't on my local channel, but I could go to his house and watch uh, the the CBS affiliate, I guess Channel Two, right, out of uh, yes. Chicago. Yes, WBBM. And, and watch some uh, Bears games. I or I or shouldn't have because there was no Sunday ticket yet. But San Diego was playing somebody. May did we play them that year? Yeah, yeah, we did. The Bears played them on Sunday night that year. So maybe it was the Bears game. But 
he kept thinking when Eric Bieniemy was a little scat back for the Chargers back then, mm-hmm. uh, he was like, why do they call him the enemy? He's like, is he that good? I mean, he's the enemy. I was like, no, his name's B enemy. But my friend thought his name was Eric the enemy, like he was a wrestler. That's a good name. Eric the enemy, you know. But but the other thing is, it's 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 so typical for Matt Nagy to like try to take some credit for Chad Henney's development. Like, was, I, I coached against him in high school. And furthermore, it's so Matt Nagy to come out and say that. Well, he also threw for 400 yards on my team mm-hmm. and beat our asses. So Matt Nagy's never won at any level, apparently. <laughs> Unbelievable. But what what did you think, uh, Tooch, about the fact that it took him three uh, three minutes and 40 seconds to answer the question, did you learn anything in Chicago that you could bring to your job here in Kansas? <laughs> I can't facepalm enough, you know, during that whole thing. It's like, it just... <laughs> Three minutes and 40 seconds to tell us how underqualified he was in Chicago. <laughs> Thanks. We knew that already. I knew that like after the second year he was here. This guy sucked. That's one of the most popular tweets I've ever had in my, what, six, seven years of being on Twitter. I, I sent that out, you know, just not the video, just the freeze frame of him talking and, and, and the fact that it took him three, three minutes and 40 seconds to respond to that question. And I got like 15, 20,000 impressions and tons of people replying to it and retweeting it. I was like, holy shit, man. This, their people really hate this guy. And nobody said anything nice about him. It's like, oh, lay off the guy. No, everybody was just piling on. It's a, it's a, the perfect example of why I don't like hiring first guys in the first time in this position, you know? I yeah. mean, uh, Matt Eberflus is looks like he's going to be different. You know, because, you know, uh, but but Nagy and Pace, I was like, come on, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. first of all, Pace was pretty young. I mean, Hitman, you know, in the NFL that long, you know, we had we had Chris Ballard in the building. I, I, are there, it's probably because like Chris Ballard knew where all the skeletons were buried, you know, at House Hall. That's why they didn't want him. Didn't want him there. I mean, well, he would have been a lot Ballard, better than Ryan. I wanted to get rid of Jay immediately. So yeah. That's why he didn't get the gig. And that would have been would have been OK, you know. Yeah, uh, and McCaskey should have listened to it and said, you yeah. know, okay, this is going to cost me a lot of money, but I really have faith in you, and I, and I think you can do this better, and and that's what he should have done. Yeah, um, looking back on celebrating, by the way, who's celebrating? Mr. Cutler. Why is he celebrating? I think his divorce is finalized. Oh, he said he was having a fucking celebration recently. Yeah, look at that. I, that guy is going to have a hard time finding a. Uh, uh, a new wife or anyone to to fucking love him because he's such a he's such a malcontent. But that's his personal life. Um, yeah, that 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 whole era of of Nagy and Pace, it's just so emblematic of the bad decisions that the people above Nagy and Pace have made over the years. You know, this is what they do. They they mm-hmm. they think they're making the right decision, and it's almost always inevitably the wrong decision. You know, mm-hmm. hiring Phil Emery, who hired Mark Tressman, you know, and then they, they give Ryan Pace his first job, who put us in a terrible situation in the draft and with contracts. And they he brought Nagy to us. We had four years of just underqualified coaching and terrible play calling. And, you know, I mean, I, it, it's no wonder that people feel like so we're so happy that he's gone. That's why it all got all those Twitter impressions. You know, mm-hmm. if, got, if, we all, if we would go to hell, if hell would be real. <laughs> We would have to see 
like just visions of Matt Nagy smiling mm-hmm. during his with that bald head and that fucking visor on smiling <laughs> for no reason that we, we just have to see it or just listen to his press conferences over and over and over. Like you said, one question, three and a half minutes, usually not even answering the question, yep. trying to bore people to, to he doesn't want them to realize he didn't answer the question. It would be Matt, Matt. <laughs> if Maggie. I give you a five minute answer, maybe you'll, you'll cut me some fucking slack and not call me on it. Every morning in hell, the first thing Dan would hear with Matt Nagy telling them how great the weather is. Three, four, three minutes and 40 seconds, right? <laughs> the weather, Dan, is a little hot here. You know? Hey, you saying, can you believe Jay Cutler was smashing his friend's wife? I had not heard that. You guys hear that? No. Who was this nope. friend? Yeah, he was... It wasn't Brandon Marshall, was it? <laughs> <laughs> that would be hilarious. Um, he would send us some more information on that one because that that's a juicy story you want to share. God, he was fucking that right winger that Tommy Laren recently, apparently. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? You know the little blonde girl? Oh, she's a cutie. Yeah. Did uh, does does Jay Cutler have friends? I'm not be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He's got money, and that makes him attractive to some some people. So. I don't know. I think he's good. he's buddies with Waddle, Waddle and uh, Mark Silverman. Yeah, you know, because they did a show together, and so this. Kind of, but I don't think they go out drinking. Uh, uh, you know, their friendship is really re- relegated to the the times they're on the show. And and but he I, doesn't I live like in Chicago, does he, Jay? No, no he's, he's in Nashville, somewhere yeah, okay, outside right. the city limits. He has a farm, and there's people that work for him. I'm sure that's who he yeah. he hangs with. Yeah, he's got a huge uh, property down there. During the recording of this sh- uh, reality show that Kristen Cavallari uh, did, they showed them when they moved out of their home and, and and acquired this big farm property. And Jay would just kind of be hanging out with uh, infrared glasses, trying to look at who what animal was going into the pig pen to pick out his pigs or some shit like that. <laughs> that was the result of his life. And I think she got tired of the fact that he wasn't doing anything. He was just hanging around and moping around and uh, being an unpleasant fellow, malcontent. And, uh, and so that kind of is what drew her. Plus she, she had said, you know, I've got, th- this is my time now. I sat back and let you play pro football and you had all the adulation. Now I got all these opportunities for being on TV shows and stuff. You need to support me. I don't think he really cared about supporting her or. Well, he did. He did appear on our show numerous times. He did. And he joked about that saying, cause the show was called just Cavallari. And I think he, he, he was on ESPN and he, he joked because he's be, he was being asked to be a bigger and bigger and bigger part of the show. Cause audience reviews were so favorable of his appearances he joked about it uh being renamed uh just not too much cavalry and a lot more cutler or some bullshit title like that uh and so you know he still has he's still a, a fascinating figure much like aaron Rodgers to me is a fascinating figure i think people still find a cutler to be a fascinating guy i just i i Matt Nagy and Aaron Rodgers both. <laughs> I just I don't want to hear them talk. I don't want to see them. I, I if you told me Rodgers is going to get hit on the field and never play again week one, I'd be all for it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a meathead. I get it. But I'm not saying I want him paralyzed or anything like that. But I'm just saying, like, if he sustained an injury and then lost all of his courage and decided to leave. 
And because he's like, wait a minute, you're not allowed to hit me. What? Where's the flag? Well, are they going to make up a new rule now because I got hit? No. Well, fuck you. I'm leaving. <laughs> like, I would love to see this man just go away. Well, I got to tell you, I, you know, I, I feel the same way you do, uh, Dan. But I want, I want the Chicago Bears to be involved in. The oh, I'd love for the Bears to beat him a bunch. Yeah, but exactly, if, if it meant that he, like, you know, had a Thiesman mm-hmm. on Week One, going to be okay. You know, like it's not. I'm not trying to say that to amputate his leg. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to be like Zach Miller, where they're like he he could die. But if it was something that he'll never play again, I would almost sign up for. It. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, so here is uh, Hugh Evans told me, look it up yourself. And so I, I, I am, uh, and here's a story from cafemom.com, a real reliable source. Former NFL star Jay Cutler has found himself in the middle of another person's relationship. The 39-year-old who split from Kirsten Cavallari in 2020 after nearly seven years of marriage is rumored to have been caught offside, so to speak, when he was busted making out with his friend's wife during a recent joint vacation. There reportedly was trouble in paradise recently when a dream vacation Jay took was with a good friend and his wife turned into a nightmare for for Jay's friend. According to multiple sources who spoke with In Touch Weekly, Jay was caught hooking up with his friend's wife while they were traveling together. What an asshole. Wow, that's fucked up. That's so fucked up. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm Bros before hoes, right? (laughs) I guess so. I mean, a, there's a couple of women you can't fuck. <laughs> yes, exactly. No one adheres to like everything I believe in, and that's okay. But one of the things I strongly advocate, you can't fuck anybody your friends. And I don't mean like they had a one-nighter. Mm-hmm. But if it's somebody they dated for a number of years or certainly were married to, you can't. Mm-hmm. It's off limits. Skull and crossbones on that pussy from now on. Yeah, I'm Dan, with you. Please Dan, stay away from it. Just Dan, out of decency. Was the friend Keith Rainier? I just closed it, dang it. Um, there was a Keith picture. Keith Rainier's from that fucking cult. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been one of his wives. <laughs> oh, God. You're talking about a guy that's full of shit. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, we love Keith. And then they'd show you like Keith talking, and it was worse than Matt Nagy. <laughs> exactly. I so, like this guy is talking out of his ass, mm-hmm. and these people are like, "Oh, what a great guy! How smart Keith is!" And it's just like <laughs> we could sit here and listen to like two minutes of Keith and be like, "Nope, he's full of shit." Yeah. Yep. Well, I have a picture of the guy, uh, but I don't have a picture of the girl, which is what I was more interested in. Yeah. Does it say the guy's name? No, the article does not share the guy's name, but it shows. So he's just a private citizen, then. Yeah. Uh, he actually looks like Zach Miller, but I know it's not Zach Miller. Um, he uh, is shown here in a picture from Instagram uh, alongside Jay Cutler. He's a big guy because he's he taller. Like he can whip Cutler's ass. Yeah, exactly. He's got bigger arms. He's taller. He, uh, he, he looks like a guy that could whip his ass. And the story well, one thing out, we know about Jay, he can take a, a punch. So well, that is true. That is true. Jay is a tough motherfucker. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but Frank. Uh, uh, Thankfully, his name is not listed. So hopefully they've worked that out and they're all friends and all having. How uh, do you work that out? I don't know. You're having orgies. Yeah. You just go, I don't know. I don't... Hey, buddy, your wife's Polly. I'm sorry. I don't know what you want me to tell you. 
All right, uh, we got about 15 minutes left here before uh, uh, Dan has to go save some. I don't lives. have to go anywhere tonight. Oh, look at you! All I right. uh, worked a Saturday into Sunday shift for my friend that covers for me some because she wanted to go out to the bar. Nice. So she's working for me tonight. So look at you. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, do you guys want to talk about some of the stuff that you have seen? And I uh, want to share your uh, thumbs up or thumbs down. Uh, Tooch is nodding his head. So I'll start with you, Tooch. What have you seen that you like? I saw the 30 for 30. Is it too early to bring that? The tuck rule. Oh, the, the, Dan, by the way, did you get a chance to see it? I'm the asshole this week. I didn't watch it. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Wow, man. I, I really enjoyed it, man. Wasn't it good? I was, yeah, it was so good, man. I I, I can't help, though. Uh, I, I know Dan hasn't seen it yet, but is that a hairpiece that Tom Brady has? <laughs> it looked like Did it. Did it look like he was wearing a hairpiece? They were saying a few years ago when he was in New England that his wife was uh, – which one is he with now? Is it Bridget? No. The, uh, the other no, Bunchen. Uh, what's Giselle, Giselle Bunchen. Yeah, Thank you Giselle for was critical of him going bald and wanted him to do something about it. Yeah, I had heard that, and I think it's true. So he probably got some implants or or something. But yeah, yeah, uh, trans, yeah, exactly. Saw um, Erlacher's guy. <laughs> <laughs> right, he went, he, went, he went to Erlacher. Like I met my wife and I were watching, it and she said, "She said it, it that looks like a hairpiece." Yeah, look. <laughs> So again, the the premise of the show of, of this thirty for thirty is they go back to look at the Tuck yeah. uh, game. It was a fumble. Uh, <laughs> Raiders and and Patriots playoff game. Yeah, that really a lot of people say you know changed history because it th- it this, did because Drew Bledsoe would have been the starter the next year. If yeah, he fumbled yeah. the wins. Yeah, and Brady has said that in, that in the course of the show. Yep. So uh, yeah, there's there's Brady with his hairdo. Uh, it definitely looks like it's fake, but uh, dude, well, I think it totally like looks fake. <laughs> That's a hairpiece, man. I'm telling you, it does look like a hairpiece. You're right. But I have a de- I have a lot of respect for Charles Woodson because I mean oh he was God. very humble in this, you know. He, yes. he took a lot of ribbing from Brady and stuff. He gave some back and stuff, but man, mm-hmm. I mean, you could tell he's hurting because I mean, I well, I watched that game live too, and I'm like, that was a fumble. What the fuck is this? You know, it's yeah. like, you know, I, I mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it it uh, the rule never made much sense to me. I you know, I I guess it's to uh, they explain that's to, it's to protect uh, players and give you know offense always get, like the tie goes to the runner. Offense mm-hmm. gets a little you know. Uh, uh, no one ever called that but, before Walt Coleman that night. Right, no one ever called it. The Walt Coleman is in this, is in it as well, you know. Now that and, uh, has a mansion in Boston somewhere. Yeah, yeah exactly. And he never, he Paid never, by a, yeah. never, never reft, reft another Raiders game after that. You know, that's right. He says that in the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he again, laughed for those about people it too. who don't know what we're talking about, this is a thirty for thirty documentary uh, about the Tuck Roll, and the the video that you're watching on the screen there is. The base, basically, the main storyline throughout the show is Brady and Woodson uh, looking back at the game and then talking about whether it was a fumble or not. And uh, as as Tooch uh, perfectly said, you know they're giving each other shit, and Brady really sounds defensive because he oh, knew yeah. he fucking knew that there was well, something wrong with the call. <laughs> two questions because I didn't see it. Uh-huh. Uh, one's rhetorical from like you talking about what if because Bledsoe is probably going to start the next year if Brady loses. I don't think if they the Raiders win, which they should have, that John Gruden leaves Oakland either. Mm-hmm. They trade him to Tampa in the offseason, but if he goes to the AFC Championship game and potentially goes to the Super Bowl, yeah, I mean, they're not getting rid of him, so it changes Gruden's life forever too. 
But I was going to say, does Walt Coleman, who had the worst accent of any official ever in the history of pro football, <laughs> I, I don't know what state he was from. It had to be Mississippi. But then again, Walter didn't sound like that. So, mm -hmm. But does he confess that he blew the fucking call? No. No. Of course not. No. no. He, he defends steadfast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. he's such a liar. You know that uh, that umpire, I can't think of his name, that blew that call in the World Series between the Royals and, and Cardinals mm -hmm. uh, that cost the Cardinals a championship? That dude got death threats and shit, and he admitted he, he, he fucked it up. Yep. He blew the call. Like, he had the temerity, the stones to come out and say, I blew it. All these years later, Walt Coleman still – I mean, that's bullshit. Did he get to listen to Charles Woodson talk at all? No, that it was a separate interview, so yeah, he, he was not privy to to, yeah, to that yeah. stuff. They're hanging out. Woodson and Brady hang out, and, and Tom Brady's house is beautiful, man. Just, Gorgeous. I was like, oh, my. It's like as big as a hotel. It has like a river running through it, you know, it's like the little water stream out to the pool, and then it's right on the freaking mm -hmm. ocean. I don't mm -hmm. know if that's Tampa, or I don't think it's Tampa. It's probably Miami, but. Yeah, uh, I think it's looks, my uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a beautiful home, you know, and they they hang out, they watch, you know, they talk about it. It's great. You know, they, they were teammates at Michigan, mm -hmm. you know, and then I, I I felt I was like, man, when I was watching somebody, I'm so glad Charles Woodson got a ring. I, I mean, I know it was with the Packers and shit, but then mm. Charles Woodson is was a great player. Oh, fucking awesome. Yeah, he was a fantastic player, man. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, sure he, he really kept his cool. You know, he was funny. And uh, uh, he took a lot of the ribbing from Brady, you know, and it, I don't blame him for, for, you know, he felt ripped off. I mean, I, I left this, I've always wondered, like, uh, if there was just too much money on the game, you know, for uh, for the, you know, if, if uh, gambling had a part to do with this call, you know, Walt got the call. From, so, oh, okay. Yeah, all, right. Right. Tuck, tuck rule. all right. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> the thing is, is, you know, this is another example of that rule book just being too fucking fat. I, I'll never forget one of the referees that retired uh, uh, said after retirement. Yeah, the, the rule book, you know, most of the referees don't know every rule in it. Yeah. Um, and and, and it, they just keep adding to it and, and it gets better and better. And the way to have a better officiated game is to eliminate a lot of the fucking rules and make it as simple as possible for these part-time employees to officiate a game. That's that's the secret to, to correcting a lot of the controversy that happens in football. And so this tuck rule is a perfect example of it. First time it's ever been called. It's been in the rule book for years. Well, yep. the rule sucked. Who, who fucking put it in there? And why wasn't this reviewed by this competition committee that it's their job to review rules? And why aren't they being proactive and looking at rules that are in the rule book before they happen on the football field and have honest discussions about whether this is a good thing for the game of football? You know, the guy has brings the ball down and now you're saying it's stuck. It's not a fumble. That's bullshit. It's so obvious that it's bullshit. It's the same thing with the catch. You know, how long did it get them to fucking get oh, that yeah. right? Guy catches the ball. He puts two feet down. It's a catch. Now, don't fucking change it. Don't fucking, you know, the whole Terrell Owens. Terrell Owens did not fumble that ball against uh, the Green Bay Packers. He caught that ball. He took three steps and then fell to the ground. His knee, his elbow. That was Bryant. That was Des Bryant. I'm sorry. Uh, his knee, his elbow hit the turf, and then the ball, as he's reaching out over the goal line, that's when the ball came out, and it should have been a catch, 
place the ball at the one and a half yard line and keep playing football. The, the irony of that playoff real quickly, Dallas got a break. I don't remember what it was, but they got a significant break against Detroit in the wild card round. Mm-hmm. So they go to Green Bay in the second round. Green Bay has the refs fucking steal the game for them. Yes. Against Dallas, like you just said. So they go to the championship game. That's the game that they had the big lead against Seattle and everything just dissipated in the last two minutes for them. Mm-hmm. And then what happens? Seattle, the benefit of Green Bay shitting the bed, goes to the Super Bowl, and then they have New England beat, and they don't hand it off to Marshawn, and then Wilson's picked off. All right. So every team that benefited from the bad call lost in the next round in that playoff. Unbelievable. We're going to have a, the, on a guest uh, over the next few weeks. We're going to have a, a guest from the website. Uh, um, uh, what's it called? Oh, gosh, what's it called? Uh, Striped Zebras or something like that. They do a fantastic job of keeping us updated on the rules, who the officials are, their background uh, in preparation for every game. Uh, if Particularly for you for you betters and fantasy football players, they announce what crew is going to be officiating one game. And I, I reached out to them and said, we'd love to talk to you about some of the rules. And, and so we'll have them on as a guest sometime during the offseason. It'll be a great uh, uh, discussion because – Again, you know, this is a, 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 a calamity, that the fact that the NFL uh, is, cannot get their arms around the officiating. And one more thing about this. It's a simple, to me, it's a fucking simple fix. Why do I, as a fan, know whether the ball was inbounds, outbounds, whether it was a catch, whatever the infraction, why do I know before the NFL officials? Because I can see the replay. And so, and sometimes even during real time, I don't even need the replay. I can see because the camera's caught a perfect amb- angle of whether it was a catch or whether the guy was out of bounds or whatever the infraction is, whatever the, the play that's being disputed. I can see it real time, and I know I know. And then it goes to instant replay and there's discussions about it. And we're wasting two, three, four, five minutes on this bullshit when I, as a fan and the millions of other fans who are as sharp or sharper than me and can detect these things faster. Why is that happening? Why is the game better officiated by Tooch, Dan and me than it is NFL officials? Give the fucking officials a replay official that can call in and say, Okay, it's clearly out of bounds. Let's go. That's it's an easy fix. And when they brought it back in '99, uh, when instant replay came back, because it was gone for a number of years, right? Between like '92 through '98, uh, Vinny Testaverde scored a touchdown and was like two yards short. And Seattle ended up losing, not making the playoffs. They were in the AFC back then, and they fired Dennis Erickson as a result of it at the uh, Meadowlands. And that kind of between that and Jerome Bettis and the Steelers getting cheated on Thanksgiving Day in Detroit when they said it was tails and it was tails and the referee said it was heads or that mm-hmm. they said heads when when he didn't. Mm-hmm. You remember that when the yeah sure I do. okay when the Lions cheated the Steelers on Thanksgiving. So as a result of these terrible plays, uh, they brought instant replay back. But initially they said it was something like I might get this wrong, but it was like ninety seconds or two minutes that they had to look at the replays, and if they couldn't come up with an obvious, that it was fucking obvious, Mm -hmm. their monitor shut off, and they had to stick with the call. That's what was the language that was used. (sighs) To overturn it, it had to be obvious. 
Oh, and they didn't God. have five minutes to look at. They had like 90 seconds or two minutes or whatever the rule was. Mm-hmm. And then they had to make their decision because it shut off. They should do something like that again. Because like you said, it's like they talked themselves into this shit, especially when you had Al Riveron back in New York, who was a complete and utter fucking joke. The worst. Yeah, to, he was, he still justified Zach Miller's n- a touchdown being taken away in the Superdome when he almost lost his fucking life and leg, which was just despicable. Yep. But you got him telling you the fucking calls? You morons! Exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know how how you could say that Walt, Walt Coleman didn't have an ulterior motive to make that call. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm a conspiracy theorist by saying that. I'm not saying that uh, he was paid off or I don't know. I don't know. But like, he had to be rooting for the Patriots to make that call. And if that impugns his character, then so be it. Yeah, I mean, you got to wonder. We we know that there are factual stories of officials in professional sports who have been betting on games. And so when you get such blatant bad calls uh, and su- such blatant, um, you know, incompetence, you got to you gotta ask yourself the question, well, wait a minute, you know, are, are they better defending themselves by uh, – by making a call like this, because you know, what was the guy, uh, the Detroit game that Dan and I went to? We learned that the referee was from Michigan and uh, lived in Michigan, and so that immediately makes you wonder: Well, th- does he maybe have a preference that the Lions win this game? So it's it's not good. It's not good. All right, uh, I got to run to the washroom. Uh, it, it will be the uh, Dan and Tooch bear their social for for a couple of minutes. I'll be right back, guys. <laughs> I couldn't remember. I can't remember who the quarterback was, but it's somebody that's retired now. If you recall the game I was at when the Steelers, I. Uh, I lost Dan there for a second. There is. Is he back? Dan, are you back? Hey. Yeah, I'm here. Can you okay. hear me? Yep. I lost anyway, you there for a second. Corinthian made all these bad calls against the Bears, including that one against Pittsburgh. And I can't remember which retired quarterback brought up their experiences with Tony Corrente on the field. They said that he was the most emotional referee that they'd ever been around. Like, if he got pissed at you during the game, then the calls were go to the other team all the time. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I heard that and too, he, Dan. I can't remember who it was. It was somebody... It wasn't Peyton Manning, but it was somebody that had some stroke, you know, that, yeah. and he said like, you know, uh, it might've it been Peyton Manning. I, I... But but he said like the play clock, yeah. if the play clock was running out, you know, he'd kind of give you a warning or something. And then when, if, if he got mad at you, he didn't do that. Was it and Brady? It might've been Brady. Game of, uh, that Corinthi would always be mad during the game at somebody and his calls would always go against the team he was mad against. Matt uh, Kedro says that Chris Sims maybe was uh, the guy who called out Carenti. Perhaps so. Well, I thought it was somebody better than Chris Sims, but yeah, maybe me too. Romo, Stephen Me says Tony Romo called out Carenti. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Maybe it was Romo. Right. Yeah, I remember that story too. Uh, I, you would like this uh, tuck rule, man. I'll tell you, it was really well done, and. Uh, uh, like I said, uh, let me know if you think it's it's a hairpiece for Brady. <laughs> well, was there anything else from it that I could take away? Because it was I mean, great, man. I mean, they 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 break down, uh, uh, you know, this uh, context. 
you know, of the of the uh, because these two teams, and you would love this, you would love it because they break down the history of these two teams throughout the playoffs. You know, uh, from the seventies, eighties, like the the uh, yeah, they Raiders were in seventy six, yep. where the Patriots felt like they got cheated. Yep, the the Patriots got cheated in a, in a pass game. You know, they they showed the past context, Aldo, in this uh, episode, the history between the Patriots and Raiders throughout the playoffs. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, leading up to this, you know, uh, important one important play, you know, that changed the future of, of you know, both franchises, coaches, players, all that. And, uh, uh, you know, Bill Belichick that was portrayed in the 30 by 30, uh, a lot different than the Bill Belichick that Jim McMahon described on your show. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> that's right. You know, just uh, did Brady they, admit that he fumbled? No, no. He defended the rule, which is clearly that the rule is bullshit. He defended the rule and defended his execution of it. Kept kept saying, how could I throw the ball? How could it have been a a pass if I'm bringing the ball down to me? And Woodson stands up and says, okay, hold the ball. And he demonstrates to him exactly what happened. And you can tell by the look on Brady's face, he's like, how the fuck am I going to get out of this? (laughs) Yeah. He's like that, he was basically like that's the rule, you know, and that in the interpretation of the rule, I didn't fumble, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. It's kind of you know, like all right, you know, because I mean, uh, Woodson, you know, Woodson, like every other, most every other person who watched it was like, that's a damn fumble, you know. Mm-hmm. That's the game that after we have watched. That game, after that game, Tom Pra Tom Brady said that I went on the sidelines. I was pissed off. Because I knew I just cost my team the game. I knew that I fumbled. Mm-hmm. He said that after the fucking game. I don't know if they show the footage of it, but he said that I don't think that they did. night. Yeah. And of course, that bullshit call gives him a reprieve on everything and makes him the greatest quarterback of all time and all this shit that he would have never have been if that fumble is called. And uh, yeah, he said that that shit that night. I'm pretty sure I have it recorded as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Then, I the highlights of every game too. Oh, look at you! <laughs> I did that from like '94 through 2012. Then I just got tired of it because highlights became so like half-assed. Mm-hmm. By the time like 2012, they would show like a game and show like 25 seconds of a game and show you the score. Mm-hmm. And so the highlights didn't matter anymore. But back in the day, I always recorded primetime and like the Sunday night highlights, the Monday night highlights. I've got like the highlights of every game for almost 20 years is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody knew the rule existed, you know, for sure. Because, yeah. I mean, we've, we've been we've been watching football all our lives up until that point. So we've been conditioned to know that that's a freaking fumble. You know, it's like, what is this tuck? I was like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I remember just saying that's bullshit. You know, I, I think I, I was like, man, Rich Gannon, he's like, 14 years in the league and you know he's bounced around he deserves you know to get something you know brady we didn't brady was just you know we had nobody knew he had done anything yet mm-hmm. you know so i kind of like yeah rich gannon john gruden you know so them they, they were they were the favorites i think i think they were favored in that game too weren't they the raiders i, I, I had to remember, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. yeah I, that I happened they after were. the bears lost to the eagles though yeah that's right. I, it, uh, Dan reminded me about what happened after that. Uh, I think he mentioned it la- in the last show. But yeah, yeah, last week I said this is all true. Jordan came back as a wizard that day. Yeah, played the Bulls at United Center. Mm-hmm. The Bears lost at Soldier Field, the final game ever at the old Soldier Field, to Donovan McNabb and the Eagles. 
Uh, I was watching the Rockets that day in New Jersey. They lost to the Nets. And I was rooting for the Raiders, and they got cheated at uh, at New England. Mm-hmm. That's crazy, man. What a shitty day. What Saturday, February, or January 19th, 2002. What a shitty day in the history of sports. Mm. Yeah. Again, you should watch. I mean, like I said, it gives you a context. That was, uh, it was what, three, three, four months after uh, uh, 9 11, right? All those that. Yes. Yeah. You know, you know, there was all sorts of like restrictions on the games and stuff, you know, with, uh, uh, after post 9-11 so you have that in the background you know and uh, uh like i said the history of the raiders and patriots games in the playoffs you know stabler and uh all the other time and then uh you know talk about john gruden called the timeout although arguably you had two of the greatest kickers in nfl history in this game mm-hmm. with uh, adam finitary and sebastian janikowski you know who who it was horrible weather Oh my god! This game, they, they, I think some of the guys were quoted saying it snowed all. We got there at seven a.m. You know, for the coverage of the game. The game wasn't until nine or something. I think at night, mm-hmm. you know, uh, nine Eastern, and uh, it did not stop snowing the whole time. You know, and Gruden called that timeout at the end that gave the players like thirty seconds to clear off a, a space for Vinatieri to make. They were using their feet to clear the snowway so Vinatieri could make the time kick. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, the Patriots are known. For cheating back in the day when they brought <laughs> the guy that was out, he was out right. on bond. He was a right. criminal, literally supposed to be in jail, and drove the snowplow onto the field. <laughs> That's right. Yep. <laughs> that guy was supposed to be in jail, but he was out like as a, uh, a trustee, <laughs> yeah. or whatever. So he drives the snowplow on the field and helps them beat Miami back in the day. Oh man. Fucking NFL. <laughs> New England's been cheating for for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised they didn't find a way to cheat the Bears in the Super Bowl. But then again, they lost 46 to 10. Yeah, it was over pretty quickly. After the Walter Baton fumble and the uh, field goal by the Patriots, after that, it was all over with. <laughs> so, um, Guys, the other day I ran across a stat as I was doing some research that I had to share with people on Twitter, and it is the fact that all-time Bears MVPs. There's only been two of them, two MVPs in the hit in 100. Walter in 77, right? And Sid yep. Luckman in 43. I mean, I wanted to ask Dan this because I, he's got such a great memory. But can you think of other Bears who at least, you know, not maybe that should have been the MVP, but that were candidates that were guys that should have maybe won uh the MVP the fact that there's just two of them is so sad to me my god this is crazy 102 years and we only got two guys <laughs> what yeah. about Gail Sears in that season where he scored six touchdowns in one game I know the Bears had a fucking terrible record but he, he clearly should have been a candidate for MVP can you think of anybody else there not in my lifetime there have been phenomenal <laughs> so players sad. on defense but again uh off the top of my head it's just Lawrence Taylor in 86 and Alan Page in 71 where a defensive player was MVP of the entire league mm-hmm. oops so who was the, the MVP in 1985, the Bears Super Bowl year? Let me uh, do a little research here. 1985 NFL MVP. Because I know it's Dan Marino? Fucking sick. It's probably somebody from – oh, it was Marcus Allen. Okay. Marcus Allen. Uh, uh, Here's fuck. what I found. 
Who oh. is that? She found it for you. But it's Siri. Thank you, Siri. Uh, Go it's one of uh, one of Deshaun Watson's masseuses. <laughs> Here's Man, what I found. Did you watch the thirty for thirty that they did OJ made in America? The thirty for thirty that OJ made in America. It's like it's like eight hours or something. Yes, I saw it. It was sensational. Yeah, but who knew that Marcus Allen was like. Yeah. Fucking Nicole, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was part of the reason OJ lost his mind. Yes, it was. <laughs> well, you know, um, that season, by the way, where uh, Marcus Allen won MVP, he did have a sensational year. 1,759 yards rushing um, and added another 555 yards pass receiving for over 2,300 all purpose and, yards and Pretty they good. lost to goddamn new england at and home and they lost in new england yeah god patriots won three road games they beat the jets they beat the raiders and then they they hadn't won a game at the orange bowl since 1971 mm -hmm. and yet they went down there in the rain and beat the reigning pun intended defending afc champion miami dolphins mm -hmm. uh their first win down there since 71 uh to get to the super bowl you know, Marcus Allen always tells the narrative that Al Davis hated him because he fumbled and lost that playoff game to the Jets. But, hell, that was in 1982. After that, they won a Super Bowl. And like you just said, those stats from 85. Oof. Do we really know that Al Davis actually hated him or just thought that Bo Jackson was better? I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know, it's hard to argue about Bo Jackson, you know, not being better. He's certainly the better athlete. But – I have always loved Marcus Allen because of that two, you know, that the fact that he was a great pass receiver and the and the fact that he can could run with the ball. He was that multi-purpose back that I've always yeah. loved. This is one of the reasons I, I I appreciate Matt Forte more than a lot of uh, way more fans. than me. Yeah, more than you. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, you, uh, you know, and yes, he couldn't run in between the tackles as well as other backs, uh, but he he. He still gained a lot of yards rushing, and he's a guy you could win with. I bet you he's one of those guys that if he would have played with the under the 49ers in their offense, he would have he would have oh, had yeah. some Super Bowl rings. Yeah, I think he, he was a college safety too. They converted him to running back. Oh, I didn't know you that. Know, he wasn't even a running back. That's how good of an athlete he was, Marcus Allen. Look at that. I oh, mean, uh, Aldo's talking about Matt Forte. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, I was still on Matt, uh, Marcus Allen, but yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a good comp, although the similar players, you know, they both they're about the same size, you know. Both guys were kind of like six two and you know, maybe two hundred and twenty. Yeah, but Marcus Allen, you if you got within the five yard line, he was gonna score a touchdown. Mm -hmm. Like he had almost 140 yeah, yeah. touchdowns in his oh, career yeah. running the ball. Uh Matt Forte. I don't want to hate on Matt Forte. He was not Marcus Allen. No, 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 no. One's a no, Hall of Fame player. I'm not, I'm not just saying like he physical was. style. Yeah, but don't you think though that Forte would have had even more success if he was with a team that, you know, had more weapons or or just ran a better offense than the Bears did. Dan, I think Forte had a decent career just catching screen passes out of the backfield and taking it to the house. So I mm -hmm. think that that's sort of who he was. He wasn't necessarily running back, but mm -hmm. if he got in the flat and you hit him, he's gone, man. And I'll never take that away from him. He had numerous touchdowns where he'd go 60, 70 yards or whatever from a screen. I, I just don't think – I think Marcus Allen's the kind of guy that could run between the tackles, mm -hmm. and I 
I don't, I don't feel that Matt Forte was, but Matt Forte, uh, he didn't block me, but he blocked most of the people at the bar room. So, <laughs> fucker. Yeah. He didn't block me either, but. Um, yeah, one of the greatest all time goal line backs, Marcus Allen. I mean, I he had, yeah, just he had like that. the touchdowns, you know, most touchdowns for running back lead for a long time until Emmett Smith, you know, like mm-hmm. broke the record. But, uh, yeah, and really I hated cool. Emmett Smith breaking Walter's record because, yeah, I felt at the time, and this seemed to be proven true, that he benefited from having three or four linemen in front of him that made the Pro Bowl every year. And when that line went downhill, he and Troy Aikman both became immediately average players and could do nothing. I mean, they they didn't even win a playoff game after their last Super Bowl win ever again. Mm-hmm. And um, I just thought he was so overrated and just was in a great situation with great linemen. Whereas if Barry Sanders, who would have broken Walter's record had he not retired and just hated Bobby Ross and hated the Lions, if Barry had broken it, I could have taken that as, you know what, that guy's a great player and records are made to be broken. But Emmett breaking Walter's record, really, I, I'm i still sour about that because Walter's so much better than Emmett. Yep. But like, even though, like I said, Walter and Barry are different players, mm-hmm. but Barry was so good, I could I could sustain that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Uh, the Emmett Emmett Smith, I feel like spitting every time his name comes up because he just stuck around just long enough to beat uh, the record. God bless him, I guess. You know, given that he could do that, uh, but uh, that's a jersey we need to get the Emmett Smith Arizona Cardinal jersey. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Don't forget, he finished. He was at Soldier Field in 2003 mm-hmm. when the Bears defeated with Phil's favorite back, Brock Forsey, in the backfield mm-hmm. against Emmett Smith and the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> Cordell that day. Hey, I'm looking back at the 1965 uh, MVP awards uh, to see where Gail Sayers ended up. He was fifth. In MVP voting behind Jim Brown, who won it that year. Jim Brown had 1,544 yards rushing. Remember, this was a 14-game season. He played all 14 games. He had 17 touchdowns, uh, had another four touchdowns and 328 yards receiving. And then Johnny Unitas uh, was second. Unitas' numbers were not impressive. Um, uh, So I don't know why he was second. Dave Parks of the San Francisco 49ers was third. He had 80 receptions, 1,344 yards uh, and, and uh, receiving and 12 touchdowns. Then Pete Retzlaff of the of the Eagles, he had 66 catches, 10 touchdowns, uh, a little over 1,000 yards. And then at fifth, it was Gale Sayers. He had 16 rushing touchdowns, another six passing, and two in special teams. To me, uh, Gail got robbed there at the very least. I, I, it's hard to argue against Jim Brown because those are pretty uh, outstanding numbers, but there's no way he should have been fifth. No way he should have been behind Unitas, Parks, and Retzlaff. Did Jim go out as a champion? Jim That's Brown? his last season. Was yeah. Did they win the championship that year? I don't think so. Uh, if you remember, because I, I don't think the, the Browns had won since the 17th century. Um no, they, they, Jim, they had some championships in the 50s, didn't they, the Browns? I yeah. thought Jim Brown won 60s, at least 50s and 60s, early 60s. I've got to look this up. Yeah, look I that. know they, fall, they fired Paul Brown around like 62 or 63. Right. But I could have sworn Jim won a title. 
Well, you may be right. Yeah, uh, I think they did too. But... I do know, I do recall this, that uh, Jim Brown was working on the movie The Dirty Dozen, which is, if you have not seen the movie The Dirty Dozen, you really should. It's an outstanding picture where Lee Marvin is plays a, uh, a colonel. No, not a colonel, but a, a, a captain. And he is tasked with taking 12 convicts, uh, guys who have been arrested for trying to desert or whatever. These are, are, are 12 malcontents. He's asked to train them to do a special message, uh, mission inside uh, Germany and blow up this chateau that hosts some of uh, Germany's finest, and uh, uh, finest is a bad word, but some of their top uh, uh, military personnel. And so Lee Marvin trains these 12 convicts, and they're called the Dirty Dozen, and Brown, I think that was Brown's first movie. And from the set of that movie, he said, yeah, I'm fucking done playing football, man. Well, Jim Brown was a super, or I'm sorry, an NFL world champion. The Bears won the title in 63. 64. Jim Brown's Cleveland Browns won it in 1964 by blowing out the Baltimore Colts 27 to nothing. However, in his final game, they lost 23 to 12 to the Green Bay Packers. Ah, okay. But he did win the championship in 64. I knew he won a title. Yeah. It's it's ironic that again, Paul Brown is, you know, given so much love for it and and perhaps rightfully so. Mm -hmm. Uh but the championship wasn't with Paul. Yeah. That is ironic. Um but uh Brown then And just... then Paul Brown fucked up when he went to Cincinnati and decided he was going to step down and had Bill Walsh there and didn't hire him. Mhm. Mm and Bill went to San Francisco and then guess what? Beat Cincinnati in the Super Bowl while Paul Brown was watching. Look at that. Look yeah. at that. Brown was outstanding player, uh, power runner. Uh, and um, I wish I could see his games. That's the NFL should should care about their legacy and and even if they had to splice highlights together, just show a bunch. I mean, I would love to sit down and watch Jim Brown in his prime. Yeah, there actually as a gift, I had a. Uh, a, uh, somebody I knew who was a huge Cleveland Browns fan, and I found a VHS tape of Cleveland Browns highlights uh, from that championship season, now that I recall correctly. And on the box, it said, uh, this NFL Films movie was produced before some of the advancements that we've made here at NFL Films. So in other words, they were apologizing for the poor quality of the movie, <laughs> but I bought it for him anyway. And uh, he told me that he enjo enjoyed it. But, yeah, Jim Brown, as Nomad says, brutality in his way of running. He ended up being a pretty pretty good movie star, too. Dirty Dozen. Uh, he did a movie with Raquel Welch that was one of the first She's times. She's fine as a motherfucker, Yeah, too. she is. Damn. One of the first times a black man kissed a white woman on, on, on TV. So, you know, that didn't play well in some parts of the South. She probably sucked his dick backstage. <laughs> <laughs> You're a dirty-minded man. She was so fucking fine. <laughs> yes, she was. Uh, any any movie with Raquel Welch in it, I'm going to I'm gonna take a look at it. One of my favorites is Kansas City Bomber, where she plays a role of Derby Queen. I sent you that one. Yeah, you did. You did. And um, no, no, no. You didn't send me that one. You sent me the one with Claudia Jennings, didn't you? No, I sent you Kansas City Bomber. Okay. I bought it for you, and I, I, I sent you a copy of it, but I bought it because at the time you hadn't seen it. Mm, okay, okay, yes. I sent it to you last year, or yes. maybe in 2020. It's one of the two. And then right after I sent it to you, a few months later, it came on Twitter and Classic Movies. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
Matthew Fulcisi, no, uh, Jim Brown was not in Jackie Brown. Uh, Barry Forster, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, Pam Greer. Jimmy Brown was not in that. He was in Mars Attacks, <laughs> which he had a great role in. He's running around in a Farrell's uniform because he worked at Caesars uh, Casino. <laughs> right. I remember that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and no that matter- Raquel Welch photo, I think she's on Dick Cavett's show. Mm-hmm. Is one of the hottest fucking photos of all time. Really? Uh, yeah, I found it already. I'm going to send it to you. All right. Well, I can just find yeah, it. Put that. Put that thing up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got it. I'm sending it to you right now. So, she's so fucking. I mean, like, I wish that this was a porn, so that I could see more. <laughs> how often Look do you? Uh, how often do you do porn? Uh... Look at her. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, How can this man look at her and not look at her like I look at her? <laughs> Kudos to Dick Cavett. Yeah, Dick uh, didn't really live up to his name sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you all share my admiration for this photo? Oh my gosh! Yeah, I got to put it up on yeah, even her collarbone beat off. <laughs> Look at that clavicle. Oh, my God. <laughs> I used to have a girlfriend who was really turned out by clavicles. And I'm like, why? <laughs> Look at those legs. The, the fucking tan is just unbelievable. The breasts. Yeah. We've actually got She's running video up on the screen right now. She looks super sensational. There's no doubt about it. No doubt yeah. about it. She's fan-fucking-tat. She's like the NBA in the 80s. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> you remember those spots? Yes, absolutely. They'd always like show a couple of highlights and show a celebrity mm-hmm. and say NBA action. It's fantastic. fantastic. Absolutely. Um, yeah, she looks. Oh my gosh, she looks so good. Oh god. Should I tell you about the movie that I watched on Sunday? Yes, tell us about the movie named Men. All right. All right. This is going to be spoilers. So if you all like going to be hating on me, come back in a few minutes and, and fast forward if you're not listening live. The movie's called Men. I go into it thinking, well, what a stupid name for a fucking film. Kind of feel that way now, but it's all to do with the female's reaction to the males in this movie. Aldo, are you paying attention now? 100%. Okay. I want you to watch this movie. So she's moving. It's, it, they're set, it's set in England somewhere. But it's not usually British, too much British, and I have to start seeing subtitles or I can't understand it. But it, this wasn't a problem. So the lady is moving into like a new apartment. It's it's extremely nice, though. It's like a, a, something we couldn't afford. I can tell you that. But she wants a fresh start because her husband committed suicide or maybe he accidentally fell. She doesn't know. But she was going to divorce him. So he's, he kept saying, if you're going to divorce me, then I'm going to kill myself. So she's like, well, I can't stay with you just because you make this threat. And then he brings up the Bible. So you got to keep that in mind, too. That one of the themes is something to do with, like, sin or whatever, you know? So are you following me? 100%. Okay, just making sure. So the guy ends up dying or falling. There's speculation that maybe he tried to go into the flat above them and was going to come down the balcony because she locked him out and maybe he fell, but she's looking out the window as he falls, as he's descending into his death. 
So she's moving away now to get away from this. Every male character she interacts with is just some horrible situation. Like, so she moves into this place. She decides she's going to go for a walk. And it's like out in the country, it's in the woods, and the cinematography is incredible. Like I told you, the the way it goes from light schemes to other light colors, and she's in a like a tunnel making her voice echo. The the way it's shot is beautiful, is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And the score is incredible as well. I still don't know what kind of movie this is yet, though. And then suddenly it hits me, and then there's a penis. There's a there's a fucking dick. Then you start to feel like, okay, this movie's going somewhere now. Yeah, there's this naked man who just pops out of nowhere that starts following her. So of course she's like, ah, this guy's dick, you know, and she's taking off and she she's taking a picture of like the mountainside and then looks again and she got a picture of his dick. Um, so she goes home, she gets home, and now the naked man's outside of her window. He's looking in and stuff. Eventually, the naked man gets arrested. So you think, okay, we're not going to see him anymore. Wrong. Lots more of the naked man. So she sees the naked man. Okay, he's arrested. And then she she's talking to a priest, you know, or whatever they call them over there. Like I've heard them called padres here and priest. Mm-hmm. The British have a completely different term. And the British guy was like, well, it's your fault that your husband died. She's like, What? He's like, well, you know, I mean, some men hit women. It happens. It's unfortunate, but maybe you didn't give him a chance to, uh, for to, um, you know, to say he was sorry. So she's like, you know, go fuck yourself. And like the priest is touching her legs awkwardly, and it's just, just like, wow. And this little boy, or he's a grown man. You think he's a little boy? He wants to play hide and seek with her, and she's like, I'm not playing hide and seek. And he's like, you're a fucking bitch. Like, every guy she's interacting with, it's just strange. Like the policeman interacts with her. It, he's a bastard to her. Uh, every male character is inflicting some type of, you know, harm on her, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'll get to the, the point of where it gets shocking. So she's talking to her female friend on like um, Zoom or Facebook, whatever. There's it's a It's a video. And she's like, fuck it, I've had enough. I'm leaving. Her friend's supposed to be coming to get her. And then as soon as that happens, all these weird things start happening in her house. Like somebody tries to break in. Somebody tries to break in and she stabs one of their hands. Like, cause he's got his hand inside. And then eventually the priest is in her house and the priest is trying to fuck her. He's like, all I keep thinking about is your pussy and your vagina. And she has to fight off the priest. And like one by one, she's like, she's like destroying these men that are bothering her one by one. They all have their own way of fucking with her. But as the movie goes on, so she thinks she's done now. And then this, the naked man reappears and he's got a belly and suddenly below his balls, a vagina appears. And now he's like a hermaphrodite and he's got both and a baby comes out. He's giving birth through his male pussy. And it's he gives birth to one of the other male characters that has been harassing her. And then that one gets a vagina out of nowhere and gives birth to another man. And so on and so on and so on. Until finally, the last one who's born is her ex-husband. The one who died earlier in the film. Oh, I should also say, every character within the film has the same characteristics of her husband. When he fell he like had a compound fracture of his leg. Mm-hmm. So they all have the same limp. They all have the same injuries as her husband after he died. 
So I thought it was going to try to say she was crazy and all the shit was in her head. It doesn't do that. But one by one, they, all these guys develop a pussy and give birth to another one of the males that's been bothering her. Eventually, like I said, she's sitting down and she's so like, and it's her husband. And she goes, what do you want? He's like, true love. He's like, I've always just wanted to love you. I just want your love. And like, you don't even see what happens. She walks outside and her female friend is finally there to pick her up and she's pregnant too. But it doesn't, she doesn't give birth to anybody. The girl gets in the car and they leave, but she's pregnant and she wasn't pregnant earlier. And the movie goes off. Holy shit. Lots man. of males developing vaginas out of nowhere, giving birth this sequence. Oh, there's another thing too. Like, uh, she eats an apple and the guy said, you mustn't do that. And she was like, well, he's like, that's forbidden fruit. So you got that again, the biblical thing. that's a little tired out the Adam and Eve shit right? Uh, to me, but it's got all these themes. Most of them I can tell is like females overcoming like oppressive males. Like this guy uh, is hit her and, you know, tells her she's not leaving and stuff like that. And it's like every male character in the film like thinks that their feelings are the only ones that matter mm -hmm. and that they, they are dominant over even the priest. Like I said, tells her, well, you know, guys hit women sometimes. That's okay. I mean, it's not okay, but it happens. And, and I didn't notice this when I watched it live, but I was reading um, or in the theater, I was reading ways to interpret this and every male character that she meets other than her husband, because he happened to be black Mm -hmm. Every other white character is the same guy playing the, all of these characters, or at the very least, it's the same face. But I didn't notice that at the time because they all have different hair and stuff. But it's like the same actor's face. I guess it's him in all the roles. Mm -hmm. But I didn't even notice that when I watched it when it was when it was airing. But it was when I left. I was like, damn. I mean, it's not a Serbian film, but it's. It was shocking to see all these men start developing vaginas out of nowhere and giving birth. It was crazy, man. I'm telling you, but the cinematography, the shock value, and and the score, it's definitely something I highly recommend. Remind and people of the Serbian uh, film uh, again, uh, which is a movie that you touted here on the show. Oh, God. You don't want me to talk about a Serbian film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, you know, because people are wondering, Serbian film, what's that? Again, you have to watch the uncensored version, not the one that's on Amazon right now. Mm -hmm. But the guy's retired. This is the quick, quick, quick synopsis. The guy's a retired porn actor, uh, but he's running out of money. And this actor that he used to fuck, this lady comes up to him and says, hey, I met this like art film guy who's really interesting. He's a big fan. He wants to meet with you. And so he take, And he's like, I'll give you $2 million to do one more film, but I, you can't know the script because I want to film your general reactions to situations. So he doesn't want to do it, but his wife is like $2 million. I mean, shit, you were fucking women before you met me. Go ahead and fuck them on this video too. It's $2 million. So he reluctantly does it and all these weird things start happening. Once he's getting blown and there's a, a little girl sitting in the room so he's freaked out and wants to stop. And then the guy starts choking him and the girl starts sucking his dick and biting it. And uh, all, all the characters, even the little girl, like hit her, hit her. And they're screaming, hit the whore, hit the whore. And like eventually he like punches the woman that's biting his dick like three times. 
And then she beats him off and makes her come on it, makes him come on her face. It's just bizarre stuff. No and shit. then, and then they make him watch a movie where a girl gives birth to a child, and they smack his ass, and like the dude starts fucking the baby, which is terrible. Which is terrible. And so he's gonna quit the film. He's I can't watch this fucking shit. And the guy, the director's like, newborn porn, newborn porn. It's gonna be the new, the the biggest. You fad and and you know he's like fuck this. But they drug him, they drug him and they give him like Viagra that you would give horses if you were breeding. So he just he's out of his mind on dope and has this raging erection. They make him fuck all these women. All these bad things happen. You, I, I'm going to digress there. I mean the newborn porn thing shocking enough. There's a lot more to it. Like uh, one more thing, they the, his female friend that got him the original meeting with the director. They knock out all of her teeth, and a guy chokes her to death with his dick because her hands are tied up. He literally chokes her to death after he knocked out all of her teeth with, like, pliers or whatever. Jesus Christ, what are you watching? So this movie. <laughs> People are watched, wondering, what kind of porn are you looking at, bro? It's this not real really porn. Bro. That's what I was saying. Uh, the movie is a metaphor, a political statement against their government. Yes, it is. And uh, <laughs> I watched the making of it and stuff on the Blu-ray. They had a panel. Uh-huh. I watched them how they built the set. Like it's not really the girl's vagina at all. It's it's oh, all really? uh, like the baby wasn't. We didn't watch a real birth. It looks like it. Mm-hmm. Like it's all out of uh, a set. Like they built all of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah, the they said um, the Serbian. This is their words, not mine. The Serbian government fucks you before you're before you're born, right. while you're alive, and after you die. And there is some uh, fucking dead bodies in it too. Yes. And it takes more than 10 years to get this film edited because uh, they could go to jail in their own country. They go to Germany, actually, to try to get edited. And they're like, oh, my God, do you know what we've got going on here? You've ever heard of the Holocaust? Get this film out of our country. Like, he tried to go to Germany and they were like, we're not touching this. film. We've got too much in our past. We can't. So it, like I said, it takes them like 10 years to get it edited properly. And the girl in it. Uh, she's a voice, uh, the Disney character voice actress, but she happened to be from Serbia. She said, this will be the only time I could ever make a film, A, that's political, but B, that's this shocking because I'm I'm kind of stereotyped into Disney roles. Did, did you get at any point while you were watching the movie, did you understand that this was a political allegory? Oh, at the time I thought, this is the most shocking, disgusting thing I've ever seen, especially the child thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my friend Jeremy and I were watching uh, Cannibal Holocaust. And he goes, you know, this is shocking, but goddamn, this isn't like Serbian film shocking. I was like, well, what's a Serbian film? He's like, oh, you've never seen it? He's like, don't even watch it. I was like, now I got to watch it because he's telling me I, it's so bad I can't watch it. So now I got to watch it. And I watched it online on some like, weird website that was probably giving my fucking computer like a virus or something. But then right after that in America on Amazon, it was released on Blu-ray for the first time legally mm-hmm. and had the, cause it's a foreign film obviously. Um, but most of the films online, the versions of it don't have the subtitles matching up right and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it had, it has the American subtitles on correctly and has all these additional scenes from the on the like the second disc or whatever explaining the rationale of it so after i watched that and saw the real actors and stuff i gained a whole appreciation for the film that i didn't have before so men 
uh, a Serbian film. Give me two or three other movies that are along the same vein, which are movies that Cannibal just... Holocaust is another one that's pretty shocking. Um, Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah, that's from 1980. Like the director got arrested in real life uh, because they thought he did a snuff film. And the only way he got released is they had to produce the actors to show in a courtroom that they weren't dead. Because the country <laughs> was in thought he did a snuff film and thought that these people were murdered. Mm-hmm. He was literally arrested. And granted, it's 1980. It's a long time ago. But uh, the world's changed a lot, obviously. But it's still pretty fucking shocking when someone thinks you actually murdered people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would say, uh, you know, the Human Centipede uh, trilogy is right up there, too. A bit shocking, you know, shitting in girls' mouths and stuff. But uh, I would say uh, Serbian film is the most shocking movie I've ever seen. That men's right up there, man, in a different way. Um, yeah. And, All right, I just uh, found, Cannibal Holocaust, I just, maybe the Human Centipede trilogy. I just found the trailer to Cannibal Holocaust. Um, looks like a good-looking young cast. Is this an American film? It doesn't look like it, based on what I'm seeing here. Uh, it's film. Italian, no, it's, I, but yeah. My head, it, it feels like they're speaking American or English in it. Do you, yeah, are you familiar with the I, yeah, I've seen the Italian zombie films. You know, the, the soundtracks are great for these movies. A band called Italian rock band called Goblin did the uh, soundtrack for a lot of these. It's crazy. They, they uh, uh, some of those yeah, are actually the film, too. It's real quick. The music yeah. from Cannibal Holocaust, the main theme, yeah. was used in Euphoria season two. Yes, yeah. Riz Ortolani is the composer. He was like the leader of Goblin, the band in uh, the Italian rock band. Like, yeah, Aldo, he, if you look he's at done the whole tons of soundtracks. It has a woman that's naked and completely impaled, mm-hmm. like with a pole. Like the villagers, like because the white people rape her. Of course we do, right? And um, <laughs> the white people rape her, but they kill her. Yeah, it is right there. She's like, you know, infected with the white man's semen, I guess. And impale her. Of those. So basically, Cannibal Holocaust is all these arrogant Americans thinking that these villagers, because they, they are cannibals, that they're savages, right? That they're complete savages. Kind of a good reason. <laughs> well, at the end of the film, it is the white guy who sees all the stuff that the white men did. Uh, to them that that he says we can't air this footage and he you know he's like but as i he's walking out the building he's like as i ponder on it i'm i don't know who the real savages are i think it's us because they're like doing like vietnam era stuff like burning down villages and raping and my dad was in vietnam so nobody get like offended here i have no reason to say that these allegations didn't happen you know it doesn't mean I'm anti-American is what I'm saying. My dad fought in the fucking war. So, um, but those kind of atrocities were what are the catalyst for the bad things that happened to the white people. Like the, the woman, the, the white woman who watches the rape and shit and goes along with it, they gang fuck her and then behead her and then they eat her body. Wow. Like 50 different men gang fuck her. And the white guy, the white guy that's with her instead of trying to help her, is recording it on video camera because that's more important than saving her life. I hope my wife is not going to watch the show. Has your wife watched the the Kennedy stuff yet? Not yet. Not yet. Uh, We're we're, going to do it uh, 
we, we've got a date picked out when we're going to do it. So I'll let you know. Oh, oh you're saying if she say, what we're talking about now, she wouldn't want me back at the house. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, one one of these streaming services had like the video nasties like recently. I, I don't know whether it was Apple TV or, or oh, Amazon really? Prime. Yeah, they had a bunch of them available. I don't want to say it's Amazon Prime. They had like a video nasties, like with mm -hmm. Cannibal Holocaust is one of them that was uh i saw on there i had seen it a while ago you know it's curiosity as being one of the banned films you know art by nike says i saw Cat yeah. cannibal holocaust when i was a dumb curious middle schooler lol didn't sleep for a couple of days <laughs> yeah, yeah that seems like the type of movie that would do that i think the most perverted movie that i ever saw was uh the original last house on the left which was i think yeah West that Craven's, was a good film yeah yeah West West very first film and uh then there was another one uh i spit on your grave yeah when i was about 18 years old i took this woman on a date and about 20 30 minutes into it she was like i need to go i can't watch this and i yeah, really yeah, wanted we were to... sodomizing that woman against her will so. <laughs> yes yeah. i really wanted to see <laughs> Not the, movie. the best date movie <laughs> no no but it's like i'm watching a chick get raped for the she whole was movie very adventuresome you know yeah. and so i thought well you, you might like this and and so we went in there but boy she was immediately turned off by it if she'd have yeah. watched it though that woman gets revenge on every every guy in it Oh, yeah. really? Well, that's good to know because I didn't get to see the ending yeah, either. There's a built-in <laughs> irony. Every person, uh, she, uh, yeah, she atones for everything later in the film. Yeah, I think the problem was is that there were guys in the movie theater who were really loving the fact that this woman was being raped, and, and it was the reaction by the audience members that turned her off more than what she saw on the screen, which is, you know, a comment on um, – society uh we all complain about where the where the well is the where in the hell is the world going to nowadays well it's been going to hell for many many years well, you should watch the remake they did a remake of that somewhere around 09 or 10 i like the original one better mm -hmm. uh, but i hate the fucking rapists they're all like dumb hick like like yeah kind of guys yeah. you know i can't yeah but in the newer film it's uh, i would say that her revenge the killings on all the guys is a lot more perverse than uh, the original. Uh, JJ Oeg one says Pink, Pink Flamingos is nothing compared to Dan's movies. <laughs> you ever seen yeah, Pink? Pink Flamingos? Uh, she eats dog shit. Yeah, Divine, the uh, transvestite who uh, eats dog shit in the movie, and it oh. is real dog shit. <laughs> as soon as the dog like unearths it, as soon as it comes out of the dog's ass, <laughs> that's right. Because <laughs> she eats the dog shit. Uh, yeah, that. Uh, that uh, Waters guy, he's got some fucked up movies. John Waters, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Strange dude. <laughs> wow, man. So, uh... But you would like the visuals. Like I'm telling you, the cinematography is amazing, and the score is amazing, too, of this movie. For men. Uh, early on, men. you don't know what's going to turn into all this stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, I was thinking at the time, I'm not making this up because we're on the air. At the time, when I was watching it, I was like, Aldo is probably the only person I know right off that would just appreciate what I'm seeing right now. Mm -hmm. um, just the actual cinematography and stuff. And I was like, I was like, I couldn't wait to talk to you about it. But Did I didn't know Annihilation and birth. And <laughs> but and still, I think I, I don't know if you'll love it, but I think it's definitely worth your uh, your attention. And uh, for Dan, you know, did, you see, did you see Annihilation? Yes. So that was the movie before Men, I assume. That was right. It's the same director. That's same right. director. He went from Annihilation to Men, right? Is that the, he didn't have one in between these two films, correct? 
That I don't know. Okay. I well, think he did some Scarlett Johansson films too. Um, I can't remember the name of them, but yeah, that Annihilation. Uh, what's her name? The one that was it? Natalie the little Portman. girl in the professional. Natalie Portman. In, Natalie Portman. Yeah, Natalie Portman. She's in Black Swan. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, she's in Annihilation. That was that was a little fucked up too, but not anywhere near this because of the vaginas and stuff. <laughs> Jeez, I'm looking for a clip of uh, Annihilation. So, but yeah, that's got a great cast. I mean, a well-known uh, cast: Natalie Portman, a number yeah. of other people. Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac, great actor. Yeah, that's on. It's Netflix, very, though. it's very 2001-ish in, in the regards that you know they some people have gone into some type of it may be not space but it, they interact some kind of artificial and you know some uh, some intelligence extraterrestrial kind of thing mm-hmm. and they're never the same again yeah you know it's kind of like you know the guy on 2001 you know it's like he's now a spiritual entity with light or whatever he's not even a person anymore it's kind of similar to that in that one regard only Mm-hmm. Yeah, a, meteor, a meteor lands and it starts affecting the landscape with like alien DNA, like changing plant and animal DNA, and just like mashing it up. And you know, time uh, runs differently inside. Uh, I forget what they call the the area uh, in, in uh, Annihilation. Yeah, the Shimmer. They call it the Shimmer. But yeah, that's a great. I just I, I saw this one ran, rolled through recently. I was. I, it was on. I stepped into it, or maybe towards the beginning, and watched it. Dan, what uh, would you recommend more, uh, the men or Annihilation? I like men better. Um, Annihilation was okay. I only watched it the one time. Did, Whenever it just got released on Blu-ray and pay-per-view, I, or, I ordered beautiful. it. Did did, did, see, okay, did did you see Midsummer? It's like uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen another one of those creepy, uh, gross movies. That was the date movie for me. <laughs> <laughs> and really? Although, did you see really, Midsummer? Really I haven't seen it yet. I have it on oh, my. You got to see it, man. It's shocking. Oh man, the lady that I was with was really attractive. <laughs> uh, she looks over at me and she says, "This was not a date movie." <laughs> she was way out of my league, anyway. So, but <laughs> between that and the film, I was like, "I'm never going to have sex with this girl." <laughs> <laughs> She was uh, she was a white Muslim though. She'd married a um, a Muslim male, and she had all. I mean, unless she was lying, I don't want to besmirch the the religion or the the guy. Mm-hmm. But she was telling me that like when she divorced him, like he had like numerous Muslims like contacting her, saying that they had her divorce was uh, you know shameful to Allah and that they were gonna get her. Mm-hmm. And like he didn't even know where she lived anymore, and all this kind of shit. And it was just like, wow. But honestly, I believed her. It was so specific, and she cried when she told me the story. And wow, yeah. Um, but damn, I think Midsummer ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I wanted any part of all that other shit. Although you got to you got to check out Midsummer, man. It's shocking as heck. Man. I will. I definitely will. It. It's a, it's it in a, the vein the of uh, a horror movie before that too, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Ari Aster. I saw them both at the theater. The, what was the other one called? Oh God, what was the name of it? Uh, Very uh, Exorcist-ish. Yeah, in some regards, the it's other like, one. I it's like Inheritance, or 
uh, God, what's the name? What is it called? Heredity? Yeah. Hered heredity. Hereditary. Oh, I saw Hereditary. Hereditary. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah that's the same director shit. that did that did Midsummer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Midsummer's that, uh, what's that movie that like Nicolas Cage did? The Wicker Man. Midsummer's a lot like The Wicker Man. You know, okay. that was an earlier movie with Britt Eklund and uh, Edward mm -hmm. Woodward, the British film, and then Nicolas Cage remade it again. Right. You know, telling the, the same original story, was a big but, success, a uh, big yeah. midnight um, a movie. A twist, movie. yeah, at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, although, did you see anything that was like normal? I, I saw Chef <laughs> recently I could recommend. I thought it was really good. The original Chef see? with Richard Roundtree? No, uh, it was the one with John Shaft. Favreau and uh, Scarlett Johansson. Chef? Uh, 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 Chef. Oh, okay, Chef. Chef, C H E F. Yeah, I was like Chef with Chef with John Favreau. <laughs> no, it, it's good, man. It's uh, John Favreau got all of his like people that he directed in other movies to star in this movie with him, like mm -hmm. you know uh, Robert Downey Jr., Scarlett Johansson, uh, John Leguizamo. Uh, forget uh, the very beautiful Sofia Vergara. If you don't know who she is, oh yeah, she's like a <laughs> beautiful Colombian sex pot. And uh, it's like a chef who's like really talented. And Dustin Hoffman is actually the owner of the restaurant where he works. He's supposed to have free license. Dustin Hoffman wants him to cook the same shit over and over again. And he's got all these great ideas he wants to do, you know, different stuff. And, you know, this one critic played by Oliver Platt comes into uh, the restaurant and gives him like this horrible like uh, uh, review, you know, that's like it's it's terrible and it's funny at the same time. You know, it was only a scathing critic can do you know it's like mm -hmm. insulting him you know and his food and stuff he was like i was a fan of you know this of chef casper his name is chef casper he's got a kid and it's like what you know he's like his son is like 10 he's got this you know they're divorced from sofia vergara but they still have a great relationship and the boy is like uh, dad you're trending on twitter he's like what's twitter you know and stuff like so son sets him up with twitter he doesn't know he's like you know replying and stuff and everybody could see his like horrible stuff he's saying and stuff so like kind of like ruins his, his career and he's like he loses his job and uh there's this great scene where he go he invites the chef back and he's got this great meal planned he's like you're gonna eat this meal you know and stuff and uh dustin hoffman tells him you're not serving that you know and he, he loses his job and you know the guy comes back he's get served the exact same meal that he slammed you know it's like uh so he gets a food truck you know and him and john leguizamo and the kid they go have us like travel across america in their food truck and he bonds with his son it's a really great movie man if you haven't seen it i think it was uh was a, a film festival favorite it's called mm. chef uh really good it's like a feel-good movie man you'll like it it's you know it's, it's I, not it's not a serbian film <laughs> no i still strongly Aldo, yes. strongly recommend it comes out on blu-ray uh, i guess 4k and all that shit on june 21st uh uh, the Nicolas Cage film called "The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent." Yeah, I've got I've got that queued up on my. I queue. heard about that too. And the yeah. uh, Spanish actor is unbelievable too. I don't I don't know what he's from. I'm sure he's got to be a big star wherever he's at. Uh, <laughs> but I would imagine he's from you know star in Spanish films primarily. Mm -hmm. He's amazing though. His name's Pedro Pascal. Yeah. Okay. I've heard uh, of that. Their chemistry is unbelievable. This is this film was really fun. Yeah, really fun. Nicholas Cage is playing himself in it. Yeah, that, that Pedro Pascal's The Mandalorian if the Disney. You oh, know, okay. The, uh, the, and he was in uh, Game of Thrones as Oberon the Viper. 
who fights the mountain with his spear. Remember? Mm -hmm. uh, who defends? He's very uh, good in that film. Yeah, he, he's uh, he's Chilean, and he, he I think he was raised in L.A. But yeah, he's fantastic, Pedro. <laughs> um, all right. So, <laughs> did you see? I know that Dan hasn't been following, but did you see the latest episode of The Man Who Fell to Earth? I did. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was the outstanding it was great. episode. Yeah. Oh I loved my. his uh I loved his uh description of the dinner ritual. <laughs> yes. Like, that was brilliant. You know, it's like they do this. It's like exactly what we do around the dinner table. You know, first there's this, you know, there's yes. this and there's preparation, setting the table and the prayer. And then it's work talk, you know, with uh with uh, uh you know Justin and her dad and uh and the daughter who he calls pupa the uh, cocoon and stuff you know and they're he's still trying to solve the problem of uh you know the the fusion that his his adept you know he thinks like let him on a wild goose chase but i'll mm -hmm. you know i'll let you finish i didn't want to talk no, to I just uh, for a little more context the, yeah. the, for those people who aren't watching it uh well let me just say real quick i gotta piss okay and then you have the you have the jimmy simpson story going in the alongside of it you know and mm -hmm. the, the uh, john delaney story it's a great show it really, really yeah. is. And this episode was just fantastic. Again, the plot is uh, there is an alien who comes from another another planet named Athenia, and he's yep. been sent here because there is a possible way to save his planet and the future of, of planet Earth because yep. they're both facing the same issue, and it's by uh, coming up with a, a machine that is able to create fusion energy, a low uh low uh a, a, an energy source that can provide all the energy the planet needs with very little investment in terms of if any you know fossil fuels or, or things like that yep. and so faraday played by chiwalti elijah for uh yep. in this episode he is sending a message back to his family on the planet athenia and yep. during the course of that he is explaining how human beings react and that the fact that one of the, you know, in, in the planet of Athenia, everyone who lives there is it's basically a utilitarian uh, type way where everybody has their orders. You don't have choices. Yep, you do yep. what you're supposed to do and so forth. Yep, and yep. in a very clever and cinematic manner, uh, it's expressed here by the character all of the ways that uh, humans behave and all the choices that they make yep, yep. and all the rituals that they have and stuff. And it's just an outstanding, outstanding episode. And yep, along yep. the way, it, it, the 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 story in this episode makes a, a, a pun intended, a quantum leap forward in the storytelling because they are able to unlock how this fusion machine works, which for a while felt like it, they just weren't going to be able to crack the code on yep, it. Yep. But it's but it, it, there are complications involved because there's a guy from the CIA, the guy who was in Lost. What's his name again, Dooch? Jimmy Simpson. Jimmy Simpson, excellent actor uh, who is uh, trying to uh, divert the uh, uh, development of this machine and yeah, you know appropriate and, it for the CIA. Right. right, and so exactly, and so uh, it's it's just very well done. I do think that the the series started the first couple episodes were a little slow moving for me, but you know my wife and I were watching it together and we both agreed, yeah, I think we should invest more time on this because it, it really is intriguing. And so after you get through the exposition 
of it. Uh, it just starts to really, really gel. The Man Who Fell to Earth on Showtime, it is outstanding. Yep. Um, the other thing that uh, – Did you see the wife, David Bowie one or – no, I have never. I never have either. I mean, I, I might have seen it like back in high school. I just don't remember, you know. Yeah. I remember if I did, I, I remember it being not remarkable. Yeah, you know? it, it's but, one of those movies where, where if I saw, I was so drugged up that I just don't remember. Me too. <laughs> Stone. <laughs> <laughs> but but. It, it's it, it's really uh, it's really made me want to uh, search out that original movie because a couple of the reviews that I've read about have made reference to the original movie and how they compare to one another. So I'd like to to see the original. I'll, I'll do that sometime. But the other Showtime sh series that. Um, uh, my wife and I have been trying to catch up on because we saw the first few seasons and have not watched the last two seasons is uh, billions with Paul Giamatti. And I can't get into that. Really? Why not? I don't know. I don't like the actors on it or something. You don't like Paul so Giamatti? No, I, I don't know why. I just don't like this show at all. I've, but have I you seen know. any of it? We got breaking news. No, I watched some of season one. Yeah. The Broncos just got sold. If that's where you're going, the Denver Broncos no. were sold. No, even bigger than that, the says that uh, GlaxoSmithKline has a cure for cancer. A new drug called Dostarlamab cures all patients in trial for the first time in history. Yeah, I heard that. Uh, it was like 18 too. or 19 people is a weird number. But mm -hmm. every person that was their trial or their quote-unquote guinea pig, all yeah, of them yeah. got cured. Mm. And that's never happened before. Oh, my uh, Cliff says that his died, dad died from cancer, and my mother died from cancer. cancer. I think everybody knows someone uh, who has died from cancer, and yep. uh, so this well. is this is huge, huge news. Oh, um, well, don't worry; they'll make it so expensive that poor people can't actually utilize it. <laughs> well, <laughs> and you know, if people remember back to well, a lot of us weren't alive, but when penicillin was first invented, uh, wasn't that available free? The the person who invented it um, said. You know, I'm not going to profit from this. This should be available to everybody. And so um, I'm sure a Glasgow Smith Klein isn't going to do that, but uh, they should make it as affordable as possible for every human That'd being. That'd be a PR disaster, kind of. <laughs> no, <laughs> yes. we're not, we're not going to give it out, folks. We <laughs> found right. the cure. No. <laughs> No, you have to have just... a portfolio of at least five hundred million dollars. <laughs> yeah, but that is uh, that is uh, great news, and the Broncos being sold. Who were the Broncos sold to, Dan? I saw it while you were talking. I didn't want to interrupt you. I forget. I've already closed it out. That's all right. Uh, Adam Schefter tweeted it out. If you wanted to look man, up Adam, I don't give a shit. Uh, is El I wonder. I just wonder if Elway's still on the uh, uh, on the controlling. Uh, Board, for lack of a better way of putting it. Uh, but anyway, oh, no, but he as GM, they did win one Super Bowl, and he won three or won two as a player for them, and took them to five. So. That's true. I, mean, I don't have any, you know, animosity towards John Elway. I just feel like, you know, it, it, he could, he probably should have had more success with that franchise. But having said that, he's had enough to get a great pat on the back, and we'll see what what his future is with the Broncos with this new ownership. But I want to get back to Billions. I'm surprised that uh, Dan isn't even going to give it a chance because this new season. No, I saw some of season one. I just didn't I didn't dig it. Man. Yeah, I, I hear you. Uh, okay. Um, and so Paul Giamatti, I think, is one of America's great actors. He's just super sensational. That's and great. he plays a district attorney 
who is headed out for a character named Bobby Axelrod, who's played by Damian Lewis, a, a English actor. Um, and Bobby Axelrod is a very, very uh, successful venture capitalist uh, billionaire. And in the, at the end of the previous season, uh, that character uh, was, uh, how, how should I put it without giving too much away? He's gone from the series now, and he's been uh, supplanted by a character by the name of Michael Prince, who has taken over this uh, uh, financial company. And Paul Giamatti is now waging war against Michael Prince uh, and, and framing it as the middle class versus billionaires. And uh, for that reason alone, I, I love the story because I think billionaires in the United States have way too much power. They become the aristocracy, the monarchy, the plutocracy of of the United States, and it's ruined, ruining this country. And so Giamato, Giamatti wages war against Mike Prince and the billionaire class. And so it makes for some compelling uh, TV. I, I really appreciate how every, every series has to continue to evolve, you know, and original storylines get stale. And so they have to introduce new characters, they have to introduce new plot lines and so forth. And I think Billions did a really nice job of now it wasn't just uh, Paul Giamatti's character up against the Bobby Axelrod character. Now Giamatti has taken his war against an entire class of, uh, of people in the United States, billionaires who are just making it really rough for people to uh, uh, in the middle class to have decent lives because everything trickles back to them in terms of tax uh, responsibilities and, and, and other things. So interesting sh uh, series. If anybody is uh, uh, likes those kinds of political and uh, uh, dramas involving uh, class warfare, you might, you might like billions. It's in its sixth season now, and it, it's actually a pretty good binge watch, but you really do have to pay attention to it. There's lots of fantastic, fantastic writing on it. There's a lot of pop culture references. So they'll, they'll be talking about, you know, a certain thing and all of a sudden they'll, a pop culture reference about, you know, uh, the Flintstones will come up, you know, and uh, it, it, it makes it for very entertaining watching. Billions is it. Uh, Dan, I, I, I would love it if you gave it another chance, but I know you've got a very busy schedule, so I don't blame you if you, if you don't. I feel like I want you to watch that Gaslit on stars. Yeah, well, I got to get uh, I got to get stars. And so because um, I, well, I told you I'd give you my login and you could use it on your TV. Yeah, I don't you know, to, I don't want to. Do or that. I could send you the DVDs if you'd watch them, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, my wife is like with me on that. We both want to watch Gaslit, so we're just we're just going to add stars for a month or two and 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 get through. It's so good. Yeah, now, the finale is going to be on Sunday. Oh, really? Watched, How many episodes? Ten? Yeah, eight. Eight. Oh, I, I like those eight. 10 episode series, you know, that, that way you get your beginning, middle and end done. And uh, probably not a year or two for a series like that. That's based on an actual drama, right? Actual. Real right. Story. Yeah. Like at this point, uh, John Dean just turned himself in. Cause uh, you know, a lot of people think, you know, he got total immunity and he didn't, mm -hmm. uh, he had to serve, like he was supposed to serve five years, but ended up getting, I don't know, like five months or something. But this one ended with uh, it just was show, the episode was framed around the metaphor of a rat mm -hmm. and it just shows Gordon Liddy going crazy in jail because he can't kill the rat that's in his cell mm -hmm. and how he was trying to embrace being a prisoner. He kind of he thought it would make him a 
like it was a test of his will and like he gets into a fight with a guy and bites his ear off mm-hmm. and all this stuff supposedly true you know uh, it was based on um, a podcast originally i can't think of the name of it i uh, i listened to it and then they turned it into a show on that uh channel epics yeah i like that channel more of a documentary than a show and mm-hmm. then this was based on that oh, okay so, but yeah, it was, it's really good, man. So at the time, like, I assume like Nixon's going to resign in the next episode, I would think. And it's just going to show everyone going to jail and stuff, I guess. But most of all, it doesn't really just focus on Watergate. That's sort of the backdrop of everything that's going on. Cause most people that are interested in Watergate already know the facts, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's not giving you a history lesson on stuff like that. The show's focusing on the characters affected by it on stories that you might not know. Like, again, it focuses on Dean and Martha Mitchell and, and uh, G. Gordon Liddy. And there's some Haldeman and Ehrlichman mixed in too. Martha but... Mitchell played by Julia Roberts. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the guy who plays John Dean's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's good shit, man. And Sean Penn again is in it and you wouldn't recognize him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he plays again the attorney general john mitchell yeah john it's, mitchell, it's a huh? good film and like martha mitchell said of course she died in like 76 or something mm-hmm. that her own husband at the time they got divorced or but they were estranged or something i think they were just estranged and never got back together but he ordered his people to hold her hostage because her like personal bodyguard or protector was um fuck one of the the guys originally arrested at the watergate um uh, Mac- mccord yes mccord exactly mm-hmm. and if she saw mccord on tv you know she would like lose her shit or whatever plus she's so popular with all the uh media people she would call and make you know stories so they literally beat her up and wow. hold her against her will where she can't use a phone they inject drugs in her all kinds of shit man that um yeah so the, it gives you these stories that you, you probably haven't heard before that's how you know and cnn by the way had a uh two-part series on watergate hosted in part by john dean and uh, i haven't seen it but uh the wife and I wanted to check it out, and it's gotten really good reviews uh with some stories that allegedly uh, Dean has said that some of the stuff in the documentary he wasn't even aware of uh, some of the recollections by some people about what happened during Watergate. Yeah, Watergate still resonates with a lot of people. Um, and I don't want to get into this deeply, but uh, this Thursday, the uh, January 6th committee is having their first public hearing. It's going to be on prime time, and I urge everyone to take a look at it. It'll be two hours. And they've actually brought in somebody who has produced documentary films for ABC because they know that the attention span of Americans is very, very low. And um, so they wanted to present what they have learned about the January 6th uh, insurrection, and they wanted to present it in a compelling manner. And I hope that all Americans will will take a look at it or at least uh, see the majority of it to, to see with the seriousness of how our democracy was under attack 
because if we don't pay attention to this, then sometime in the future, it's going to happen and it will be successful. So somebody you may have voted for and won. It could be one of the libs doing it. One uh, of the lib charts. Exactly. It could be the, the Antifa, the real Antifa <laughs> uh, going after the Capitol building and um, uh, uh, trying to stop the certification of the vote. So hopefully people will watch that. I know I'll, I'll be watching it. Well, to segue quickly, I watched the movie that you told me to watch from like 1955. Yeah. The guy gets on the train and gets off the train. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the name of it. It was on TCM. Guy who gets on the train and gets off the train. He gets on, he's on the train at the beginning. He gets off in this small town and everyone's like, who the fuck is this guy? And they're, they're all like following him and he's, they're all paranoid. And it turns out uh, there was a Japanese guy that lived there. It's set just after world war ii bad day at black rock yeah yeah and the japanese guy uh, was basically murdered in this town mm -hmm. after pearl harbor mm -hmm. and yeah so you told me to watch it i thought that the movie the story was better than the execution of the story if that makes any sense Yes. Like the story is better than what the movie is. If it were a book, I bet the book would be much better mm -hmm. than the movie, but maybe it's because it's 1955, but I thought the movie was a little dull, but it had a really good story. Yeah. It's a, a super story. Um, and I've, I've actually seen it three times and I enjoy it more and more every time I seen it, see it uh, again for people. It's, it's a story of a man who takes a train to a very isolated town, uh, I, I forgot what state it is at, but it's like in Wyoming or, or South Dakota or some state like that. Spencer Tracer classic, exactly. Stephen. I thought it was Missouri. Was it? Was it Missouri? Dakotas? Well, it, it it was very arid type town. It looked like a like a western town in the middle. Everybody of knows each other. That bullshit. Very very small town, and so he gets off the train and he's looking for somebody, an Asian American, uh, and uh, the people in this town town. Uh, 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 Robert Ryan, uh, Ernest Borgnine, Lee Marvin, some of the great actors of that era, this don't take too kindly for him stopping there. In fact, the, every, the train usually doesn't even stop at that town. But, uh, so they, the, the, these people who don't take kindly to Spencer Tracy, uh, Spencer Tracy arriving and asking about this man, they immediately want him gone or want to kill him uh, because they're, they're all in on it. They're all in on it. They're harboring a secret regarding this this Asian American, and so I'll just leave it there. It is, uh, I think, a, uh, a a good movie. But yeah, there it was made in the uh, early '60s, and so the filmmaking isn't of the type that you see now. But I think it's beautifully shot and uh, a a a a pretty good pretty good. Uh, um, Pretty good story. Stephen Me says Blackrock is a real town in Arizona. Yeah, Stephen, but I don't think that it's that town in Arizona. Uh, but I'll, I'll double check on that uh, and let you know what I find out. But it is. A, it is. A, a, I'm glad you watched it, Dan. Thanks for watching it. Um, yeah, yeah. I, when you asked me if, um, if if I've seen it or whatever, I looked. It only had one day left on the TCM app. Oh wow! Look at you. Yeah, so I watched it that night that you initially told. Like, let's say it was June fourth when you told me about it. It had it, its run. It was coming off on June fifth, mm. so I had to watch it that night, and I was tired and it was a aggravating night at work. Mm. So maybe that played into me not enjoying because I did have to pause it a few times and things like that. Sure, I, I I liked it. I I didn't love it. Like I said, I thought that the 
the story was better than what how they executed the story. Yeah, and it's not a, a I don't think it's a true story. It's based on a, a short story uh, written by a guy named Howard Breslin uh, for a magazine. And um, I'm trying to look up it to see if Blackrock is a real town. Uh, they shot it actually in Lone Pine, California, Stephen Me. So uh, there's that. So I don't think it was, um, I don't, I think it was in that movie. It's a uh, fictitious town anyway um Tucci, you seen anything that you want to add to our collection of uh stuff that we are either recommending or saying no stay away from it nope just nope. the just those ones i had seen recently i still recommend coda which one best picture mm -hmm. you guys haven't seen that one yet i have That's not great. i want to see that yeah they really enjoyed it mm -hmm. west world's about to start up again at the end of the month is it is it Yes. Yeah, the Evan Rachel Wood show. I, she's back in it, even though her character Dolores seemed to die at the end of season three. I guess yeah. they worked into her being back. That's. I thought about Westworld earlier when Aldo said something about uh, how the show. I think you were talking about Billions sort of reinvents itself mm -hmm. because it's it's progressing so many years. It's, it can't be the same shit. Mm -hmm. And like Westworld season one and two were. A much different feel for each other and then the third one was completely different than the other two so a lot of people didn't like three but i thought i kind of dug it you had that guy from breaking bad join the cast uh not not the chemist but the, the student the younger guy and uh he joined the show and season four uh according to what i've read is completely different from season three so mm. uh, i'm looking forward to it it's at the end of the month again no animosity toward the the Manson scandal. I mean, I can't take away from her ability to act. Mm -hmm. The show's really good, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, she's a really fantastic actor. Um, however, you feel about these allegations or, or whatever the fuck that thing is going on with Marilyn Manson, Stephen. Eventually, it's probably going to go to court, just like Depp and and yep. Amber Heard. You'd think. Yep. Uh, Stephen Mead corrected me on uh, Kaufman. Uh, the writer suggested changing the name of the town to Blackrock after a real town in Arizona. Kaufman finished the script in the fall of 1953. And although Spencer uh, Tracy was 55 and much older. Yes, yeah, uh, Tracy was 55 at the time that he was cast for the movie. And his it was, he wasn't married to Catherine Hepburn, but they were an item. And she was really worried about him because he was hitting the bottle big time. And she was uh, concerned about his health. And uh, he promised her, I won't touch the bottle. I really want to do this role. Um, and, uh, um, uh, and I'm glad that he did. He, although he, there, there, is a, there are a couple of fight scenes in the movie where Tracy, as a one-armed man who was in his mid-50s, I said to myself, I don't know if he's going to be fucking... Ernest Borgnine up <laughs> in real life. <laughs> so uh, that was a, uh, a little bit implausible. And I always look for, at those scenes very closely to see where's the stuntman and stuff. And so you can see uh, the stuntman in, in a few scenes. But uh, overall, I think it's a pretty good movie. J2K Larsonette says, I had no idea Westworld would be uh, coming back. Where the fuck are they going to go with the story? <laughs> that is true. Uh, it's at the end of the month. It's like January 20-something. Yeah, but where, know, where did the they go with the story? Uh, I meant June, not January. Yeah, where June 26. Where do they go with the story? I, I don't know. So I'm saying it, it, it's, I don't want any spoilers. And everything I've read just said it's, again, going to be a transition from the feel of season three. It'll be different. Mm -hmm. that it's reinventing itself again 
Yeah. So far, I thought season two was superior to all of them. Yeah, for sure. I, 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 I started getting a little frustrated. I will say at season two because it started to meander a little bit for my taste. Uh, but I'll definitely check out season three. Hopefully, it's it's. Oh, you didn't off. watch three? No, I didn't watch three. I thought you would like. I thought you liked Breaking Bad. So uh-uh. that guy from Breaking Bad is in season three. Uh, which one is that? Uh, the, the, not the chemist, but the, the kid that's with the chemist okay. in Breaking Bad. Yeah, J- uh, Jesse. Jesse Pinkman. You know, that guy is a, one of the main characters, along with Evan Rachel Wood in season oh, three. Yeah, I don't know how I, oh, I'll sit down and watch three and then uh, get caught up on season four when it begins at the end of this uh, end of June, you said, right? Yeah, I think it's the 26th is when it's going to start. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, I forget that actor's name, Dan. Aaron something. Oh, Aaron Paul, isn't it? No. Aaron yes. Paul. Yeah. Okay. Aaron Paul. I didn't yeah. want to mistake him with that fucking boxer guy. Jake <laughs> Paul. Jake Paul, yeah. What the fuck, yeah. man? I can't believe this guy's a millionaire based on being a YouTube personality who gets uh, uh, prize fights for big time bucks. I mean, WWE God. used him at WrestleMania. Yeah. And God bless him. I mean, he can he can he can last uh, in the ring with some decent fighters. Uh, and unfortunately, that's the way the price fighting is going now, where it's all you know these kind of staged matches. There's no real competition in, in pro boxing anymore. But we've talked about that in past shows where Dan and I have lamented the the passing of the great price fighting days. Sad, fuck. All right, guys. All right. I'm I'm getting kind of tired here. What do you guys uh, think? Tooch got to go to work tomorrow. Fucking yep. Dan is uh, gonna go have sex tomorrow morning. I, I'm sure. No, I'm Does going back to both jobs tomorrow, and 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 it's I've got an overtime shift on Friday. Though I'll be working twenty hours on Friday. Twenty so, fucking hours. Yeah. So. Why and you? then I'm only off three and go back to work again. Three hours and then you go back to work. Yeah, it's against the I'm law. I'm work 7:30 p.m. Thursday night until 4 p.m. Friday, and then 7:30 p.m. Friday until 8 a.m. Saturday, and then I'm off eight, and then I go back in and work 4 p.m. to 8 a.m. Saturday into Sunday. Damn, when are you going to sleep? Running the gauntlet this weekend, so yeah, I've really enjoyed having the show as a distraction to not thinking about. Oh fuck, these yeah, these these concerts and these trips. I need to stop this shit right now. <laughs> um, when's your next concert by the way um oh the band everclear whom uh you know sold out uh, with some radio hits and such but they were really popular in the middle 90s into the early 2000s gonna be right by my house on june 25th i can walk to it so mm-hmm. i'm gonna go to that just because but the last one the next one i have to travel on is to see rage against the machine in uh pittsburgh on july 29th Are you driving yeah, yeah. Pittsburgh's about four and a half hours from me. Nice. And I've got Nine Inch Nails in ministry in Cleveland in September. Then, as you know, Smashing Pumpkins and uh, Jane's Addiction in Chicago. Oh, and I've got Alice in Chains and Bush. I love Bush, pun intended there. Not Bush like <laughs> W, but like girl pubes for, you know. <laughs> but uh <laughs> Uh, I, I, the band I really hate called Breaking Benjamin. They're all on the same bill in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina in October. Mm. 
All these. I was toying around with going to see Metallica in August, but I think I'm going to just not go to that. All these bands are hard rock, right? Uh, no, Alice in Chains and Bush are definitely alter 90s alternative bands. Mm -hmm. Rage Against Machines, very left-wing political. Uh, they broke up in 2000, got back together, and is finally going to do a tour, but COVID hit. Mm. I bought the tickets for the show in 2020. It's wow. been pushed back two different times. Wow. No. Uh, but All yeah, of that it, interest uh, that you missed out on that, uh, is Ticketmaster or whoever the ticket agency is, is going to give you that? Say it again. I'm sorry. All of the interest on that money that your tickets were should have been collecting uh, is uh, Ticketmaster or whatever ticket oh, agency. I didn't even think about that. I just kept the tickets, and each time they gave you a chance to get a refund if you wanted. Mm -hmm. But I, I just kept the tickets hoping that one day the show would actually happen and Looks like it's going to. Uh, Smashing Pumpkins and uh, Jane's Addiction are 90s alternative, too. Mm -hmm. Certainly not hard, hard rock by any stretch. Nine Inch Nails is industrial rock kind of stuff, and so is Ministry. So um, to answer your question, nobody's really, really hard rock, but, you know, it's mostly alternative. Or, and like I said, Rage is very political. You, I think, would dig it, actually. Yeah, I uh, I've listened to some of their songs over the years. Good stuff. And you said you've seen Tom Morello and Bill Maher and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, J2K Larsonette says I'm liking Dan's music taste. Very '90s. I'm not sure he likes your movie taste. But <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> and then he says, "Fuck you! I won't do what you tell me." That's got to be a lyric from Rage Against the That's Machine. That's Rage right? Against the Machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I love it. Uh, um, Nomad said, I still got stuff for you. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, look at that. Nomad is, uh, by the way, working on a, uh, uh, some music for the bar room. So he's leaving me a, a personal message here, um, that he's, he's working on it and progress is being made. So I can't wait to listen to that. Um, J2K Larsonette says, I had no idea that Rage Against the Machine was still playing. Yeah, they're, they're out there. Uh, yeah, they got back together in 20, mm -hmm. but like I said, the pandemic hit right after the, the tour got announced. Right. So the tour is going to start in July uh, and it carries into 2023. So wherever you are, there's probably a show somewhere mm -hmm. you can get to. Mine's in Pittsburgh, the closest for me. Tucci, if you could see a uh, a concert, a live concert of any band, any band, uh, all-time favorite bands, or just a, a, a band that you'd love to see perform live, what immediately comes to mind? Led Zeppelin. Yes. 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 Yeah, yes. I never yes. got to see them. You know, they broke up before I was like concert going age. Mm -hmm. You know, but uh, yeah, it would have been great. That's something me with Nirvana. Uh, uh, I would have that concert with Nirvana uh, MTV unplugged. I would have paid a billion dollars to be uh, in that studio live for that taping. It's good shit, man. One of my favorite CDs of all time is that Nirvana. Uh, MTV Unplugged. That was just super sensational, man. Yeah, it's um, definitely good. Uh, if I could see any old school band, because Nirvana is twenty years after Led Zeppelin. You know, mm -hmm. if we're talking about a, a classic rock band, if I could see any classic rock band, it would be The Doors. Yeah, no, great. great call. Yep. Did you guys like the Oliver Stone movie? Loved it. Yeah, I liked it. I I wouldn't say I loved it. I thought Val Kilmer was great. Val, Val's got a, a movie uh, on Amazon Prime just called Val. It's like he he took like snippets of movies from yeah, his entire career. Yeah. You saw it already, huh, Dan? 
Yeah, it's so sad. His his boy has to narrate it. Yeah, as he can't because talk anymore. I, oh, really? He, he had can't throat talk? cancer. Oh, like no, he, again, he, like he's like too said he had cancer, yeah. but he was like a one of these sect of Christians. And I'm not being critical. I'm just telling you the story that believed you prayed away your fucking pain. So despite he had all this money and could have gotten top treatment, he just kept praying and stuff, and it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And he has to wear a trach 24 seven. Wow. And the new Top Gun, he's in it. I mean, I haven't watched the movie, but I know they somehow use artificial intelligence to to use Val's voice from the past. Mm -hmm. Okay, I was wondering. Yeah, that was what I was going to ask it. Interesting. Yeah, Val Val Kummer, I agree with uh, Larsonette here. Val was a great great actor. Uh, yeah. It, 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 I don't know his personal story very well, but it does seem like he just indulged too much with alcohol and drink and, and so forth. And his current state, you know, might be related to, to all that uh, partying debauchery. Um, but yeah, he's a great actor. And uh, you would enjoy, there's one scene in there, what Tutor's talked about where he's arguing with John Frankenheimer. And he's on the set of that movie. I've never watched it with he and Marlon Brando called The Island of Dr. Moreau. Yeah, I saw it. And the first director was fired because they were behind schedule and behind budget. So as the as the documentary presents it, they bring in John Frankenheimer, of course, mm -hmm. has this great resume. Mm -hmm. And God, it shows he and Val in this huge argument. Val is filming it, and he's like, you need to turn that camera off. He's like, no, I'm not turning the fucking camera off mm -hmm. because I'm not going to have you go and tell people I said something or did something that I didn't do. You are fucking up this movie. You are killing our movie. I'm ready to fucking film right now. You are the problem, not me. And I've wow. got, I'm filming everything you say from here on out. Wow. Yeah, so, and it shows, like, Brando, like, Val's, like, talking to Brando. He has, obviously, has this reverence for marlon but marlon is like like 450 pounds Jeez. he's laying on a like a hammock or something and he just looks so big i mean i'm not mocking him it's just it was shocking to mm -hmm. me mm -hmm. he was like trying to make marlon laugh really badly but yeah just the back and forth like is he filmed like Tuj said he filmed all this stuff from like he, he had yeah. a uh, not a twin but a brother that was according to val you know was just as good as he was that dies really early in life, like at 14 or 15. Mm -hmm. And he's always had this sense of loss, but he's recorded, like even going back to before he was famous, like all of, like if he's on a set of a play or a movie, he always made home video footage of everything. Mm -hmm. So they splice in a lot of his home video stuff that he personally filmed over like three decades, mixed yeah, in yeah. with like, he wrote, all the narration that's from his perspective, but his son has to read it now. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it's it's very sad when it gets to the end and you see him with the trach and how he can't talk. And but the Frankenheimer yeah. stuff was like, wow, you know, I couldn't believe they were having this fight. And Frankenheimer's like, turn that fucking camera off. He's like, no, I'm not turning off the fucking camera. <laughs> You're the reason this fucking movie's going to hell. Well, it was weird because there was another director initially assigned to that film, but they were having so many issues. Uh, the name of the director was Stanley. The fuck was his name? Stanley something. In any case, uh, they were having so many problems, and there was a 
terrible weather and they were falling away behind schedule. And New Line Cinema, the movie studio, was so worried that they were had this big expensive cast. They were throwing tons of money into it. And so they fired the director and brought in Frankenheimer. And Frankenheimer was like, yeah, you know, I, I would love to direct anything with Marlon Brando in it. Right. And he then, you know, worked out a three-picture deal and a real hefty director's fee for taking over. He, he took advantage of uh, New Line's predicament in this. And as you said, there were all sorts of fucking problems throughout the filming on it. I had heard the uh, stories of, of that prior to seeing it. This was like 1995, 1996 thereabouts. I, don't yeah. know, I frankly don't remember much about the film, but I remember not liking it. <laughs> Richard yeah. Stanley. Stephen Mead looks like a cineast, man. He's got all of the answers uh, anytime we're talking about stuff. So thanks, Stephen. Here um, goes your fun fact real quick about please. Val. Okay. Uh, if I've told you this on air, I apologize. But I heard this from Oliver Stone. Mm -hmm. So initially, Oliver Stone had cast Jim Morrison as John, or as John Travolta as Jim Morrison. And that's who he was going with. Have you? Have I told you this before? No, never. All right. So they're in a car. They're both taking peyote. They being Oliver Stone and uh, Val Kilmer. And they're going in a convertible in the desert, taking peyote driving. And Stone said that he's like, man, my hands are tight. We've already cat. We've already signed Travolta. He's like, man, Travolta's not right for this film. And he said they're in in the car and they're listening to the Doors, and it's a tape that Val made with he as the singer and not Jim Morrison mm. and Oliver Stone didn't know it. He thought it was Jim. He's like, he's like, listen, that's me. He's like, bullshit. He's like, no, that's me. I've recorded this in the studio already. Cause I'm telling you, I'm the guy that should play Jim Morrison. And Val said he listened or wow. Oliver listened and realized he wasn't bullshitting that that was Val Kilmer on the cassette tape over the doors music. And he's like, fuck it. We're gonna have to buy Travolta out. Wow. Yeah, I don't see Travolta in that role at all. That's who he cast. And because of that cassette tape where he had already recorded music uh, as Jim Morrison, that's what got in the role. Man, that's fucking crazy. That. Great story. Yeah, and Stone said they were both high as shit on the peyote mm -hmm. <laughs> going through the desert at the time. That's what what Go ahead, dude. When I heard that Val Kilmer was going to play Jim Morrison, I had initially thought, you know, this is back when the, before the film came out, I thought that's perfect. He'd be perfect for Jim Morrison. You know, it looks yeah. kind of like him, you know. And, it's a lot like yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. There was another movie that uh, Travolta was rumored to have been cast in, uh, Godfather 3. Wasn't he supposed to play uh, Michael Corleone's son? And for some reason. The one that Andy Garcia played? Exactly. Exactly. And everyone thought that, oh, wow, I can't wait to see Travolta and Godfather and stuff. And then they weren't able to work it out for some reason. And, and it was Andy Garcia who took over the role. I still you know what I really disliked in that movie? Who? Joe Mantegna. Why? I don't know. I wish they had cast somebody else in that. And I know everyone focuses on uh, Francis Ford Coppola's daughter being the character that was supposed to be Winona Ryder that has the incestuous affair with Andy Garcia. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, it's nepotism. He cast his daughter in there, but like it's Joe Mantegna is the one that, uh, that annoys me in that movie for some reason, and it really hurts it that Robert Duvall's not in it. Oh my gosh, yes, yes. Nomad doesn't know who uh Jim Morrison is. Uh, he is the front man for the doors. The doors were 
uh, late 60s, early 70s rock band known for their incredible lyrics in their songs and, and breaking the mold out of a lot of what was going on in the rock world. Wouldn't you say, won't you guys agree with that? That's a kind of a good description. I mean, they had nine minute songs and, and they had a kind of a, a at times a bluesy jazzy feel to some of their rock tunes, yeah. uh, just a, a really outstanding stuff. Nomad. Uh, the best album you can get is the best of the doors. If, if you get that, you're, you're going to get a great sampling of the stuff they did over the years before uh, Jimmy Morrison uh, died because he overdosed and, and, and choked on his yeah. own vomit, I believe it was. No, that was Hendrix. Oh, okay. Vomit. How did Morrison uh, for die? For years they said that he had a, a heart attack, but Rolling Stone did this like investigative piece that for like five years, like double checking it and you know trying to get multiple sources – According to the Rolling Stone article, which was addressed by Robbie Krieger in his book, um, that the Stone Rolling Stone article said that he accidentally overdosed on heroin at this bar in Parrot, and everyone at the fucking bar was like, "What's it going to do to our business if we if somebody dies in here?" And you know, like we've got to get him out of here. And all they were worried about was their own interest. Meanwhile, he's still alive, but basically because they were all like, again, like. We can't call the police. We can't call him. He fucking died because of it. Mm. And they tried to revive him in the bathtub at his apartment or his flat that he was living in, which is where, you know, and even in the movie, it shows him in the bathtub. They, you know, they say that uh, he just drank too much alcohol or he had heart failure or whatever at 27. But it was, uh, it seems to have been a heroin overdose. And this article was heavily uh, scrutinized, like I said, for years before they would print it. Mm-hmm. So Rolling Stone uh, felt comfortable enough to put it out, and it makes a lot of sense. And it interviews people that worked at the bar and all the stuff that were there that night, and all of them sort of acquiesced to, like, yeah, we fucked up. We let this guy die because we were worried about our own interest. Yeah, uh, Cliff says, sounds like it, uh, how it could happen, Then People are strange. Absolutely. Uh, and Stephen says that he uh, – um, he paid a visit to uh, Morrison's grave in Paris. What do you want from your sport? Yeah, baby. That was nice, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, uh, you know what's interesting, Stephen, me, and everyone else listening is that I was in Spain about 20 years ago, and it was, I was amazed at the amount of graffiti referencing the doors and Jimmy Morrison. It's like young kids there. I don't know what was going on in Spain at the time, whether it was a revitalization of the doors in their music or whether he's just has been a longtime hero of musical hero of the Spaniards. But man, everywhere I went to those tags, graffiti tags, Jimmy Morrison, the doors and doors guy really fucking made an impact, man. He was quite the artist. Yeah. The one thing I remember about the doors more than any, before I'd ever really listened to him other than radio stuff, you know, mm -hmm. before I did a deep dive, my dad told me that when, you know, when they were in the war, that it was kind of like they were listening to the doors on loop. Mm -hmm. Like while he said, you know, they were all stoned off their ass. Cause I mean, how else could you fucking be in all the front lines and, and have, be brave, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but he says, yeah, they were constantly listening to the doors just over and over and over just to kind of get in that mood that they needed to be in to be courageous, I guess. Steven uh, 
not Steven, but Nomad says Pink Floyd opened some doors in my mind. Fuck, Nomad. I got to tell you the story. The first time I ever dropped acid as a teenager, I listened to Pink Floyd's uh, The Other Side of the Moon album. And so when we get to that one part where time is playing, which is on the album like an eight-minute song, and they get to this portion where all of a sudden these cuckoo clocks, alarm clocks, uh, all these clocks and bells are ringing. Here I am fucking high on acid. I start freaking out. I was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Please make it stop. Make it stop. No, no. You're going to get to the good part, Aldo. You're going to get to the big part. Oh, shit. I'm freaking out. <laughs> big Floyd, man. Great band. Uh, another uh, uh, uh Seminal band that really took music to uh, different different uh, different areas. And you're gonna hate me. That's one band I can't get into. Really? Holy fuck! Can't dig Pink Floyd. I don't know why, man. It's just maybe it's because I don't do drugs. Yeah, I guess so. Like I <laughs> like the radio. Like I hate that song, Money. I just hate it. I love that song. As soon as it comes on, I'm like, ah, oh, fucking turn that. God Almighty. Gucci. Like I I I understand that. I'm in the extreme minority mm -hmm. and I, I, I appreciate the band and what they you know did for music. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. It's not like I'm saying they suck, but for some reason I can't get into them wow. and I should, it's like in a modern day band, I should really love tool, mm -hmm. but I don't like tool. And uh, they've been around since the nineties, but it's it seems like a band that I would really dig and I don't, and I can't really explain why. Mm. You, are you a Pink Floyd fan? Oh yeah. Gotta be That's excellent, yeah. Uh, Dark Side of the Moon, and Wish You Were Here, Animals. Animals is great, it's really underrated. Pink Floyd album. I can't yeah. get into the Beatles either. Oh my god, <laughs> good plant spot to end the show. <laughs> really? <laughs> Again, I understand that music evolved because of the Beatles. The you know, the verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse is a straight up everyone copied the Beatles, so I can appreciate that. But if I have to listen to Beatles, it's got to be when they're on drugs and have beards and shit. Absolutely. Not the NSYNC Beatles from like 64. Uh, when you when you come over in November, uh, I'm going to slip a tab of acid into your uh, drink of choice <laughs> without telling you. And then we're going to turn out well, some Pink Floyd. Don't do that. <laughs> nah, I would never do that. <laughs> I, I tell you, that, no, they, they had a Beatles song on Mad Men where he's, I think he's getting high or something. And they're playing the beat. He puts the headphones on and plays the beat. That song I did like. Mm -hmm. What was it called? Let me look it up real quick. Yeah, look that one up. I thought you would know being the Mad Men guy. Yeah, uh, Mad Men. Uh, Mad Men. Yeah, oh, John Hamm is, I remember. Uh, I remember the scene. But oh, I'm here it is. It's called uh, Tomorrow, Tomorrow Never, Never Knows. Knows. Yes. It's from Revolver. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. classic. And uh, yeah, John Hamm's character. Uh, it, they, they've talked about it throughout the movie, and it's like it's a. They were trying to get the Beatles to do a commercial for them or something, right? And he's got the record, and he's l listening to it because basically he was around some younger people that thought he was like quote unquote square because of his suit and stuff. Mm -hmm. So he's listening to it like just to almost to appease them in, in in some way, and listens to that song. And it's pretty good, man. Here's the scene as we talk. Oops. Down the 
Fucking great show. Fucking great song. Fuck Dan Aguirre doesn't like the Beatles. <laughs> I don't, but I understand how important they are for music. I don't like the, the boy band. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, the boy band stuff was, you know, for boys, boys and girls. But this... Uh, I like that song a yeah. lot. Oh, yeah. After, everything they did after uh, starting with Sgt. Pepper's uh, Lonely Hearts Club Band and, um, and, and and going on, continuing on to the... The last album was the Let It Be album, uh, Tooch, if you remember correctly. Yeah. yeah. Was, was the Revolver before Sgt. Pepper's? I thought Revolver Yeah, you know what? It was. Yeah. So even Revolver started to Six, give us... 1966, I think. Their, I thought uh, Abbey Road was the last album. Wasn't it? Don't, don't they have an album called Abbey Road? They do. Let, let uh, it be. It was like stuff they 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 like went up on the top of Apple Records hmm. on the on the uh, rooftop and recorded their last album live. Mm-hmm. So that's what all those talk about with Let It Be. But I think Let It Be was the last one. I know. I know there was some. Uh, Stephen like, King uh, says Abbey Road was the last, and I'm believing every yeah, last studio album. Yep. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Where it's the one where the they're walking studio. across the intersection, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, classic. Classic I'm not anyways. the biggest Beatles fan, so I could be wrong on that. But I'm going to send you some Beatles stuff so you can listen to. I had a girlfriend in high school that was always trying to push the Beatles on me. You know what it is? Like if it was more John and less Paul, I think I would. Uh, I don't like Paul. Even today, I don't like Paul. Like uh, he'll get with like the surviving members of Nirvana and 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 they'll do things, and I just don't dig Paul. I don't know. I don't. I don't like his voice. I don't like to hear him talk. I just, it's like the wrong guy got killed. He, he can't fucking sing now. That's for sure. I've, I've, I've seen him uh, perform live and some stuff on television. Yeah. And man, his voice is just shot. But uh, the, what he did for music with his songwriting and, mm-hmm. um, in yep, his work yep. with the Beatles and then with Wings afterwards, I think is stuff that has to be appreciated. Was he in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when you went over there? Uh, I'm sure he was. With the, definitely with the Beatles. I don't know if yeah. Wings got in, but he was definitely in with the Beatles. But I heard Stern telling a story once where he was saying that, like, Paul, like, for years wanted Lennon's approval on so many things, like, after the Beatles had broken up, you know, mm-hmm. like with the Wings stuff. He just wanted, like, he was, like, killing himself just to get Lennon to say, that's good. Hmm. And that makes me feel sympathetic for it, to him. But he said that Lennon never gave him that and always was condescending toward his work after the Beatles and and thought he could be replaced. And actually, though, he, he said that uh, that there's a famous story where George was creating a bunch of, like, drama for one day when they were recording and that, Lennon was condescending to him, but it straightened him up. Is he's like, okay, you're George, right? Well, I'm friends with Eric Clapton, and he can join the band tomorrow. Ooh. You're just George. Ooh, <laughs> that's why the George shut the fuck up. <laughs> that is wild. There was, there was a, yeah. a a famous critic who once uh, talked described. I can't remember who it was, but described why the Beatles were so popular is because they embodied like all four parts of the human like uh john was the mind you know the brain he was like the ones whose you know songs were cerebral you Mm -hmm. know and uh uh, paul was the heart you know he was the romantic Romantic. lyrics and songs and stuff and uh uh 
uh, Ringo was the body as he was like the most accessible to like, you know, fans and mm-hmm. girls and stuff. The cute Beatle, you know, and, and George wasn't was really the, a good drummer, but please go ahead. It was good. I mean, and George was the soul, you know, mm-hmm. he was the one who was into the Indian mysticism with the, mm-hmm. uh, the Dalai Lama and all that stuff. And that's, you know, I was found that uh, uh, a dissection of the Beatles to be really interesting. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. The reason I said that uh, Ringo wasn't a, a good drummer, um, there were there were reports that Lennon would say, you know, yeah, rip off the drums, recut you know, the but, drums. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and that sometimes when Ringo would leave the room, he would re-record some of the drum tracks and and insert those in without Ringo knowing about it. So, <laughs> I don't know shit about drum uh, drum playing, but uh, yeah. based on those stories, that's why I said that. <laughs> um, Dan, I'm going to send you a couple of uh, CDs of the uh, the Beatles, and uh, then report back to me if see if you it's got to be the late '60s. Oh yeah, it's going to be all stuff. There's going to be uh, cocaine in the sleeve. So when you go out, when you pull the sleeve out to read the lyrics, there'll be cocaine and uh, marijuana there, so that you can enjoy the music even better. Okay. <laughs> just kidding yeah, yeah that's a federal offense mailing drugs now. oh is it <laughs> actually you know, funny story uh-huh. a couple of years ago like in my hometown like where i live now you know like fucking like our most famous like like person living in town was gilligan from gilligan's island like bob denver bob whatever denver. his name was yeah that's him yeah bob denver lived in our town until he died and he started a, a radio station too that i guess his wife carries out mm. Uh, called Little Buddy Radio, <laughs> but uh, anyway, but he was supposedly just a real jag off to everybody. He was supposed to be this huge dick, but a couple I, I never met him or anything. But a couple of years before he died, uh, the one girl from the show, not not the redhead, the better looking one, mm-hmm. what was her name? Uh, Tina Louise Ginger. Yeah, but not the Ginger and what was the other one's name? Uh, Marianne. 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 Don. Wells. Marianne, the real life Marianne, mailed him marijuana through the mail or vice versa. One of the they both got in trouble because one of them mailed weed to the other one. I think she mailed it to him. Oh my goodness. Yeah, through the fucking post office. Don Wells is an idiot. She was sexy as hell. There was always been the age old argument: who would you rather bang? Uh, uh, mm. Marianne for sure. Marianne, right? There's no doubt yeah, about it. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Just no fucking doubt about it. Let me see if I can find a picture of these two hot chicks um, and put it up on the screen for any of the young people who are don't know what the fuck we're talking about. Gilligan's Island, one of the all-time great shows. There, there they, they are. Let's see. Open yeah. <laughs> yes. You know who's fucking hot was Linda Carter. Linda Carter Wonder Woman. Yes. Yeah, my God. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that um Linda Carter um played Wonder Woman and uh there was a movie called the uh BJ and the Outlaw. Yeah, I watched this on TCM because of you recently. Yes. Where Uh, she was naked. Oh my god. (laughs) Jeez. I'll never ever forget this. The movie was terrible, but yeah, oh yeah, it's it's god awful. But I was about I think maybe 13, 14 years old. I was leaving the Tiffin Theater on North Avenue one night. Uh, it was probably a Thursday night or a Wednesday night. And outside the, the theater um, was the film print for BJ on the Outlaw, 35 millimeter film print. 
can and I easily could have swiped it. And I actually thought about it and I said, what am I going to do with a fucking 35? I don't have a projector or anything like that. But <laughs> I did steal all of the posters of BJ and the Outlaw. And so for the next year, my room was completely decorated with BJ and the Outlaw posters. <laughs> <laughs> not to transition because that that's a great story don't get me wrong, i'm not being sarcastic oh, no. i just thought in my head if i could fuck because i think that's what we were going with with the gender marianne thing if i could fuck any of the old tv stars of that era mm -hmm. it would be the girl that played that girl oh Marlo Marlo Thomas. Thomas. Yes. yeah she ended up marrying phil fucking donahue yeah isn't that weird <laughs> yeah, I think Marlo Thomas says that girl was fucking hot as shit. Yeah, I will agree with that. Um, she, um, early 1960s, daughter of Danny Thomas. Uh, she's still around. Uh, Marlo Thomas is still around and has had so much work done that she still actually looks pretty pretty good for her age. She's got to be in Welch, too. Yeah. Both of them have to be in their 80s. Uh, Nomad is saying Chrissy from Three's Companies. That's uh, Suzanne, Suzanne Summers. Summers. I had her Playboy. You had her Playboy? Yeah, she was hot. Yeah, Suzanne Summers. Pages are all stuck? Yep. No, I would never come in the book, but I've got, I can send you a picture of, of her right now. Like of her porch, because it's amazing. No, that's all right. <laughs> it's not from the one that I uh, had. It's just from online. I have it saved on my phone. Um. <laughs> You haven't saved your phone. What about uh, yeah. Edith from All in the Family? Would you fuck her? No. <laughs> no, man. Would you fuck that Aunt B or whatever her name is from Mandy Griffith? No. No. Or about that Alice from the Brady Bunch? Alice, uh, if I had to, yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather fuck Florence Henderson. Fuck, fuck yeah. Lauren Florence Henderson. Or the kid that played Marsha. Oh my gosh. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Maureen McCormick. <laughs> yeah, she was in a movie naked in the early 80s called like Texas Lightning or something. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. She was on dope or something in real life. It was like, hey, you're going to give me money? Okay, I'll show you my tits. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember. I think the movie was really shitty. Okay, I'm sending you Suzanne Summers now. All right. With the book. Three pictures of her boobage and her bush. This is wild. I'm not sure I can show the bush picture on the holy cow. Well, these are from Playboy, so it's not like there's some something stolen from a phone. Yeah. Or hacked uh, from uh, a celebrity. They're I mean, they're online. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, That's wow. from 1980. Wow. Look at this one. Look at that bush. Holy, that's that's George W. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you think John Ritter <laughs> fucked those girls? Well, if he didn't, then uh, then he should have died in an early age. <laughs> <laughs> that's terrible. Um, <laughs> you know that one? The ones from here, the one not uh, the one that played Janet is from West Virginia, actually. Oh, really? Joyce DeWitt. Joyce DeWitt. Yeah. Yeah, I you know who I liked? I liked the one that was the Rams cheerleader that played Chrissy's cousin when Chrissy got fired. Mm -hmm. She her name was Cindy, Cindy Snow, mm -hmm. and then they rounded it out with Terry, uh, the the nurse or whatever, because they had three different roommates during the run again. Chrissy because she demanded more money, and then ABC fired her, mm -hmm. so they right, brought in right. her cousin, and then the ratings didn't do so well, so they brought in the the Terry girl. 
but her name was Jenny Lee Harrison. Jenny. So she was a Rams cheerleader prior to Three's Company. Yeah, I remember her. Yeah, she was no Suzanne Summers, but she was uh, good looking, no doubt about it. I thought the show was still good with her. I think it took a huge step down with Terry. I thought mm -hmm. her name was Patricia Barnes. Patricia yeah, Barnes. I mean, wow. she's a good looking woman, but Priscilla I Barnes. Well, here goes your question. Do you like Three's Company better with Don Knotts or with the Ropers? The Ropers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Don Knotts was a great actor. Yeah, uh, yeah. Norman Fell was a comedic genius, though. He's yeah. dead, deadpan. Yes. You know? Just comic timing was perfect. Yes. And and, and Don Knotts on Three's Company was a, was a parody. He was good. Yeah. You know? It, yeah. It, he was over the top, right? Yeah. Mr. Furley, oh. All right. Too right. much over the top. Uh, yeah. The Ropers were, were definitely good. Yeah. The idea that they got their own spinoff show, I didn't particularly like uh, the spinoff. They were forced to do that. They were forced to it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I know too much about Three's Company for some reason, but they were forced to do that. They did not want to leave the show at all mm -hmm. and were forced to do it, and it got canceled, and they wanted to come back, and the network – was happy with Don Knotts, so they didn't even get to come back on the show. Oh, wow. <laughs> and they didn't even want to leave the show. It was like the network pressuring them. You know a show I've never watched mm -hmm. is Three as a Crowd. Like, after Three's Company ends, like, it continued with Jack Tripper as the, the girl that he married at the end of Three's Company, and they had one season of that. I never watched one episode of that. Never did either. Never did. Uh, Mary Cordonette Excuse me, as Victoria, John Ritter, of course, as Jack Tripper, Alan Campbell as Easy Taylor. I don't know any of these people. Jessica Walter was in it. I know her, uh, a young Richard Klein. Uh, but yeah, I didn't even, I, I would never have even remembered this show, Dan. Yeah, yeah I've never something. seen it. 1985, final episode. Rest in peace. All right. Uh, it is time to pull the plug. Uh, we got a lot of late night people here, man. We, we should consider doing a uh, midnight to five a.m. show. <laughs> well, usually I got to go to my other job. I know. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute, Lonnie Anderson on WKRP in Cincinnati. Oh, yeah. How many times did you jizz over that, Dan? Um, not. I, that's Burt Reynolds's ex-wife, right? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Uh, not my type. Not my thing. Really? You don't like the big blonde, busty woman? I'm usually a brunette guy. That's for sure. Yeah. I noticed that about some of the pictures you've sent me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nomad says uh, after the show, I think Dan might smash a might smash a rerun. Oh, remember rerun? <laughs> the chubby fat guy on what was the name of that show? Yeah. Uh geez, it was a funny ass it, show. What's happening? What's happening? There you go. I don't think I know that show. When was that out? No, with Raj and rerun. Shit. Ah. Where's PJ? PJ probably knows. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of my favorite actresses, somebody just put up on the screen, is uh, Adrian Barbeau from uh, Maud, oh, yeah. who went on to work uh, she was hot. on some John Carpenter movies because she married the John fog. Carpenter. The Fog. Yeah, and Creek Show. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. She was probably number one above anyone yeah. else that we've mentioned. She was, yeah. Uh, Even hot. Linda Carter. B movie actress like Barbie Benton. Remember Barbie Benton? Mm -hmm. It was also hot. Oh, Barbie Benton. Who? He Playboy, was like a Barbie uh, doll. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. 
Laro just joined us. Just time for us to say goodbye. Laro, where the fuck you been? Hey, Laro. Well, good night. I still can't remember that. What movie was I telling you about? It had the Italian lady that I like so much in it that Toots told me to watch. Oh man, Anna de Armas. God, that woman was yeah, amazing. I can't remember what the movie was now. Mm-hmm. Deep Water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was on Netflix yeah. or something, right? Yeah, uh, Hulu. Yeah, I knew it was on yeah, something. Like H- Hulu street. original. Mm-hmm. Oh, she was amazing. Just fucking amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man. Hell yeah. I might have to jerk off tonight. <laughs> I kind of always liked that blonde that was on the Chainsaw Massacre that survived. At the end of the first one? Uh, I don't remember that. Somebody survived the Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> yeah, yeah, part one. She's the one that goes nuts and jumps out the window at the end and gets in the back of a truck and... The movie ends with the Leatherface standing there, like yeah. the chains, just standing there with the chainsaw in the air, waving it around while she's in the back of a truck. Was this leaving. the original? Yeah, the one from '73. I gotta see this. I gotta find '74. So she's dead in real life now. Oh wow! She played Sally. She played Sally. Yeah, she played the oh, main Sally Hardestane, um, Marilyn Burns. Yeah, she was the main girl, and she's half naked throughout some of the film and uh just because of what she was wearing anyway i thought she looked really good though oh did you like the fact that she was being terrorized throughout the movie because i get a feeling that might be a turn on for you there. no it's not a turn on for me <laughs> just kidding uh, <laughs> uh cliff victoria says jerking off is sounding good after this conversation <laughs> All right, uh, we're going to pull the plug on this episode. We've gone four hours and 22 minutes, wow. and uh, Lara yeah, Golden was uh, kind enough to join us for the last three seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Linda Blair was always hot on those early 80s beat. <laughs> Dan will not stop. <laughs> you know, there was a picture of Linda Blair in Playboy magazine with her wearing a top with no bra coming up out of the swimming pool, and her boobs looked so gorgeous. I, to this day, I, I, I'll never forget that picture. This is this is the girl that was vomiting all over everybody. Holy yeah. shit, man! She grew up to be a gorgeous. You know who she was fucking at that time? No, Rick James. Really, Rick wow. James. Holy shit, my man, Rick James. And when you mention dun, girls coming dun, out of the dun, pool, dun, dun, you got to go dun. to Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh yeah, Phoebe Cates. Uh, yeah. yeah, when Judge Reinhold's beating his dick, thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a classic. That's the best thing about that movie, without question. <laughs> oh, that is wild. She married Kevin yeah. Klein, I think. Yes, she yeah. did. And, and they, she just retired from acting. She yeah, retired, and, yep. And I think they're still married to this day. They've had a, for him. a very successful relationship. Yeah. Yep. Kevin Klein, whatever happened to him, I wonder how old he is because his uh he was an outstanding actor, yeah. but uh just after a while he kind of faded away. Kevin Klein. Yeah, Dave, he, he Dave? was a lot older than Phoebe Cates, if I remember. Yes, she's probably she's probably pushing him around in a uh, uh, um, in a wheelchair right now, powdering his balls for him. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm looking at a picture of him from eight years ago. He still looks uh, okay. So he's yeah. he was in a great movie called The Fish Called Wanda. Where yeah, it's like, Jamie Curtis. Oh my god. Otto. Otto, yes. Yeah. <laughs> what a great what about comedy. The movie that had River Phoenix and Keanu Reeves in it. Yeah, and I love you to death. That's the one I, I had yeah. uh I brought up uh not too long ago on the show with uh Tracy Ullman 
as his wife. Yeah. He owned the pizza place and uh River Phoenix and Tracy Ullman hire Keanu Reeves and and uh what's the actor's name? It just William Hurt to like to assassinate uh Kevin Klein because he was such a womanizer, you know. Yes. <laughs> That's a I classic movie. Man. Where he was uh, called In and Out, where everybody's like, Oh, you're gay, and he's like, What are you talking about? I'm married, I'm not gay. And before the movie's over, he realizes he really is gay. <laughs> Did you see that? No, I don't remember. It's from like 97 or 8. I don't remember that. <laughs> uh, Oh man, um, I love you to death based on a true story. I didn't know that. What yeah, do you guys have a favorite Woody Allen movie? Do you like Woody Allen movies at all? No, but uh, that one where uh, with uh, Mario Hemingway was on TCM uh, called uh, Manhattan. Manhattan, yeah. I was thinking about watching it just because for the documentary about Woody that we watched, but mm -hmm. yeah, even, even before I watched that documentary, I just thought that guy. He does seem like a child molester. He does. Like, he does. In, in hindsight, he does. And when that movie first came out, I was surprised there wasn't an uproar because he's having a relationship. And in the movie, he's like in his early 40s. He's having a relationship with a 16 yeah. or 17-year-old girl. And I was yep. surprised that nobody complained about it. And and I was around what, Autobiographical. Yeah, really. I was around 17, 18 at the time. And, and and even then at my young age, I thought, this is fucking weird. This old yeah. motherfucker with this young, cute uh, woman and he's fucking her, clearly fucking her and taking her out on dates with his friends who are all his age and they're all condoning it. I thought that was really fucking weird. And then a few years later, we learned that he was actually doing the same shit in his real personal life. Before we go, then I want to reference one other film. Because um, we mentioned Mariel Hemingway, mm -hmm. where it's cut out of the cloth of I Spit on Your Grave, like it's a girl revenge film. Mm -hmm. A guy that's from here, Chris Sarandon, uh, uh, he's from Beckley, West Virginia. He was Al Pacino's gay lover in Dog Day Afternoon. He got nominated for a uh, Best Supporting Actor mm -hmm. out of that. He was in Fright Night, The Princess Bride, Child's Play, etc. But Chris Sarandon's Chris character is the music teacher for Mariel Hemingway. And rapes her real life sister in the film Margot Hemingway. Yes, I remember this movie. Yeah, it's called Lipstick. Yep. And eventually he rapes Mariel too, and then she fucking shoots him and kills him at the end and gets off with the same defense that he used to get off of the sentence for rape with her, mm -hmm. which is like temporary insanity or whatever. Yep. But she gets acquitted of killing him. So in the end, she ends up being like the hero. But in real life, she committed suicide. I remember uh, taking a date to see that movie in my date during the one scene where he's got, uh, I think, the one, one of the uh, Hemingway's uh, women tied up and he is licking her. He's, his tongue is, is licking her legs all the way up and stuff. And I look over at my, uh, at my date and she is smiling. And then she says, that fucker. And she was getting turned on by this. <laughs> did you make it? Did you do the same thing with her? Absolutely. Yeah. I did. I did the ABCs. <laughs> Outstanding. There you go. Yep. I never forget that movie, Lipstick. Saw it at the uh, Mercury Theater on Harlem and North Avenue. Hmm. Those are the good days where I could fucking remember even the theater I saw the movie in. Now I can't fucking remember what I saw last night. <laughs> I, I can usually remember the theater that I saw him in too, 
I can definitely, if you reference a movie, if I saw it at the theater, I know, and I know who I saw it with. Mm -hmm. And if you ask me generally about a Bears game or a Super Bowl, who I watched it with, I can always tell you that too. Even if it's 30 years ago. Well, that's one of the outstanding things about you is Dan will, will text me something about some sexual encounter he's ha he'll have, and then he'll reference a Bears game. This was like a, a week after the Bears beat the so-and-so. And I'm like, how do you <laughs> fucking do that? Man? True, man. I don't have to put – I believe in irony. You know, like Muhammad Ali, obviously – beloved but he had a big mouth you know and mm -hmm. at the end he couldn't speak you know so i feel like in that sense of irony the man with the biggest mouth suddenly can't talk mm -hmm. so the guy with the great memory i'm gonna get if i live to be old enough i'm gonna have dementia there's no way around it because it's just like <laughs> my memory's effortless for the most part so it iron irony will hit me and i won't be able to remember anything mm -hmm. i gotta show you this well i can't show it to you dan because you're not looking at the screen but let me open this picture up in a tab where i can blow it up but in playboy magazine do you remember the movie that mariel hemingway played an olympic yeah, athlete yeah. what was the name of that movie tooch do you remember oh god i know that the, the picture from the movies of them and sitting in a steam bath There's yeah like a bunch of a, uh, what, what was it dan is there a lesbian scene I don't yeah think yeah, I saw that movie. It's where she's yeah, an Olympic. It it's, in the, it's from the early 80s, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw that. Well, the, the movie the came the movie. out, and she, she fucking looked sensational. I don't remember the plot or anything at all. But then uh, a couple months later, Playboy magazine came out, and she was on the cover. And when I opened up the magazine and I saw this fucking picture, I was like, holy, 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 holy goodness gracious. She is doing a full split, Dan, and it's it's beautifully photographed. It's an artistic. Why don't you send that to my phone. I will send it to your phone. I, I promise you, I will. Um, and she looks super sensational. And that so at the time, I was I was dating a woman who was a gymnast. You know, she she wasn't a gymnast at the time, but she was a gymnast in high school. And this was a few years after high school. And so I showed her this picture, thinking that she would appreciate it. She was like, I want to go home. <laughs> How could you show this picture to me? Well, I can't believe you even look at Playboy magazine. I'm like, oh, come on. This is, this is. It, it's called Personal Best. <laughs> oh, yeah. Personal Best. Yeah. yeah. I saw that. Yeah. Yep. Personal Best. She did Star 80 after that. Star with 80 with Eric, with Eric, Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts. Yep. Bob Fox. Great movie. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Eric Roberts was just Eric insane Roberts got in that. All the time in his movies, but Julia didn't. Yeah, that's the, it I'd should be the other way around. <laughs> that's uh, Nomad wants to know what wouldn't I lick? <laughs> I, I'm not going to answer that question, Nomad, but I think you know the answer to that. Um, all right, let's call it a call it a show. Four and a half hours. I don't want to do uh, hour five. <laughs> marathon. <laughs> Been a it's been fun, fun show. gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, Dan, take care. Um, I will uh, be talking to you during the week. We will be back here next Tuesday with another episode of Dan and All the Better Souls with Johnny Santucci. Send me apps. that photo now. Yeah, I will. I promise <laughs> you I will. <laughs> it's <laughs> worth it. I'm going to send you a few photos while I'm masturbating in the next hour. <laughs> Look what I'm masturbating to now. <laughs> well, i got one more person for you and we'll go. Okay. Uh, 
she replaced temporarily on CBS Sports on the NFL Today, not the one that was uh, Miss America. What was her name again? Um, the first lady on TV. She's a trailblazer. Phyllis George. Yeah. The one who replaced Phyllis George before she came back, she, she was, uh, I think she was either biracial or black. Yes. Uh, named Jane Kennedy. Outstanding woman. Oh, my yes. God. Outstanding. I would have let her take a shit on my chest. <laughs> <laughs> she married a uh, a guy who was an actor uh, who was in a boxing movie. I forgot his name. We'll talk about it on the next episode. We, we need to close every show with this topic because <laughs> a woman from the past you wish you could have had sex with. Yeah, that's a great topic. Oh man, I, I'm going to start developing my list tonight as I'm masturbating. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tooch, you're the absolute best. Dan, you are the uh, second best or tied for the absolute best. And everyone who has stuck with us uh, all this time, God bless you. And thank you very much for being a part of Dan and all the Bear Their Souls. Tomorrow, it's a uh, short day of broadcasting. The Bar Down guys are taking the day off. And uh, Science Fiction at, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Mac and Reed at 7 p.m. And Science Fiction at 9 p.m. All those times. I sent you that Ross Reed tweet from today. Yeah, Ross. Well, it's, it's talking about talk uh, trading on. trading for DK Metcalf. Right, he's Ross on, Reed, who is the co-host of uh, the Mac and Reed show. He is like all in on DK Metcalf. He says, if it's DK Metcalf, I'm saying fuck those draft picks. He's the perfect receiver for Justin Fields and the Bears. And just know, I usually don't take the stance. That's how good he is, and how perfect of a fit he would be for the Chicago yeah, Bears. I agree, but. I don't know, man. You're you're going against your word and how to develop a football team if you deviate yeah. from it. But yep. that's a good discussion for next week. May, who knows? Maybe DK Metcalf will be a member of the Bears by next week. If so, <laughs> holy shit. And mandatory uh, workouts are next week, so we should have some sound bites, some fresh sound bites to react to on next Tuesday's show. So stick with us here on the Barroom Network. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up, especially into the football season. And uh, and hopefully you guys are lining up your tickets for the Bears. Uh, what game are we going to, Dan? We've got tickets for Miami at Chicago. November I think something? it's week 9, mm-hmm. November 6th. And we have tickets in week 18 for Minnesota at Chicago, which is January 8th. Yeah, so all you barflies out there, uh, try to join us or at least make plans to uh, spend the Saturday uh, before the game with us. We're going to make arrangements for a get-together with everybody. So, And we um, got a concert that night at the United Center. That is right. Can't wait for that. Uh, Smashing Pumpkins, baby. Billy Corgan coming home. I love it. I love it. All right, everybody, uh, that's the end, and uh, I'll play the final thing. Good night, everybody. Good Thank you for listening to Dan and Aldo Bear Their Souls. Make sure you subscribe to the Barroom Network and you give us a rating on iTunes. Until next week, my name is Nomfe. Bear down. <laughs>